The Cocoa Nation Show is an unscripted, live, and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own, and not necessarily those of the Cocoa Nation Show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged, and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Cocoa Nation. Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation. The world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Coco Nation Show, episode 341. We have several special guests today. Let's see who we got on the panel here. We've got Kevin Holloway. Hello. And yours truly, the button pusher, Bob Emery. Howdy, huh? And Ken Waters. Woohoo! I've made the top row. That's right. <laughs> uh, Nick Morentes. Oh, I'm not on the bottom row. It's all topsy turnsy today. That's right. I'm up standing on my head today. <laughs> and we have Erico. Hello, everyone. Oh. And Rick Euland. And yeah, the, yeah, right there. Mr. ZZ Top himself. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, Luciano. Hello. 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 And Marco. And L. Curtis Boyle. Welcome to the show, everyone. Okay. And let's see. Next row, we got Kieran. Yes. <laughs> He's All ready right. for the show. He's drinking already. <laughs> <laughs> and nice dark one, too. He's ahead of us. It's 5 p.m. somewhere. Yes. Yeah, All he's right. literally got a head on it, so that's, that's he, right. He's a, he is ahead of us. That's some real beer. By GMT and everything else. All right. Next over, we got Sloopy. You may be away from the keyboard at the moment. He's in Malibu. Okay. Oh, yes. And then <laughs> next up, Ron Delvo. And I'm in my computer seat. Oh. Sitting on the CPU. Mm -hmm. Don't get them and... chips dirty. Hey, we've got Fred. Hello. And Jason. Howdy, howdy, hello. And I hear the top row comes with a 20% pay increase. Woohoo! Uh. Oh, that's a division by zero error, isn't it? Uh-huh. Oh. <laughs> All right, and then next over, we got Terry Stiggy. Morning, Coco Nation, or afternoon, or evening, or wherever you're at. Dependent. <laughs> All right, and last but not least, Brian Weasler. Hello, welcome to the show. On the bottom of the crowd this time. 
Yeah, like I said, the, the order's all topsy-turnsy this it's, time. It's turvy day, yes. Hey, you, can tell, you can tell Brian must have a full load today since he's, <laughs> well, he's bottom sunk. heavy. He's hanging on the bottom there. <laughs> okay, so we've got, uh, let's see, I think first up uh, it was Erico, right? Yep. Okay. That will, uh, will be us. Okay, go ahead. All what right, you got then. for us today? Well, uh, it's actually not me. It's me and Luciano, right? Okay. We, uh, Luciano is one of the uh, the the event organizer of this uh, show called Hatcher SC that happens here in south of Brazil, state of Santa Catarina. And uh, this event, uh, this event happens uh, once per year, I guess twice in a different town, but here at the capital, and we live in an island. So uh, at this capital, we have it uh, once every year around this time season. This one here happened last week. And uh, it's, a, it's about retro computer and video games in general. But you get to see a lot of the old 8-bits, especially the, uh, the more famous Brazilian ones, right? So you get to see clones of ZX Spectrums, Apple IIs, MSX, and color computers too. And uh, so, so one, if there is one thing I would like to bring you guys today is how the event was this last weekend. And uh, well, first, what, what I can say is that the event uh, grew, right? We had um, a little bit, we were short on space a bit on the last edition. But uh, this time we had it on, a, on an excellent place, the most marvelous place, right? And I would like kind, to some... Kind of looked like an airplane hangar. Mm, oh, and it's a place you guys should come check it out if you're if you're uh, if you're coasting Brazil during this time of year. Let me see if I share the screen here. Uh, Luciano, would you like to say something about the the event, the show, please? Yeah, um, the Retro Sea was born as WhatsApp Group, and um, in 2016, and we have a lot of members, about about 100 members. Uh, we have our first meeting. Uh, that year, um, present is about uh, 15 people, 15 persons on this meeting, and, and uh, this is 15, um, 12 uh, expositors or members, and four visitors. Um, last Saturday, we had uh, a meeting uh, with 800 people present. Nice. Uh, uh, wow. Well, a lot and better. Um, a social picture of, <clears throat> of uh, found a, a kilogram of, of uh, food uh, to benefit the uh, social organization. organization. Uh, we collected about the, uh, 800 uh, kilograms of food and it was replaced, it was uh, delivered to this social institution. Mm, nice. That's uh, that's uh, that's something I didn't uh, point. There, there is this. Uh, the, the event has a uh, how can you say it? A charity element to it, right? What well, what Luciano was saying is that we collected 800 kilos of uh, food to help uh, those who are in need in Brazil to help institutions that push oh. things forward. So that's close uh, to 1,800 uh, pounds for American friends. Yeah. Yep. Oh, oh. Um, I, I, actually, I can't remember the the relationship between kilos and and two point two. The truth. Two point two. Two point two. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's eight hundred kilos then. Probably, 
a thousand to two two thousand. But you got pounds. you multiplied by two point two, so it's it's about eighteen hundred pounds, pretty close to that. And yeah, uh, that's it. But eight hundred kilos sounds easier to carry. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's, it's hard. It. It's always trouble to uh, to carry the food we collect at the end of the uh, of the event. Not sure if you guys are seeing the picture here. I'm I'm sharing. Yes, we are. So uh, this is the location. Uh, this the stadium is located in a in a Sask kind of. Uh, uh, it's sort of a country club, right? But okay. it's in it's in front of the beach, but it's the beach facing the 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 countryside of the island. So it's a more calm beach. And uh, this stadium here, it's it's within a facility that has hotels and it's a uh, it's a really marvelous place. And as you can nice. see here, a lot of being, open space. Yep, huge. And here is probably around the beginning of the show, before the and after. Mm. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, let's let's go through the some of those pictures then. Here's part of uh, Luciano Luciano Chef's collection. Would you like to say a word about this these equipment, uh, Luciano? Okay. And uh, <laughs> I put some computers here to show in life. And Sorry? Okay. You, you got to speak up some. The picture. It was a CP400 uh, color one. Mark, you'll have to zoom up Luciano here so we can see his stuff too. He's actually showing some of the same computers from his display ah. live. So. so it's better that he shares then. Yeah, well, I can't oh. zoom him up with the... That's, this is as big as I can make them at the uh, moment. I'll stop sharing. Okay, uh, okay. I'll uh, I will talk about this picture, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, there, there, we can kind of see both now. Can I put the picture again? Yes, hang on. After I mm -hmm. can show the computer, okay? There you go. Nice. So, uh, we have uh, CP400 color one, at the right one. Um, uh, at the last, the CP400 color 2, uh, they are released in i 984 and i 985 by ProLogical. Uh, it's best-selling uh, computer, uh, Coco Clone computer in Brazil. Uh, Erico, uh, can you move to the picture? Okay. Uh, here we, we have an Amizedo inside a correction Coco. And Erico, uh, put to the right, please. Okay, yes. on the top, we have the CP4550. Uh, uh, it's a driver only for CP400. Yeah. Okay, so, so developed uh, by, uh, by ProLogical and produced until 1986. 1986, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. This is a this this uh, disk system here is uh, very difficult to come about. I remember back in the days to see this stuff in magazines and ads for the CP400, but uh, the very first time I actually saw one in life was from Luciano's collection. It's well, were you were you guys about. like like the UK where tapes lasted a lot longer than they did up in North America? Because just because yes. of the cost. Yes. Okay. Tapes tapes lasted quite long and. Uh, by the time uh, things were switching to to disc, we were we were pretty much jumping into Amigas, right? So uh, you you had a little bit of disc system going on with the Apple, the MSX, of course, but I'm afraid the uh, the color computer didn't get much uh, 
drive love in Brazil back in the days. They were extremely expensive, right? Um, so you you want to talk about these two little things here, Luciano? These two okay. little boards. Uh, two boards. Uh, it's a, a mean idea. It's a um, green side idea board uh, that's adapted by Victor Victor Truco to match with the slot of sixteen four hundred. This okay. one here, the top one. Uh, and the board uh, at the left side is uh, adap uh, adapted for Victor Truc. Uh, so uh, a project that uh, we find in the uh, GitHub, we call it um, oh, what? Uh, Floppy and Roam adapter, or Floppy and Roam interface for the computer and Dragon. Hmm. Are these are are these two from Victor Truco? Uh, yeah, both All right, uh, this this Victor Truco guy is uh, for those who don't know, it's uh, it's some Brazilian chap that is uh, very into hardware, especially uh, modifications and extensions of uh, a whole bunch of eight bit computers, including the including the color computer. He uh, you might know him from the he's one of the guys running the next project, right? The Spectrum, Spectrum next. Okay. Yes, uh, I believe he's the guy doing the core of uh, of their new systems or something like that. Ooh. Or uh, I believe he had a project similar to to the ZX Next before the ZX Next, and and parts of it ended up integrating that project. And he's a he's a very prolific guy. He does a lot of uh, hardware stuff. He's always within our color color group, right? Brazilian color group, and always offering his. Uh, Hardware pieces. So, like Luciano said, the the one to the top left is a mini IDE. It's a stuff to run disks and things, and the one on the left, like an SDC, kind of an SDC, right? Okay, SD card adapter. They are yeah, both on the. Phone. Sorry. Uh, for more information, uh, look at GitHub. Uh, users uh, call it kind of share, kind of care, fresh, and uh, the name of actual is. Um, Dragon and Coco, uh, Flop and Roaming Laker. That's uh, that's where the the idea, the design came from. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. User is kind of fresh, kind of fresh. Hmm. All right, let me uh move about the pictures. So here you have the the CP four hundred color two. Four hundred color two, mean idea. Mean idea. And, and for those uh, in the audience that haven't seen the CP four hundred before, like if you're newer to the show. Um, what's the main difference between the color two and the color? Is it just the keyboard, or is there some other changes as well? Oh, in Brazil, it's pretty much the the keyboard. Uh, Luciano will know more about that. What are the differences? Okay. Um, there's some some difference, uh, not uh, both in electronics, but uh, the keyboard and the PSU was moved uh, from another bar inside the the gadget. Okay. So say the uh, what's the difference? I didn't quite get. It's the keyboard, yeah, the power the keyboard supply, and, and, and the power uh, supply. It's part of uh, power supply. Hmm. All right. Oh, so it's just a power cord into the two, not a lump out somewhere. Hmm. Yeah, I think from the color one to two, the power supply was one of the things they changed it because I recall Danielle saying something, and that the the very first set of power supplies they weren't quite good. They're pretty bad. Am I correct on that, Luciano? Yeah. Uh, 
think the mailing card is, is reading, eh? um, uh, CP400 is uh, getting very hot during mm. the use. And mm. uh, some crashes are, are related uh, to person one. And Polarch decided to move CPU to another board and, uh, and apart it from this uh, large board. Oh, so it's just a, uh, it's just a location uh, redesign. So it gets a little bit away from the heat from the power supply. Okay. Is that it? Hmm. Well, and we saw that checkpoint keyboard. So <laughs> this is better, obviously. Yep. Uh, you know, some of Brazilian users, they, they will prefer the chiclet keyboard. Really? For some, uh, for some reason, the chiclet keyboard on the CP400 Color 1 is, uh, it's a little bit above what you would get from, say, a ZX Spectrum, for example. Oh, like the Dead Flesh Spectrum or whatever. Yeah, okay. As a, the one that had kind of like a rubber rubber keys. But it was yeah. just dead and it didn't work very well. Yeah. It's uh, it's slightly better. It's, but it's yours is better. Okay. This uh, this one here, which is the one I have, uh, as time goes by, they tend they tend to start registering more than one clicks whenever you press it. Oh, key bombs oh. type thing. Okay. Yeah. So the they they do have, they do require uh, uh, how to say maintenance, but uh, the color computer one though it's a, it goes pretty good. Let's hmm. let's see. So here's you have a different picture of it, including the marvelous joysticks. I, I kind of like them. I like so the fact I, you have different colored handles, so you can tell your left and right player thing <laughs> once you plug them in. Yeah. <laughs> I wish we had that. <laughs> and I, I kind of enjoy the the cord, the connector, this this old telephone type. Kind yeah, of yeah. It keeps things organized. It's not like you have a whole bunch of knots to. And if you try it. to huck it at the wall, it won't quite reach and bounce back. So that's good. Right, <laughs> you can't break it. And uh, oh, uh, one other thing you can see here about these carts is that uh, the the cart in Brazilian uh, color computer it's uh, they they're smaller. The carts is smaller, and the, the the whole the the form factor is smaller, right? So these two yeah. things here they were done for. The CP four hundred, especially for that. Because now, the now the actual um, the card connector itself is the same though, right? It's just a narrower, longer cartridge versus fat and short. I it is. Cards. Is that fact, Luciano? Are are both connectors the same? Yeah, uh, the cartridge connector is the same as Coco one. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think you guys I... showed on a previous uh, show that uh, if you take a little extender out, you can actually just plug in a Coco cartridge and it works fine. If I remember mm -hmm. correctly. Yeah. Mm, but I really yeah. like the STC built inside the cart. Close the top, it's gone. Yes, this looks really nice because In, it, interior it hard drive, as far as you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I like the solution. So let me see what I have house here. These, this is a, I think it's Luciano's color computer tree. Coco three is a, we can move card inside. And an Ed Snyder keyboard yeah. by the looks of it. Ed Snyder yep. keyboard. Okay, that's fine. Ed Snyder uh, VGA adapter. Okay, RGB adapter. Okay. Right, RGB adapter. And uh, what card are you using here on the side? Oh, it's yours. It's the multi card. Mm -hmm. Which which has this menu here. All right. We'll be talking about this uh, a little bit soon. So let's get the next oh. one. You are one of the more rare okay. machines. It is the Codemax CD6809. 
and in plastic, a wood machine, wooden machine. <laughs> it found that uh, uh, material deposit, uh, okay, uh, recycling deposit. Hmm. It was abandoned, and this is a uh, the one is was a rescued. I, I think you guys saw it the last time from the last show. It's one uh, color computer that was modded long time ago, and it was uh, on a dump, uh, kind of like a deposit, abandoned. And Luciana rescued it and uh, put it on shape. And what you have here is Axon Rennie, I believe, from the Cody Max. I guess the Cody Max is the second most famous uh, color computer in Brazil, right? After the CP400. Uh, sure. So. Yes, this is the one that sold more, right? Uh, please note that wood machine had a uh, same keyboard, Sony uh, Max. Okay. Professional uh, mm. one. It's supposed to be the best keyboard from the colors in Brazil. It's a professional keyboard, mechanical, uh, made by Digipont at Rio de Janeiro. Yes, they are. Inside the wooden machine, we had a, a, a board of the CP400 Color 1. Inside this one? No, a, a wooden, wooden machine. Oh, wooden. this one here. It's a Color yeah. 1. Yeah, because the wooden one almost looks like the case. I mean, obviously, different from being made of wooden instead of plastic. But it looks like it's trying to have the aesthetic of an Apple II Plus or something. It's got that longer, you know, where the uh -huh. card slots and stuff in the Apple II went in the right. back. Don't do it right here. Or the Apple I, I believe Shame when the Apple One. That. I'm almost confident what you see back here is a TK3000, which is an Apple II clone of the type of case uh, Curtis uh, is talking yeah. about. It's the same yeah. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> But belongs to Leonard Roman, and yeah, he's he's fifty-eight thousand. Hmm. All right, let's see. Oh, What's Eric and Lucian, we got a chess question from the chat here. I just thought I'd throw it in here. Um, Tell me, yes, Eric Anderson from Europe is asking which TV system was used in Brazil again? Was it like sixty hertz but PAL? It's a uh, it's a mixture between PAL and NTSC. It's uh, sort of like a Unix system, and I uh, don't really know much about the. Uh, uh, the deep side of um, you know electronics on it, but it's something like uh, the system is NTSC, NTSC on its nature, but it gets its color from a PAL system. Right? It's something very weird. That's uh, <laughs> that's the reason you see you see some of this uh, you see the change of colors and we get some extra effect colors. Uh, what's interesting about this is uh, when when these machines when the CP400 was sold in Brazil. It's traditional boxes. They had uh, screenshots of games, and the screenshot of the games on the boxes were with the changed colors, the Brazilian colors, right? So uh, at the time these computers came out, we all uh, we took this for granted as as the real thing. And uh, as time went by, and we could get access to uh, Rainbow magazines and foreign stuff, and some of the, the 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 things on Rainbow magazine were printed in color. It's, it's then when we start check, uh, noticing, right, that there is a difference between, well, instead of orange and blue, we have a green and our blue is slightly more uh, reddish, right, than uh, the NTSC Coco. So, yes, there is that, there is that difference. It's, uh, and, and there is this, uh, I think Simon uh, once said that uh, our system does affect vertically too. So, uh, we get this extra colors. There is this kind of uh, pink, red, and uh, kind of an olive green, right? And there is a whole uh, 
a ramp, color ramp between these two that you're not going to see into uh, normal NTSC artifacts. In fact, uh, behind me on this Ashman plane, uh, if you look close, you will notice these X colors. And you notice, for example, when the cat moves up and down, these extra colors, they, uh, they switch just like uh, the artifact colors would normally switch if you move uh, uh, graphics just one pixel, right? What's blue is going to yeah, because your red and blue would swap if you're on an even pixels. Mm -hmm. But you can move stuff on NTSC artifact vertically, all fine. Uh, here on the Brazilian colors, no. If you do that, some of the colors will flip. It's pretty interesting. And if I remember Pal, uh, Nick, you use Pal in Australia, obviously, and, and Karen as well, so you two can chime in on this, but I believe that uh, you did vertical for doing colors versus horizontal to get extra colors like in Donatellon and stuff too, right? Yeah, well, that's using the P-Mode 3, not the P-Mode 4. So it's not artifact colors as such. It's more just color mixing hmm. because we're mixing real colors. But artifacting is different. It's creating colors. So the, the common thread seems to be you can change colors, but you can't pick them. So you're going to get these four colors, live with it. You're going to get these colors, live with that. You're going to get these artifacts, live with that. You can't really do what you want. Uh, you can well, take what you get, but you can't pick what you get. <laughs> If there's, if there's one thing that I find uh, interesting about this, uh, the, the, uh, specifically about the Brazilian artifact color, because it's uh, it comes from a television set that is not available anywhere in the world. So the chances of other people outside of Brazil experimenting these different artifact colors is uh, rare, right? Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not something you'll find around. And uh, while we had this system in Brazil, uh, it's funny because nobody actually took advantage of that. We just got the, the games and the applications from the American market, and uh, we just play the way they came. And nobody developed something using these colors in a creative sense, right? Mm. And uh, since I believe this is part of the Technicolor computers in one way or the other, hopefully at some point we'll be able to map those. But, but, I'm um, an emulator or something. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Like, yeah. do, you, do you have any people that are active in programming games in Brazil? Still? Not, uh, not really. How do you say? Uh, not in a grand scale. I attempt to do my games every now and then, but uh, I, I seem to run out of time and have time issues all the, just about all, every day. <laughs> right. And, uh, life. Yeah. I've got some friends of mine uh, that, that were also on this uh, event that they produce games for uh, 8-bit computers, mostly uh, ZX Spectrum and MSX, and I've been telling them. Into uh, into making for the color computer too, right? Because their games are pretty good. So uh, we we still don't we don't have a, how can I say we don't have a strong expression into that part, right? Game development. We uh, Brazilians were more famous for uh, hardware tweaking, right? Okay. And uh, then uh, uh, software for entertainment. But we do have uh, people do serious software uh, every now and then. Just like uh, the menu from Luciano, I think Danielle also does a whole bunch of different things. Uh, just just so that we we check this table here, uh, the 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 missing ones, right? So you have uh, these two, this one here on these acrylic box. We okay. talked about last. Uh, we talked about last year. It's mm -hmm. uh, it's what I believe, right? Uh, Luciano will know more. It's what I believe to be the most uh, rare. 
color computer uh, ever. We we are hunting for this machine uh, very deeply. It's, it's really hard to find. This one here, I think Luciano secured the board, but we would like to find the the, the whole thing with the case and it's it was like a, like an Osborne computer, right? With built-in monitor. Not sure if it's four inch or eight inch, and it's uh, it came with two disk drives. It was a very expensive color computer made for um, made for companies and industry. It wasn't quite like you know sold for people for common ears. We would mm -hmm. say. Uh, what do you have to say about that, Lucian? Okay, uh, that board is a TPU E board, and it's made by Varic. Uh, after the C screen is the C five declining the position, okay? Uh, this is five uh, C a computer. I call it one computer. Total color computer made uh, made by very conspicuous carbon from one ninety three to one ninety eight five. Okay, uh, it has uh, in same cabinet um, a professional mechanical keyboard. Um, a slot for cartridge, okay, two drives, and um, top support for a TV or monitor. Um, right. So it uh, came with two. It came with two disk drives from the company. As, as you buy it, it comes with two disk drives. Uh, okay. Um, what uh, tell me, uh, Mr. Francis, for Vice Owner of Vice and the um, uh, engineer who uh, projected the fifty. Tell me, we sold about 1,000 uh, units, but uh, as uh, this machine is not um, selling for everyone, uh, the market was concerted and uh, the industry, yeah, probably uh, a lot of them uh, dropped out when uh, replaced, okay? But let uh, me just check something. You said you said 1,000 copies created and sold. Is that correct? About one thousand. Yeah. All right. So, so uh, they uh, are are these the sold numbers of Varix computers, color computers, or just the manufactured, the whole manufactured ones? They lasted for two years, right? A lot of fifty hour factored buying information received from Mr. Francis Piedad, owner of Varix. Okay. Mm -hmm. Directly from the owner. I understand with December. Uh, uh, we have more probably uh, to find one, but uh, uh, now no one appears for me. <laughs> hmm. Well, hopefully, hopefully we'll find one one day. It's uh, it's an object of hunt from Brazilians, right? It's, yeah, just uh, looking at the ports on the glass case there, like it looks like it has composite out. I'm assuming that's the monitor out you were talking about before, but it almost looks like a parallel port or something on the far left. Is that a parallel I port or is that something else? Yeah. Okay, um, uh, the story is uh, uh, after the completion uh, of the C50 decline, Vice used the hardware of the C50, and uh, with some or, or many products uh, we sold after. Okay, so we produce CPLD programmers. Uh, we planning to uh, uh, introduce a CNC based upon CH09 processing and a lot of uh, main products, a lot of some uh, of products that we sold after until uh, from 1988 and 5 to 1999, okay? And mm -hmm. uh, if you uh, 
show me or I have a present in my hand. Now. Uh, let, let, wait, I'm just sharing the screen here. I can't see your hand. Sorry, let me see. Uh, okay. Hang, hang on. Yes, I can see. Oh, you are holding the you are holding the whole thing. Okay. Can can uh can you guys see the the board? Mark, could you spotlight uh, Lucio? Yeah, yeah, the Zoom call isn't the, the Zoom board. call yeah. isn't tracking the uh, online video. It's uh it's uh it's one of the things uh, Luciano is one of the main hunters of this uh, machine. He has contacted the owner, the Vedix uh. company back in the day. Had a board with him. Uh, there's a story that uh, a lot of these computers went to dump, right? That they were kept in a in a warehouse, and when the company nowadays were going through the through their list of equipments, one of the guys decided to throw a whole bunch of things away, and they throwed Varix, Rio Varix, away. So uh, we are now having a lot of problem finding uh, a real machine, not not just the the main board. But there's a lot of work into that, and the ROM from uh, the the ROM for this one, they are all dumped, so they are at least secured. And I, I believe they don't have much of a difference from the normal ROM, mm -hmm. just uh, the cursor stuff and probably the the hello, yeah. the, the introduction. Okay. Uh, so so what what Kurt is asking is about the the outputs on video. I saw there is an RCA and there is the monitor output, right, Luciano? Well, and there's okay. a bus port, obviously, right? Hmm. On the left. Yeah, the, the blue the one seems to be. Hmm. Where's the cart one? Those are the two drives. Track All right. Four, okay. Well, that's cartridge, um, okay. Visual driver hmm. made by me, okay. Uh, this board was developed to a uh, uh, machine who, who don't have, uh, need video to show, okay? All right, no need for video. Yeah. So, so. Uh, we have CPU, SAM, PIA, DDG, four reprints of okay, color basic, extended, this uh, basic, okay, same board. And this apron, uh contains uh, a personal program. Uh, you use the board in the industrial machine uh, they have the lock uh, at, at, at time. All right, so th there is a there is a specific software inside that that third ROM for machine controlling. Is that it? Yeah. Oh, cool. Monitor. That's interesting. And the last one. And the last one. What's the the double green one? <laughs> yeah. Some dude. <laughs> oh, no, now it would be interesting to know to see the software that uh, the industrial control yeah. software that's inside there. You, you guys dumped that part, didn't you? You and Danielle? Did you dump that row? Yeah. Um, very stuff. Uh, isn't fine found uh, in time, okay? This machine provided, uh, we come uh, to Rio Janeiro, uh, this board is with me, was with me, and uh, Danielle was uh, dumped to the solo. Uh, Follow basically extended and DOS and disk basic from this chip. Nice. Okay, so the All disk right. basic ROM is built right onto the main board then, and then that, mm -hmm. that extended ROM for the monitor, et cetera. That's, that's what it seems. So you got 32K of ROM in there then. Nice. 
That's really nice. And the bar square. Well, yeah, because it's because like it, it came in a box with its disk drives. There's no reason for it not to have the drive code Built right, right on, on the motherboard. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe some user apps in the uh, double dot romp yeah. aside, you know, just load that puppy up. So this mm-hmm. is beautiful. I, I didn't know about those uh, those uh, self-contained software on, on the double green one there. Uh, got me curious. So what kind of software they had built in? Because this is probably the reason the machine wow. was put up in the first place. Right. I can tell about it. Uh... The software in the green one, uh, it's uh, um, a record and that uses at least 720, another product of price. I don't, uh, that's above my knowledge of understanding. <laughs> Is that the RAM across the top? Yes, this is the two, two, the two balls. Yes, the RAM, the RAM is on top, right? Yeah, it looks like eight chips of RAM on the very top. Yeah, that would make right make mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. So this is based on the um, Motorola, you know, plan. Like reference the, uh, design. Is, yeah. It has the it's SAM expanded upon. Yeah. Yeah, it's been it's expanded more than ours are for sure. <laughs> oh, what I find is what I find very interesting about this machine is is exactly this fact. It wasn't targeted as a. As a CP, right, a computer personal or PC personal computer, it's more of a, a, a specific tool for industry for a controller. For, yes, so it's, it's an uh, appliance. Yeah, you take your your computer with you and do work with it, and who cares uh-huh. what's in it? It just does it. And it's uh, pretty interesting that the uh, I'm not sure if I uh, do. You happen to have a picture from uh, from an ad, Luciano from. What, uh, what Vatix like looks with the like. whole case and the drives and everything? Modern. If you happen to have a picture, I can try to find one here. It's a very unique uh, look, I tell you. You have a picture at the album, okay? But uh, well, let's let's get on with uh, with the pictures then. I'll, I'll try to find a, a picture of Vatix, of a real Vatix, throughout oh, the way. Right. Right, let me get this. How far away do you guys live from each other? Oh, we live in the same town. We are probably something like uh, about 30 kilo, 20 kilometers apart, 30 at most. This, uh, the island of uh, Florian, uh, Santa Catarina Island, right? That the, the name of the city is Florianopolis. It's, uh, it's a kind of city that uh, the neighborhoods are very far away from downtown. They are just like uh, micro cities, right? In uh, there's a lot of green and there's a lot of uh, you know nature stuff all around. So uh, Luciano lives in, uh, I believe he lives closer to the central area, and I live more to the north of the island, close to the the fisherman, <laughs> the fisherman neighborhood. So Lu- Luciano's in the um, upper crust area. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Very cool. I sent a picture now to WhatsApp, okay? All right, I will I'll bring it in. And uh so that we uh go go through this picture here, we have the deluxe joystick here. There were uh these the the black beauty. And um well there's something I gotta tell you guys is that from all the joysticks from the color computer I ever tried, I don't think any of them would beat the the black beauty. 
it's really amazing to play stuff with it. This and uh, here you have that very unique uh, MX sixteen hundred you guys saw last year, which has has kind of like a video game uh, kind of look to it. Different form factor on the cartridge, same connectors, and you have a, I think this is a D sixty four you guys also saw last year. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one because of the gray case that was painted. Mm-hmm. There's a very rare, and this and this other one we talked about, the CD sixty eight oh six. Let me let me just take a look at these uh, at the WhatsApp. Are here. those all sixty four K machines? Yes, I believe they are. Can you guys? Yep, uh, can you guys see my uh, WhatsApp image here? No. No, yeah. we still got your picture from it's the show big. at the table, Luciano's ah, table. Then I'll just uh, download them and throw them there. Then you get a picture of uh, the two models, the two Vedix models that were available, that were sold in Brazil. Did they sell the TDP there too? I'm not sure. Did they sell TDP? Yeah, you do have a TDP in the table there, so. Yeah. I think it, is that Brazilian or did it come from somewhere else? I don't know. It's the North American Total. Who? Um, take, take, uh, oops, last, uh, uh, table, um, from right, okay. As a CDP. Let me just get this to, this to image here. And, um, all right. Okay, let me get back to the, to the pictures here. So we were we are looking at this one here, right? Uh, you said uh, which one is the TDP? Is it this? You just said your cursor right behind the glass case. Yep. That one there, right there. Yep. Oh, this one here. Yeah. Uh, where did it Where did it come from, Luciano? Where did this one come from? It's a North American cocoa, okay. Uh, um, oh. Another brand for Sandy Data product. Hmm. Okay, so it was not sold in your area. No, not sold around here. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's basically that's an F board cocoa that Tandy experiment was selling through RCA distributors, if I remember correctly, to uh, mm-hmm. try to expand the market a bit. And then they kind of canceled it about a year later. All right. Here's what the, the Varix oh, cool. we're talking that's about nice. looks like. Oh, even the Mary Keypad, too. Yeah. Mary Keypad, this, there, there were two versions. I, w- I really would like to see this joystick close, close up. But the, it was there was this version that you would run on a television. And you would have this one. I, I have this joystick. Oh, like a uh, painted of, of gray. Which one? Gray? Sorry? The same radio cool joystick, just painted of gray. <laughs> hmm. I would have loved that one with the built-in screen there, the little five-inch monitor. Yeah. This, yeah. this yeah. one here. This, I could use that. Yeah. It's, it's good if you're young. Okay. With a small screen configured. This is a okay. black and white screen, right? Black or no? and white. Okay. Mm-hmm. It says programming system VT20. Yeah. And then there's the Ferrix brand here. That's exactly how you use my Coco. I had a big color TV to play games on, and I had a little black and white to program on because that was the resolution and size that did that. I would have loved this thing. 
Yes, it, it looks extremely interesting. It, it reminds me of these uh, of the Osborne computers. We we'll probably got to see one here on the on the show pretty soon. Let me advance to to where we were. So uh, we were looking at this set of computers from Luciano. Here's the whole thing. Oh, weird guy. <laughs> right? Here's Luciano. Oh, happy. Oh, yeah, you look at that shirt. You look at that shirt. <laughs> That's Tomb from Mark Data. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's a nice shirt. So uh, let's see. Here's a Tandy shirt. It's a pretty good size tag um, they give you for the show. Yeah, pretty huge. We should do uh, badges. Some year, yeah. uh, as as we get to the future, we should do some electronic badges. Get a get a color computer emulator in one of those badges. Well, I think so you guys have a different take on the Black Beauties than we do, because um, I I love them myself, and I use those mostly. And I don't really. I think the big white ones are a little clunky for my taste. No, but, the deluxe. Um, it, yeah, it seems like most people here um, disparage the Black Beauties. I don't know why. For me, it depends on the game. If if you've got a game that you know has analog controls and free floating like a, a missile command, a centipede, I prefer the Black Beauties for those, obviously. But uh, if you need something that's spring back, like a, a Pac Man game or something, it works better with Billux. So hmm. I, I switch between which ones I'm using depending on the game. Uh, I think the uh, the deluxe you can unlock right the auto sentinel. Yeah. yeah. And uh, as you do that, uh, does does the joystick go around in a circle, or does it go in a in a square fashion? Square. square, square. It still reaches all the same coordinates if it's centered properly, so you're not missing mm -hmm. anything. But if yeah. it's working right, yeah. Because oh, right. uh, sometimes it, you know it, it, you have to pull a little harder to get it to the corner. Hmm. Because uh, when when playing, sometimes when playing fast games. Um, by going say from down kind of like a hadouken right going down then down left and left if i do it on a round joystick i'd probably do it faster though i have very little experience with the deluxe joystick uh, well, i have noticed the the black beauties tend to overscan a little bit if you will you don't have to shove it all the way to its limit to hmm. get it to stop where the deluxe is more stop to stop it has the adjustable little fun wheels to make it fit mm -hmm. but you tend to have to move it more to go limit to limit than the black beauty which right to oh, me yeah. seems to hit limit to limit before you hit the physical limits of the joystick said well so yeah, yeah. plus the black beauties you're showing there are the first generation ones with the aluminum sticks that mm -hmm. unscrew and i used to so screw that off and then put a wad of tape so i wouldn't hurt my thumb and i'd use it as a thumb stick they work great <laughs> for that, but that doesn't work with the black plastic handled ones. Oh, nice. I, I, I'll probably look for the, the metal one. It's pretty interesting. The uh, the Brazilian ones have these, uh, they are kind of close to the looks of the the, the Black Beauty. And uh, the, the stuff they have up here is kind of like a rubber, sort of a rubberized material, this red part. It's not actually plastic. And it feels a little bit, it's probably, it probably doesn't age too well. But Does it, it get will, sticky? Uh, I'm not sure age. because I, I don't have mine anymore. Do they get sticky, mm -hmm. Luciano? The, the the kind of rubber you have on the joysticks? Yeah, it's, it's just a rubber. And I have two kids, so, um, but it's just a rubber, a red and green one. But it's just, uh, it's, uh, I need to save a prologue and make a joystick for purple, okay? Uh, Cody Max. Use the Radio Shack regular standard uh, joystick, 
black as uh, our previous uh, picture. Variety is paint of gray, paint joystick, joystick. Uh, but for logic, uh, uh, make one. It's not perfect, yeah. nice, but uh, it's nice to have uh, uh, a gauge uh, with the uh, computer, okay? Mm-hmm. And it has the same style of the case. That's uh, on what Luciano's pointing out is that at least Prologica went to the trouble of uh, creating a case and creating a joystick on their own, right? Some of the, I believe, some of the. I think you said computers. the Kodamax clones just use the Tandy ones, right? Mm-hmm. So others use Tandy ones. And I believe these, uh, the, the ones here with the Atari adapter mm-hmm. might use something different. It's uh, the, the Brazilian joysticks is probably a subject. Uh, a part to research, and I'd really be interested in looking at those joysticks from the Vatix, from that uh, piece of propaganda showed you guys. That, that was one have... thing surprising about that particular one, the one with the dual drives and stuff, because it looks like it's either, like you said, a, an industrial-aimed computer or a, a business-style computer because of the keypad, yeah. built-in screen, anything else, yet they had joysticks in that first one with the TV there, mm-hmm. so... I'm, I'm wondering yeah, why they bothered making joysticks for it if it was meant to be an industrial or a you know, a business computer. Probably because the uh, the nature of the color computer joystick by being, you know, by being analog, it kind of doubles as a drawing, you know. Uh, oh, yeah, or like it might be a... used for inputs or something like, you know, some people used to read, you know, sound yes. samples through a joystick board or something. We yeah, haven't invented yeah. the mouse yet, so any analog <laughs> port in the store. Yeah, there you go. You're ready for well, the mouse. We, we were halfway through the mouse with this joystick. It, it, it probably is related to that, right? Let's uh, see back here. Oh, so uh, this is uh, the last about Luciano's uh, collection shown there. Uh, here's a little bit about the, the other stuff. Here's a friend of mine, this dude guy you see on the back. It's a friend of mine that produces games for the ZX Spectrum. You, you get to see his games here on screen. And uh, these are done in MPHD, but they are they're pretty interesting. They are above what the engine does normally. And I really would like him to uh, port some of this to the color computer since the code is already done, right? It's, uh, it's a matter of uh, checking uh, the graphics. Yeah, and the screen resolution is the same too, 256 by 2 just the color control is totally different. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's just a matter of uh, taking a look at the sound part of the MPHD and taking a look at uh, using P-Mode for uh, change the graphics he has for uh, artifacted color ones. And the thing should probably run uh, right out of the box. But his work is pretty interesting because he creates games based on uh, local folklore, right? Local tales. It's uh, pretty interesting. Uh, here's part of the guys. Uh, we had this Odyssey booth, and these guys really had um, a, a really great presentation. You know, similar TVs, similar uh, kind of arcade cabinets for a bunch of like six Odysseys, maybe. We had some guys with uh, Pimo machines this year. Uh, a, peop- uh, a set of people that own a pub here in our town that are full of uh, pinball machines. So we know that pinball machines and pub are a very good uh, connection. Does mm-hmm. good connection. So they were there. Oh, here's the Odyssey. I told you guys, pretty nice, uh, pretty nice booth, right? Yeah. And uh, I think I can't remember the name of the one in in English, Senor das Travas or something like that. It's my preferred game there. So I'm here you have. Time Lord, exactly that one. And uh, oh, that that video game has a this one has an analog joystick too, right? Pretty interesting one. Pretty sturdy. 
Uh, here's from Dantas, a friend of ours that uh, creates games for the Amiga. So you have a Mini here and a 500. And he's showcasing his uh, Castlevania. He was doing with the Scorpion engine these days. That's pretty nice work, right? Very well done. And uh, we, we had some guys like showing off uh, calculators. Uh, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of like, uh, I uh, have a little crush about some of these old calculators. They're pretty interesting. You know, uh, close to the TI things, I like that. Yeah. HP yeah. made a bunch too. Mm -hmm. yep. So uh, here, so, so we had books. Oh, here you guys can see that Apple, we we're talking a little bit a while ago, uh, running Prince of Persia, right? This is the TK3000 that was sold in Brazil. It's a very, very sturdy machine. I think if this falls on the ground, it's going to break the ground. It's pretty heavy too. <laughs> well, and they had a next here too. Some of some of the PDP them. clone, okay. Yeah, the PDP clone. And um, uh, take a look uh, uh, behind the PDP. You can see the keyboard of the ah. Spectrum Next. Yes, here's the Spectrum Next. Yeah, that's, that's that modern hardware sequel to the Spectrum, right? Yes, and it's uh, it's the first time I ever saw it. It's uh, pretty short. And it looks pretty nice, right? It's it's really neat. Have you guys seen one? I've seen it on some of the Amigos shows because they they go to hmm. Europe every once in a while. In fact, Bo just got back from a trip to Neil's Cave, and uh, believe, they have some Spectrum X down there. So, I believe our friends here, uh, the panel that are from Europe, will probably have seen one of these already. They're probably more famous around there, right? Yeah. Yeah, because Spectrum was from UK, so there, it's definitely a popular <laughs> machine there. Yes, Kyron probably has seen this this one. All right, let's uh, keep on going here. So, oh, we had the MSX. You guys know the MSX is quite strong in Brazil. We had some rare MSX here, though. I, I don't have a good uh, a good picture of them. This one here is pretty interesting. And the one which is protected here, right? Most of these are not Brazilians. I believe we had two Brazilian MSX, one from Gradiente, and uh, the other, the hot bit. Hot I can't, I can't quite remember who did the hot bit. Sharp. But sharp, yes, sharp. So, uh, so you have here a whole set of MSX. Uh, we had some uh, the video, the standard video games, including the the Marvels in television here on the corner. I love this one. I think this ranks as the most bizarre controller. For all video games worldwide, unless you got, uh, unless you guys know of a more difficult controller <laughs> than this one. Mm. So you have your usual set of video games, uh, some car racing. There's the car racing, a little competition going on this side. Uh, here's some. Oh, here's the hot pitch, the other Brazilian MSX, which was uh, more famous around here. Could you say the this. name a little clearer? <laughs> uh, hot yeah. bitch. Yeah, that's the way I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a dog. Get out of the gutter, Ron. It'd be a bit strange to use that name nowadays, but yes, I there goes say. the language. Uh, this one here is uh, some oh, like the original Odyssey one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> It's a, it's a very classic. Don't touch. This is a very classic one. 
They also had telejogos here, the very first uh, kind of uh, video game uh, ever played in my life. I'm not sure if there's a, a picture on this ones here. Here's me, yours truly, playing, mm. playing Shock Trooper, Shock right? Trooper. Very nice. Shock Trooper. And here you have a TK2000. Is this an Apple clone? I can't remember. Looks like an Atari clone. Looks like an Atari, yeah. Yeah, it does. It's so possible. That looks like an Atari 1200XL, but it is actually an Apple II Plus clone. Mm. Really? Really? It, That's it, an odd choice. It? Because uh, I know the TK3000 is an Apple clone, but I couldn't remember the TK2000. And we know that the TK did the ZX Spectrum clones and other stuff. Is, is this an Apple II clone, Luciano? Mm-hmm. Yes, I, it is. I don't really uh, have certain about this, but I think so. Yeah. Mm. And uh, I think I've seen these joysticks before on uh, on a television six hundred clone. Anyways, here you have uh, a CPC. This is very uncommon in Brazil. Uh, we didn't have CPCs back in the day. They're very uncommon here in North America too. <laughs> Anywhere, but uh, yeah, you'd, you'd see a lot of them in the UK. Though. Yeah, oh, this one looks uh, looks quite in a good shape and. Uh, Gotta tell you that the position of these keys, the arrow keys, oh my God. What were they thinking? Yeah, that's oh. a 464. That's one of the more advanced models, too, I think. No, it's the first one. Was 464 the first one? Yeah. Oh, okay. I must get my numbers mixed up. Let's see what we have. We have Eduardo Losic, which is one of the uh, creators, one of the, the curators, creators of the event. He's a nice <laughs> guy. And he happens to be the owner of this very marvelous X68000 you see here. This is a really beautiful machine. Let's take a look. Here's, here, here it is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Japanese design is uh, pretty great on, on these machines. You even got a carrying handle. Six... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cut your way out of the land party. Oh, not not without a little bit of love for the Atari ST here, which mm-hmm. is also not really that common in Brazil, right? We heard about it. We read magazines, but they were uncommon. Amigas were more common than than this one. Mm-hmm. You have this nice shirt here, right? Really nice shirt, and you get to see a CP four hundred way back there. See it? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a TRS eighty model three, right? And, uh, model two. It's model uh, mm, it, it, this is a lovely machine. We'll get to that side pretty soon. So you had the guys with uh, handhelds. Uh, these guys here, they had uh, screen replacements for uh, all kind of handheld. I uh, should have bought my Atari links for that subject. All right, handhelds are pretty pretty famous around here. So you had uh, old games, magazines. Uh, a little bit more of uh, the commerce side of uh, the show. A friend of mine again. Here you have a little bit of my side. Right here on the corner. Right, so you have my games here. You have uh, Quest running here. The Brazilian version, right? The uh, the guy who did the Brazilian translation from the uh, from from back in the days from the most of the Daikon adventures. He, uh, he took to this project some months ago and he fine-tuned all his Brazilian translations and he released uh, the ROMs of those games again, updated, 
And uh, it's part of Luciano's multi-carts. So I had this Brazilian one running here. And uh, right. the rest uh, of my stuff. Say? And uh, mm -hmm. the name is Enrique Porto. Enrique uh, Porto. Uh, he translated all my data and centuries, uh, Martin Trips, and um, last week we launched uh, the translation of Blackbeard Island. Hmm, Blackbeard Island. I haven't seen that one. Actually, I haven't played that that adventure back in the days. It's one uh, on the two playlist. So that uh, what's the name of the guy again? Just said Enrique. Enrique Porto. Enrique Porto. Yes, that's uh did did Enrique Porto work for Prologica or something like that back in the days? No, I, I think no. Anyways, we, he's say. Uh, we have a travel agent, and uh, I think uh, back in the days uh, he make uh, the first translations for funny or for um, uh, work with English or learning English, man. Right? Okay. All right. Did you guys Hello. have BBSs back in the day, or did you, you know, have something like Delphi or? Yes, uh, we had CompuServe. We had BBS, and I think the MSX had sort of a Telnet or something like that. I can't remember right now, but we used to connect on BBSs, and I think I did get my CP400 connected to one back in the days. So I just can't quite remember. It wasn't uh, common. Modems were uh, modems were not actually hard to find, but the price of a phone call in Brazil back in the eighties would be something extremely prohibitive. Hmm. And I also took these things to the show here. Not sure if you guys know the Sayoa Choose Your Own Adventure books, got a full collection. And uh, Ace of uh, don't know if you guys know these two books here. It's a bit bit plain war. It's like a game, 3D simulation in book, real time. It's like P51, Mustang. I, I don't know those. Uh, I choose on adventures, I definitely know, but not, not those last two. It's just, uh, just to add up to the, the ancient games. Here you get to see my, the friend of mine, uh, ZX Spectrum Games, I, I told you guys, we should bring to the Coco. And uh, his father here also did uh, sculptures of the sprites and uh, the in-game sprites, right? Pretty excellent work he does. So a little bit more of Master Systems, as this was quite famous in Brazil, still has a room nowadays. Some uh, old video games, televisions, and the respective keyboards, add-ons. Oh, here is the, uh, it's an interesting part, right? So you have a compact portable three here. And this is a, this is a pretty interesting one, Osborne one. Did you guys ever seen this one? Yeah, we, we had Osborne here. Yes. This uh, mm -hmm. this one, this one kind of kind of reminds me of this uh, Varix computer, right? It's kind of like the same screen, <laughs> two drives. It's, it's yeah, funny though because you look at this and you're thinking five inch screen, and then you realize no, those are five inch discs. So that screen is about the size of a Watchman. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. It's uh, yeah. Mm. I don't think mm. I have. Uh, I don't think I have. I don't think my eyes would cope with that size nowadays. Though. Not anymore. No, no. no my kid's pretty sharp. I have an Osborne one. Oh, they're sharp. Yeah, that uh, I would name. It's just my too own. small for me, Four, unless I put in forty columns or something. Or I just put my face right in front I of it. I think they were sixty-four, if I remember right. Well, right, but when I whenever I see a small screen, I think you know the old black and white TV that was like a five-inch diagonal screen, but this is mm -hmm. like a. 
third that size. It's a lot. You don't really realize it until you really think, okay, that disc is five and a quarter, and that screen is not that. <laughs> but Great I, I for young eyes. I don't know. This this has such an. Uh, it's a laptop, right? It has such an. It's a suitcase. It's, it, it's a luggable. It's it's not <laughs> it's a portable. It's a luggable. It's, it's a suitcase. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, you put the keyboard on the front there. You can see those two black clips on the top, and you see the two grooves on the front of the keyboard. So it flips up and like locks in, and, and then you carry with the handle, but it weighs like forty back. pounds yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. Wait for, for two guys to carry that stuff. Well, you know, yeah. your 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 baggage on one side and your computer on the other, and you balance out. You're good to go. Uh, the yeah. Model 4P had a good size screen. Yeah, it did. It was like a nine inch diagonal, I think. Yeah. So uh, we also had printers going on, old printers. That's uh, pretty interesting. There was even a yeah, guy running print shop. SDR. Shop nowadays is pretty great. And then you had the CP400, and I'm not sure which one is this one here. It's uh, Prologica Solutions uh, 16. Is this from Prologica? Oh my God. Yeah. That's an eight-inch drive, isn't it? Uh, what's the name? Solution sixteen. Yeah, it's probably written up here. Yeah. That's yeah, solution something, and yeah, big old eight-inch drive. So it's somebody. Look at that keyboard. Somebody. I don't what's think it? I've ever seen. This what's one. the yellow key say? Maybe Ooh. right. <laughs> Arm <Maybe> nukes. <laughs> But strikes curiosity. It's too cold. Yeah, attention grabbing. You're supposed to hit them too for something. <laughs> now that would fold up into it also, huh? Yeah, it looks like it does. Just the uh -huh. way the keyboard cable comes yeah. out beside the screen there. Mm -hmm. And there Probably is a kind of an opening around the front right. of the click, click. bezel. And there's this red cable or something which probably keeps it attached. Yeah. Right. Let's see what we have next. Then, uh, we had some uh, more video game stuff, uh, tabletop pinball machines pinball. popping up. Uh, here's another picture of the whole thing, right? It's probably a little bit early in the day. So you got a bit more crowded than this and you have the whole classic, classic one. You ones. actually had a couple of females in there, huh? Uh, actually a lot. We live in a, we live in, in a, we live in a town, uh, we live in an island, right? And it's sort of like a tropical island, so it gets cold. And uh, so there's a lot of, uh, uh, the value of aesthetics is very strong around here. It's like full of beaches and all that. So there, there are girls everywhere. Uh, more, they, they take more part into this kind of stuff than you would see in Sao Paulo, for example. Oh. It's uh you have a, a broader public when it comes to the south part of Brazil. So just a whole bunch of fun. I, I really enjoyed the joystick from the Odyssey. I think it's really nice. And you have that CPC again, uh, with this interesting add-on here. Right. It's pretty great. Color they spell color even different there. Yes, I see a color. Yeah, yet another color. That's Frenchish sort of. <laughs> Yeah. Original too. Yeah, same same spelling. Yeah, or color or well, this is yeah, this is not English color or American color. This is French color. So we're we're getting. It's very interesting their choice for it is written uh, in colors. French. Yeah, colors they have oh, on the keyboard oh, is pretty personal color. It's a dirty keyboard too. Yeah, so it is a French Amstrad. Me here with with a broken French cassette recorder. Yeah, and the monitor, <laughs> monitor. 
Moneter. Moneter. So it's a good thing Moneter. you have the add-on with the SD card because I bet you that cassette recorder doesn't. Sure. Frederico could translate all these because he is French speaking, so he knows exactly how to say all these words. <laughs> I can see some of, even some of the, the characters here are probably French related. Anyways, let's see what else we have here. Then we have the pinball guys, right? And then we have this famous hey. person mm. here. My friend. Hey. It's like a suspect to me. That's yep. a star. Star of the show, right? We uh, had this uh, gentleman here. Yeah. Is this a Coco VGA going on? Uh, no, no. Uh, yeah, nope. doctor from Ed Snyder. Oh, right. So, um, yeah. So you... to S visual or composite. Yeah, so you're right. able to do a high color picture, huh? Hmm. So this is like uh, artifact colors on the Color Computer 3. Mm -hmm. hmm. Very nice. Yeah, from right here in Arizona. Here you have uh, the the kind of SDC card Victor Truco does here in Brazil. It stays mm -hmm. a little bit raised here, but it fits nicely. And uh, here is a video. I'm not sure if you guys can can you guys see it? Yep. Yeah. Right. Just just a little loop from the the beginning of the event. So this is probably early in the morning. And uh, we had this uh, very nice area outside here with food trucks. Air condition going on, pretty great. It's actually very hot in Brazil at this time. I appreciate so you, the ductwork. <laughs> could you uh, talk to somebody on one side of the room and have them hear you on the other side? You know, would it Here? carry over? No, impossible. The no. Uh, the the noise from all the machines. Uh, this is this is this uh -oh. uh, going around here was like going around uh, an arcade back in the days. Lots of okay. noise, lots of talk. Gotcha. Yeah, it all yeah. came right back down. Well, that probably raises the excitement when you first get mm. there to hear all that stuff going on. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's one of the nice elements of uh, this yep. kind of show. The the especially the noise. It's a nice element. Did they have stuff for sale? Did they have a for sale area or you know? Yes, a lot of the stuff here. Uh, there is a mix between uh, people who are selling hetero stuff, people who are showcasing uh, rare and museum elements like old computers. And uh, some of this stuff is available for people to play, the majority of them. Unless they are extremely rare, then they are encased in acrylics. And uh, so you have the people selling stuff, people showcasing stuff like museum, and you have developers. So uh, the, 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 the event currently has these three strong parts and uh, the, the championship, right? We run uh, old video game championships, Street Fighter II championships, the old ones. So we have a, an arcade area here where we do this this part of stuff. Hopefully, in future, we can add uh, speech from people, uh, probably workshops and some kind of stuff. Maybe one of you guys will come over and give a speech. That would be nice. <laughs> Kyron, Kyron, right? Is that right? Kyron, Kyron, how you pronounce? Siren. How do you say Kyron. Kyron. Siren. Kyron. 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 Kieran, maybe Kieran will come in next year and give a speech on X4. I'm pretty sure everybody will. <laughs> it's love only it. a couple thousand miles. What the heck? It's very close. Here's another one. Some more crowded uh, time. So you get to see here the kids playing. Um, most of the machines were available for people to play and to mess with. Let's, let me get this first part here. Here. Oh, you see the girls here. 
I see family and kids. So it's a pretty great show. The, the location is uh, truly outstanding. Thank you. It's a lot of room. Nobody bumping on each other. The spaces to to chat with people. Really excellent. Really. So they they had uh, power power lines going to all the tables and everything. It looks like you you couldn't even see where they were. Yep, they are uh, very well done. They are under the table here, mm -hmm. and uh, you have lines for each of the of the of the the, the columns. The, the lines you have here, you have like a central line for each of everyone. Uh, no cables oh, yeah. crossing by. It's, it was it's pretty well organized. This uh, everything it's pretty great. Um, let's see. I think this should be pretty much it. The videos were the last ones. Let's see if there is more. Nope, that's it. It looks All like right. a really good show. Like you said, well mm -hmm. attended. Um, uh -huh. it, yes. it looks like you're. If you guys keep expanding the number of people coming, like you did between last year and this year, you might have to get a bigger building again here pretty soon. Yes, this, uh, there's one thing is, uh, at least as far as I know, uh, when it comes to hetero festivals in Brazil, I believe this one, if, if it's not the biggest right now, it's uh, very close to being the biggest. <coughs> I'm sorry. So uh, it's, uh, the, the, it's the 12th edition. So people probably been working on this more than a decade. Luciano's probably uh, how how old is uh, how old is SC, Luciano? More than twelve years. Uh, I can't understand that. Oh, how old is Hetero SC? Ah, Hetero SC uh, first meeting uh, occurred in two thousand sixteen. Two thousand sixteen. So we have seven years of hope. Seven years. Uh, did uh, what about before this? Did you have uh, a club? Or a sort of a smaller meeting before getting into uh, an event of this size. Okay, some members um, have another meeting, uh, like uh, Channel Three, Channel Three in, in Portuguese. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, me and Daniel and the others uh, meeting, and Rio Janeiro at Club Palo Rio meeting during mm -hmm. uh, 2015. Um, <laughs> Have a CRFAC meeting in Sao Paulo, another edition before. But uh, and uh, CRFAC edition, uh, sorry, CRFAC meeting, I, I can't attend. Uh, just uh, travel to Rio de Janeiro in 2015 in first meeting of the Club Paro Rio. All right, so uh, the, this Hetero at Sea was something that that it has been growing from these meetings and clubs. Is it for more than 10 years? It's just 10 years now? Or okay, have you guys been doing this ever since, in the, since the 80s, keeping clubs from the 80s up to today? Maybe you and Danielle, most likely. Danielle, most likely. I think I recall Danielle from back in the days. Uh, yeah. Uh, we joined uh, since 2015 as a... Uh, Initiative from Daniel. Uh, he proposed the first meeting uh, of Club Palo Rio. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Earlier, uh, interactions and contacts is just um, uh, by Coco uh, 3 and CP400, uh, the Google listings. Okay. Just listening. Right. Um, at time of our group, 
uh, we have uh, 6,400 uh, groups too, but I can't can, uh, talk to Daniel uh, at this time. And, and uh, that's it. Group. And Facebook group, okay. Right. So, uh, what what can I tell about you guys about this show is that it it is really growing every year, and it's uh it's growing in quality, right? We uh the, the every every issue that that hits quality gets better every iteration, and this year was uh, truly fantastic. And uh, hopefully, we're going to become the biggest hat throw event there is in Brazil. Currently, I believe we are. And it's just like I said, uh, the quality of people involved is getting better and better. And uh, the, the, the whole operation is getting uh, fine, right? It's being fine-tuned. It's getting better all the time. Yeah, it looks I... like a really great show, well-attended, uh, professional displays, a, a lot of history there. Um, mm -hmm. Do you guys already have it booked for next year? Like, would you guys be able to give dates in case people want to try to plan ahead to try to make the trip? That's interesting. Do we have dates, Luciano, for next year? Okay. Uh, the next half of which was programmed for uh, my 2024, okay? May, this the... At Blumenau, San Catalina, mm -hmm. north of the state, okay? And at Capital, Coronopolis, uh, we have a probably meeting at uh, November 2400. Yes. Uh, so, uh, so, so, this key, so, sorry, keep on. Sorry. Uh, November, today is November, probably and at 9 or at 16 November 2024, mm -hmm. okay? 24. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we do have these, uh, the Hatchery the C happens, uh, currently happens in two cities, right? The capital event, which usually happens around November. And like Luciano said, the next one is probably going to be 9 of November Four. or 14, one, one of these two weekends. And uh, the version that happens in Blumenau will happen in May, so kind of like early next year. Hopefully, I'll try to attend that one. It's um, it's um, three hours away from the capital here, I believe. Right, Blumenau is some three, four hours from here. Yeah, uh, Blumenau was programmed uh, probably for May next year. All right, and uh, when it comes and... to sorry, keep on. Uh, okay, uh, uh, we can't forget for. Uh, the next color club food cover real meeting. Uh, it was programmed by Daniel, uh, probably mm. uh, April or May next year. Uh, which one? April or April or May? April or May. Yeah. Right. This uh, this event uh, organized by Daniel, uh, which happens uh, even which will probably happen April or May next year. It's the biggest color computer event, color computer dedicated event we have, and uh, it happens in Rio de Janeiro. And uh, we'll we'll try to get more pictures and uh, bring more of the results. Uh, every year we we bring it a little bit. I think I've seen on the Coco, uh, the Coco Nation before some yeah. pictures of Danielle's event. That's a that's a pretty nice one because you get only color computer related stuff. So it's very objective. Our interest. That's right near our own Coco Fest because our Coco Fest this next year is the beginning of May, the first weekend of May. Oh yes, they they happen close by. And uh, for those of you who would like to come to Brazil and visit, uh, if you're coming in November for the main, let's suppose for the main event, November is a pretty nice time to visit the south part of Brazil because it's hot and you get uh, kind of like not the highest uh, tourism time 
right? You get slightly uh, less tourists. It's like, you know, it's like half season. So it's not crowded. Everything is fine. And the weather is fine. And, you know, it's not full of tourists everywhere. So it's a good time to come visit Brazil and know the island and also get to the show. Now, ha have you guys uh, have anything like Coco Nation here over there where um, you podcast or anything? Not, uh, not actually color computer only related. We have some stuff that talks about different computers. We have, uh, I believe we have the guys from Retropolis, which uh, cover a, a different bunch of computers that uh, were important in Brazil. So they will cover color computers, they will cover MSX, right? And, um, but uh, specific to the color computer, no. We, we once in a while, we get into, we get together, we do uh, episodes, or you know, just a, a single show or something like that. We still have to do. A, we have to set our Coco Nation Brazilian version at some point. <laughs> Good. And we gotta we gotta update those graphics on the Coco Nation ah. the CP four hundred over there. Yeah, because we need about five more rows there. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you. I wonder. I wonder. Um, sometimes it, it's it bugs me. How come uh, Russia didn't do a color computer clone? Because they did clones of like a whole bunch of computers. Everything else, right? Uh, are we out of color computers in the world? We have the Alice's, Dragons, the color computers in Brazil. There was the sample from, where was that, Korea or something? In the early yeah. 80s? Mm. That's a fairly rare one, though. I've only seen pictures. We have the ones from Mexico, but they were they are rebranded Cocos. Yeah. Mm. Right. Uh, this. Uh, so that's uh, that's what we have to say about the show. It's uh, it's really nice one. It's uh, it's a good time of the year to come and visit. And uh, you guys are welcome, especially if you want to do yeah, some, it, some speech. As soon as you guys get the date firmed up, because it sounds like it's it's a, a toss between two different dates in November. As soon as you guys get the, the mm -hmm. dates firmed up there, uh, let us know and we'll announce it on the show. So anybody that wants to vacation down there in November, which getting away from the cold up here in Canada would be an awesome time to do it. Right. That's a good idea. <laughs> and uh, the... the this, the, the other thing I would like to, to talk about you with you guys is exactly this multi-card Luciano did here. Okay, let me take it off from the from the CP here so I can so I can show you guys close by. Yeah, so Luciano is a tech person, huh? Yes, Luciano's a hard is a... <laughs> Just, uh, Okay. So how much memory is on there? Uh, Multicart has a, a Apple chip uh, with um, 512 uh, bytes, okay? 512. And, and the 512K, then. Okay. So, uh, let, let me explain something about uh, take a look at the format. Uh, it's made from match for our uh, CP400 cabinet a uh, cartridge cabinet okay yes it will fit the cartridge uh, downside okay so cartridge mm -hmm. gotcha yep. yes that's how it fits on our on our carts i think mm -hmm. mauricio much mauricio i'm not sure he couldn't make it today but uh he's printing he's doing a lot of experimentation so, I'm here. Are you? I'm here. Oh, yes. Mauricio's <laughs> yes. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. Can you bring up three screens, Mark? <laughs> yeah. 
Mauricio, together with Luciano and Daniel, are these three guys. Uh, Mauricio, Daniel, and Luciano are probably the highest, uh, the highest level color computer preservers, collectors, and users we have in Brazil. If there's something hardware related, anything color computer related, it's uh, this gentleman here. You have to to look forward. Uh, uh, thank you about the the kind the, the kind of words, but uh, my collection. Um... Uh, don't get uh, from that the Lucianos have. Ah, uh, yeah, Luciano, no, big, it, it does get. Big as collector here. Yeah, Luciano's collection is uh, it's not something that it, it can be considered standard. It's just extraordinary. It, it, you can't compare to, it's impossible to compare to Luciano's collection. So it's Luciano is like uh, our uh, Brian. Weisler. Yeah, Brian Weasler. Yeah. <laughs> that that's it. Got to collect right, them all. Yeah. Well, Luciano, yeah. I should make you some artwork for yours, <laughs> for your collection, for your intro. Yeah, you come you're trying to drag him into a recurring bit on our show, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, <laughs> and you know, get him to share some of his stuff. Do you have a bunch of uh, of the um, obsolete stuff that on the table, right? It's hard to get, hard to see. Anymore. Uh, back there, you know, we no, talk about the show. On the show. Oh, on the show, yes. There was yeah. a lot of. Yeah. There was a lot of them. Let, let me see if you, if you guys can see the, uh, you guys can't see the picture behind me, right? Let's see if I can get this, uh, this bright a little bit smaller. This is uh, about this cart Luciano did that he was showing, this multi-cart. So yeah. it has this 512 memory. It can probably have, it, can, it may probably have more. I think he did something like uh, bank switching. There is a way of loading uh, these banks into the color computer as you, as you boot. So he, he coded this menu here. So this one here has Kalishtu Islands, Sequest, Shenanigans, Black Sanctum, Vortex Factory, all, all Brazilian versions, right? Track Bower, the Martian Crypt. And then you have uh, Brewmaster, Cashman, Color Card Action, Draconian. And this one here, it, it has F16 Assault. I would think it would be very hard to put F16 on a cart, right? Yeah, it was a 64K RAM required game from DICOM up in Canada. So you can page through the different games? Yes, and the uh, the second mm -hmm. the second you have you also have Lancer, Time Bandage, and Tutstone. so you have uh, fifteen different games here in a, a sort of a, one of uh, his uh, curated collections, right? Mm. So there are other multi cards number three. I think okay. this one is number nine, and uh, you I, I think you don't switch back to the menu. You run a game, execute a game, and then you reset the machine to get back to the, to the card contents. And to change well the card contents, do you do you actually flash it from the CP400 itself, or is it done on a PC and then transferred over in some way? Uh, let me try to understand that again. Uh, when you what? When you create? Like how how do you get the images onto the flash RAM that's on the on the cart? Is it through the CP400? Does it itself, or is it how? something you have to like set up on a PC and then transfer over with an SD card or something? How does that happen, Luciano? How do you get the, the codes on the ship? I, I think it's a collaborative work, okay? I first, I see announced by John Lindsay of uh, Game Master Catherine, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, he used 
Caesar uh, article, article, uh, from Greg Tim Tumov, breaking the structural care barrier. Uh, he describes how we made uh, a set of characters bank switching. Uh, uh, yeah, he did that in Robocop and Predator. Yeah, Robocop. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um, after I make a dump of a top turner, a cat, right? And a Guillaume manager from Color uh, Computer Archive uh, sent me a routine uh, he used to load um, a, a regular font, a font, a dot bin uh, program and transfer byte to byte or two byte to uh, by two bytes the content loaded to cartridge. Uh, uh, okay. I Right, uh, I got uh, some sort of curiosity, and uh, how I can put um, um, programs uh, uh, with more than 16k uh, bytes uh, in a cartridge. In uh, I started uh, to study the routing, the bank switching, and make a prototype of the cartridge. Uh, but in the emulator, it started uh, working some as uh, like glam uh, standing, but making exactly uh, with deposit, okay? Bank mm -hmm. switching, loading a part of the program, and the bank switching to bank two, loaded uh, the next part, and jump. Um, at first time, I make uh, some tests with uh, games with less than uh, 16 kbytes uh, length, okay? And mm -hmm. worked well. Uh, second time, I uh, come with, uh, I start with bank switching, but <laughs> as the edge computer uh, switch to bank 2, um, by example, uh, he, uh, it refreshed the cash ratio area. So the, my loader uh, doesn't work anymore, okay? And I talk with John Linville and tell me, oh, Luciano, exactly what happened, man. Uh, the computer, uh, with that, the computer refreshed this area. You, you can uh, make a routine to loader, uh, a new loader to another area, and then the could from, from then. Um, then uh, it's very easy to make a bootloader routine who loads the loader, transfers to another area of memory uh, to program it will be loaded, then use, and take it from here. And it will uh, load part one from part zero, part two from part one, part, part three from part three, to it and uh, between banks, and it will. It's for enough to, to make some cartridge, uh, um, call it Megaron. Nice. No, Puyam. Yeah, Puyam. I make a, a, a couple versions, but uh, sorry, I have bad time. We have, yeah, S16FL. This other one will fit a color computer original cart, right? You were able yeah. to put this one on the real cart. So he does all the um, the burning of the ROM, uh, the those ROMs, flash ROMs or whatever, yeah. Sticks them yes. on the card, so it, yeah. it's it's not like you're 
um, you're not having a software program on um, your color computer and you're not loading them up into the ROMs from the color computer, you do it on a, a program that ro loads ROMs, in other words. Yes, I think yeah. I think it's from outside. Well, Luciano did try uh, did explain me how exactly the cards work, but uh, I'm a since I'm a zero hardware guy, it's hard to understand. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. It, it has something to do with the 60k blocks as you were loading a, a bigger bigger blocks program. Uh, whenever you load a block, you have to reposition the loader to a different area and then run the loader again, run another block. Yeah, basically you'd load in 16K banks and you'd copy it into RAM. And if the game's bigger than that, you'd have to map in the next bank and copy that mm -hmm. into the RAM and until you got the whole program and then you'd run it. And there is something that the loader uh, gets uh, gets wiped on the process that has to be reloaded or relocated depending on the on the code. There's something, uh, there's something weird. I, I really don't understand well. There is an, another thing about the, the color computer carts that uh, you don't see on the, on the American ones is that uh, uh, the connector of the color computer card is protected by a plastic kind of, um, uh, there's like a plastic protector that gets pulled back as you push the cart. Yeah, the little spring computer. door thing on our cartridges that yeah, cover the pins. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. That's that spring thing. I know. Uh, does the does the Coco original have that one too, or no? I thought they were well, exposed like an Atari card. The Coco does two things. They have the little door, and then the power pin is a little bit short. So if you just cram the cartridge in, theoretically, all of the signal lines are connected before the power goes up. Hmm. Theoretically. <laughs> yeah, if you try oh, hard yeah. enough, you can still short it by going. Crooked. Yeah, you you can kill it, but yeah, if you if you do everything just right, you can. Like the Radio Shack, uh, the the salesman used to just hold in the reset button and cram a cart in and let the reset button go. And that, I'm not sure. And I'm not that sure. I will mention that some third party carts, though, uh, like the modern ones, some of the Coca ones have been done recently in the last five to ten years. Uh, do not have the door because that's you know you have to get a spring and you know try to right, make this door make so they just door, make it a straight yeah. plug. And some of the third-party hardware cards like the Eliminator from Frank Hogg, which was like a hard drive floppy serial port, real-time clock, parallel port controller, all in one. That just plugged straight in. There was no door at all in those. Hmm. That's interesting. I uh, well, was surprised that I... say say it, Nick. I, I was going to say the door was all about the tin-plated fingers. So if you if you ever actually touch them, they would rust. <laughs> so so the plastic door was cheaper than gold plated fingers. That's what it came out to. Yeah, I was uh, in I my humble of, opinion. Sorry. On the on the CP four hundred card back in the day, I kind of forgot that they had this spring system to protect the connector, and uh, it was just these days I was thinking about printing Brazilian cards that I stumble into that and uh, oh my God, printing and doing all that stuff is a, a lot of extra work. Probably have something exposed that is more practical nowadays. Mm -hmm. This, uh, I'm not sure if uh, Mauricio, Mauricio was going to be a bit busy today with uh, some issues, some private issues of his. So I'm not sure if he's uh, actually uh, home, right? Or he's uh, actually available, but he does have a whole bunch of uh, Brazilian cards printed right, of different colors and different materials he's been looking at. And uh, I'm not sure he might also have that joystick uh, I was talking about. Is it is it Mauricio that has uh, that, that analog joystick, Luciano? 
I think the Jurassic Progress is, is made by Giovanni, huh? Giovanni. Giovanni Guau. Hmm. Yes, that's a that's a, it's a chap here who's constructing a analog joystick. And, Hi guys, uh, yeah. it's the most yeah. amazing. Do you have, oh yes, oh, that, there oh, you take a look go. at that. No, can uh, we can we make that huge? Oh yeah, there you go. Oh my god. Oh right on. Yeah. Uh, okay, now everyone can see it. That's beautiful. I really would like to to play around <laughs> with that. The, the are you just is... prototyping those, Bruce, or are you actually manufacturing those for sale? Um, so uh, it's very expensive to to do for sailing because um, the components um, we 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 have a lot of custom techs today to import from China. Yes, and, our customs are horrible. Yes, and then to make uh, one of this is uh, probably near. Uh, it's, it's probably the same from by some some uh dandy or 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 um original control joystick from ebay hmm. because we have the the the, the 3d uh, print uh, custom the the custom taxes and then assembly all the joystick but uh uh, uh i i can make for for sell him uh, mm -hmm. For sale, it's but uh, I'm on the list. It's not cheap. I'll be on the list. The thing, uh, the thing, Maurice is saying is that uh, currently here in Brazil, this um, uh, the current government ongoing is uh, has raised taxes on uh, importing stuff. So uh, if we require services of uh, PSP, PCB manufacturers from outside, or if you're going to import components from China. We are looking at paying something like uh, like two or three times the price of the com the components would cost, right? They would say like it's like sixty percent uh, taxes over the whole price, including shipping. So uh, that's one problem uh, that we are currently facing in Brazil. Uh, getting parts to create something then to export or to sell makes it very expensive. Uh, what I was double, gonna... double price, one hundred percent. The hmm. taxes uh, is about at uh, least uh, percent. At least okay. one hundred. It might come higher than that. Yeah. This this. Uh, I was going to ask you about this control, this joystick. What is uh? What are the the parts? The the analog parts. How's that being sold? So the, what are the, the 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 like the motors, the engines? What are the I'll pieces that? Aliexpress sell the the this um, assemblage. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, these have, have two um, pot potentiometers. I I don't mm -hmm. I don't yeah. know. Uh, That's what they're called. Can... Yeah, potentiometers. Yeah. What yeah. Mm -hmm. This part um, came all over assembled. Then right. uh, Giovanni Giovanni made the the, the case the, pro the, the case. project. Yeah, uh, um, I use it Arduino buttons. Click buttons, right? Um, cable, DIN, connector, and it's very simple, but it's uh, a beauty. What about, yes, I, I, I think it, it is. What about uh, precision? Do you get a uh, higher precision from these components? Are they the same as the color standard? Good precision. But uh, I, I use this component, use a 10K, 10K uh, 
potentiometers. The original uh, used uh, one hundred fifty. No, one hundred. Yeah, the color computer one hundred fifty. But it's still balanced, so 10K should be good on a Coco. That's not too much current. Hmm. Yeah. Either yeah, way, uh, I, hope, I hope to have it one day in my hand. <laughs> Those should hey, work. Um, well, I, actually, Erico, if, if you want, like you're on our Discord, if I remember correctly. So if you can, maybe if, if Luciano and, and Mauricio and anybody else in Brazil is selling stuff for CP4s or Cocos or, or Dragons or whatever, we should get some links maybe to where people can inquire about them and maybe order stuff if they want to. Mm -hmm. And uh, we can actually post it up in our Discord so people can find it. Yes. Uh, when it comes to uh, selling... First, when it comes to heterocomputers itself, if you're looking for CP400s or this kind of stuff or joysticks or anything uh, you would like for a collection purpose, I, uh, that, that's my opinion. I highly recommend looking for equipment sold by this gentleman here, right? Mostly because uh, the computer you're going to buy is going to be revised. It's going to be clean and it's going to be on shape. And there are people I trust. It's a really complicated to buy stuff from Brazil sometimes. Would well, right? you have to come down to your show and pick it up, I think, right? <laughs> Most of the time, it's best for you to come over and pick it up. It's, it's, but at um, least make sure you're buying something that's worth buying. So, yeah. yeah. Yes. And, uh, and uh, these people know what they're doing. The things are very extremely well packaged, right? And when you buy stuff from, uh, you know, when you buy ancient computer stuff, you really want to see that packet. If it's possible, put it on a wooden crate or something like that. <clears throat> so it has this level of attention. Things are revised, they're, they're tested. So same same as this CP400 they got from uh, Mauritius, everything perfect, everything functional. So that's one I that's one thing I have to say. Uh, they both, other than occasionally sell computers, but mostly for uh, collectors. It's not sold for you know for the purpose of making money only. It has to go to a place where somebody will take care of the machine because they are rare, right? It's, yeah. uh, you don't. Uh, I, I was even wondering if uh, how many CP400s are manufactured and sold in Brazil. Uh, do, do you guys know how many? No, no idea. Mauricio, do you know how many CP400s? Daniel is the kind of guy for that info, right? I, I, uh, Brian, Brian, uh, both um, from me a couple of months. I go. Uh, I sell it about uh, uh, five hundred dollars. Uh, hmm. uh, a CP four hundred model two with two joysticks, manual, um, guarantee certificated, and hmm, the original ones. Thing, the the complete ones. Ah, well, what I can say about this, uh, the commerce part of things is that these people do sell this stuff once in a while. It's not every uh, all the time that things are available. Uh, Luciano sell these cards he's doing and probably other hardware projects he have there. Mauricio might have some other projects. So the link for these two guys are the uh, links you guys want to look at if you want Brazilian hardware. Victor Truco is an important guy too. You might want to check with him with uh, his color computer hardwares, right? And I'll, and I'll get the link to you guys from uh, the- Yeah, from yeah then we can post it up and anybody who's interested can go look it up mm -hmm. and you know, place orders if they want to. Victor Truco yep. has all sort of, uh, you know, uh, mini IDEs and uh, expansions, multi-card stuff. I believe he has something that works like, uh, uh, 
I can't remember the name of that card. Uh, what's the name of the card that you connect the Coco to the PC? DriveWire, that's it. I think I think Victor Troco has some DriveWire solution too. Ernani. Ernani Selly. Ernani. Right, so uh, from this uh, color computer group in Brazil, you would get on uh, WhatsApp or even the Facebook color computer in Brazil, you get most of these people there. And uh, most of the action that happens on the color computer will definitely pop in there. And I know you, some of you guys from around the world are there, right? I've seen you guys sign me. Yeah, send, send me the link for that too. And I'll make sure we post that in our Discord as well, just so that you know people that come and watch the show you know, after the fact can find it then. All right, we'll do so. Yeah, for those for those of you that saw my uh, CP400 Color 2 at Coco Fest uh, last year, I bought that one from Marcio. Uh, it was in it was as you said it was parked it was packaged very well, and the machine worked well. I I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Brian. It's uh it's probably it's it's probably uh, a lot of work because shipping stuff from Brazil to to outside of Brazil is a complicated thing. Right, especially making sure that the company that's taking it is is gonna do a proper, proper and, and thing. Very expensive. Um, uh, spend, spend, uh, yes. um, very expensive. Very expensive. Yes. Very expensive. So the the mailing service in Brazil is still a little bit weird these days. It's uh, quite expensive to send things outside and quite expensive to bring things into. Well, but that's uh that's a nice table you have back there, Mauricio. I see a lot of action going on. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, guys. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks, guys, for coming on. Thanks for sharing all the, the photos and all the hardware projects and stuff that you guys are doing here, uh, photos from the show, et cetera. Uh, definitely let us know when you guys get the date firmed up for the next one. All right. Because I, I definitely want to try to get that advertised as, as far ahead as possible in case somebody wants to get a, a holiday in there and go check it out. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, just say, uh, I, I, I say... Uh, Early, uh, this is a collaborative uh, project, okay? It's um, uh, uh, nowadays it's the testing phase, and uh, but a lot uh, some projects, but I have uh, to get time to finish him, okay? And mm -hmm. about multicast, um, okay? Uh, image of Zippo, uh, you can save perfectly on flashback was sold uh, from the site of Retro Innovation mm -hmm. in North America. Okay. Oh, retro, retro Innovations, did you say? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah it's Jim Brains. Oh, yeah. Cool. Jim Brains. Um, I, I talked uh, with him about uh, when a, a project in the boot start, uh, when I, I developed in uh, the protocol. Nice. He used the same, uh, the same, uh, uh, <clears throat> Sorry, it used the same bank switching uh, uh, scheme, okay, and uh, same uh, length of uh, each uh, bank, okay. It, so banks. can uh, uh, save the April image uh, in the flashback uh, original or a flashback April. Okay, so I will. Uh, make some modifications in the releases uh, it is soon pra, um, for uh, everyone uh, who wants to make a, a flashback with multicard image. Oh, nice! You're gonna so you're gonna release uh, those files. The project is it, is it is that it? Yeah. So just some uh, just some more fine tuning prior to that. So in North America, 
you can about um, a flashback um, about the uh, Frank about the twenty-five verse, okay? And they right. the um, record being made uh, for for the April or for the M D flash in M N D flash. Uh, with um, uh, for another regular atom burner, it's fine. Mm -hmm. All right, we are eager. I'll be eager to see those when they're done. It's a good thing that oh. we live close by. I can see it personally. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thanks again, guys. Uh, feel free to hang around uh, on the show if you want to and you know, get involved in the other discussions. But if you actually have real lives, feel free to get back to those too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I'll be around for a little while. Thank, thanks for coming in, Mauricio. So it's a great, great see you, and uh, thanks for Luciano too. So it's uh, it's very hard to get. Sometimes it's hard to get uh, the the color computer people all together in uh, in the same weekend. These people are also busy. Like, yeah, it just feels like yeah. I am the only person who's not busy. Damn it. <laughs> Anyways, thanks thanks for the time, people. I'll be around here for a little while. I might have to stand for uh, a, a few things, but I'll be around watching the show for sure. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Now, I know Karen's up next, but do we want to go to a bit of a commercial break in case anybody yeah. needs to grab a coffee or something? Yeah, it's that Karen stuff that I really want to take a look. Curious okay. about that. Commercial break? All right. Hey, hey Amy. Hey, Taylor. We're watching the Coco Nation show. Yeah, we are. Woo! You should too. It's your good buddy, your good pal, Amigo, and joined by that dastardly The Brent from ARG Presents. You're watching Coco Nation. I feel like that should have been longer. The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gare, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Kieran Anscombe, Coconut Bob, Daddy Burrito, Diego BF109, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Wapke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Kevin Holloway, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, Terry Stege, TJB Chris, Tom C, Tom Gunderson, Tom S, and William A. Thing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment Who's New to Discord? Chakabsa says, Thanks. Chakabsa, aka Chris. Found this via the WOD website. Huge fan of 8 bits. As I said, first machine was a Dragon 32 followed by an Atari 130XE. Friends has C64s and Spectrums. I'm in the UK. Just acquired a PSU mod board and RGB out to fit to the Dragon.
the previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Alex Geyer, Boysen, Glenside Computer Club, Paul Fiscarelli, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. See you on Discord! And we are back. <clears throat> uh, next up, I believe we have Karen. Yep, he's got his update to this his Sam project. Uh, I've got a, a video for that he posted on Facebook. I'll show a bit later, but I'll let uh, Karen show off the uh, little board first, so people can see what it is. And Karen, do you want to explain exactly what it is and and what it does, and some of the extra features you've added from this stock? Okay. Do we need an intro to the Sam itself? A, a brief one, just to kind of explain what it does. Okay. Yes, so, please, please. Okay. So my project I've called SAMX4 because it's a replacement for the for the SAM, for the SAM chip in our machines. Um, not the Coco Three, but the Dragon Coco One Two, and most of the ones you just saw. Mm -hmm. uh, it generates the timing signals for for the rest of the machine, and it slices things up so that the CPU and video chip can access the RAM without contending with each other. Um, it also, as part of that, to, to, to save cost, I guess, and save the number of pins that the SAM had to have, it, it sort of simulates the memory access pattern that the video chip would have had within itself. And by mixing and matching what, what you tell the SAM the video mode is and what you tell the, the VDG the video mode is, we get those nice little semi-graphics modes that we all know and love. And it lets you select between three different CPU rates. You slow, fast, and a sort of middle ground where it'll run faster if it can. Um, and my project does that. Uh, it's a I've got I've got a little board here. I'll hold it up to the camera. <laughs> there you go. So basically in this case, you just unplug the existing SAM, say if you blew it or something like that, and this just plugs right into the socket. Yep. So this is, this is a proof of concept, and it uses a CPLD. And yeah, it is, it is, uh, I can't point, but it it will just plug plug straight in, and it does work. Um, cool. it's, but it's not really the point. This this isn't really a product. It's not really the point of it. I mean, the the main point of it is that I have fun doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but but the but the next thing is is that we have a hardware definition. Written in a language, you know, written in VHDL, of how the SAM behaves, and hopefully some of the it's some of the more unexpected behavior of it, some of the things that are un undocumented um, that people may be using, <laughs> so that it can be used in new products. Because obviously, if you if you wanted to build a new machine, the SAM, to the best of my knowledge, it's one of those chips that's going away. It, we the, you can't really find new ones because they were only really used in our machines. Am I right about that? It was a custom exactly. design between Tandy and Motorola to replace a bunch of chips that the Coco one would have needed. So yeah, it was a, a custom design. Yeah. And it's so, yeah. so, and because it was I was gonna say but, because uh, it was the secret sauce that made this whole design work. You had to yeah. have the video and the RAM sharing, you know, the video and the CPU sharing RAM. So this is it. This, this is what's needed to make any new Coco-ish design. 
And the yeah, because the Coco One, Two, Dragon Thirty Two, Dragon Sixty Four, the CP Four Hundreds. I'm assuming all the Coco clones in Brazil would be using mm-hmm. the SAM uh, to handle some of the graphics and the RAM, like you were saying. And it's a chip that's getting harder and harder to main or to find. And then the Salt chip was the other one that was you know hard to find. And Iraqis already made a replacement for that. Now you've designed a replacement for the SAM. So now we have at least a way. Once those chips completely dry up and you can't find them anymore, that you can actually yes. duplicate them. Yeah, being a being pro, being a proprietary ship like that, uh, custom made. Uh, this is it. Is the design open and accessible for you to replicate, um, or you have to so hunt? This is um, published. There it is. You can oh, download nice. it. It's. Um, I'm using the what is it? The Creative Commons share alike with attribution license. Oh. To get the with attribution in there, um, right. yeah, right. <laughs> now, have you had any talks um, with any oh, yeah, hardware sorry. manufacturers for making it there, Karen, or for people that aren't into building their own? So I did not build this. All I all I do to this is stick legs to it and solder a few bypass caps on the back. Um, I got JLC GL, PCB to build that for me. Right. Again, this is not really a product <laughs> because yeah. it's not cost effective this cost about the each individual one of these uh getting five of them built at a time I and mean, go down if you if you've got more more of them cost about 21 pounds each so right. and, and, uh, not 48 pounds of shipping so let's not forget that it's actually not too bad <laughs> okay but if you're building and design there is now the logic and a modern chip where you can slog into your design and it works yeah, so I could do any kind of Coco Sam thing I want to do. So, example, if if, if Pedro uh, Rocky Hill put that design into where the Sam would go on his Coco one and two reproduction boards, he could actually have it just built right in and not have to worry about trying to find a Sam chip at all. Mm. Yeah, and I think Julie has an example. Started work on. Yeah, your Dragon sixty four. You've been reproducing the motherboard there. Too, yeah. <laughs> but but you're not selling it, or you're not trying to. Or marketed, if you want to say, uh, as a SAM replacement only. You I mean, you should be trying to market it as something more like uh, RAM, uh, the ability to access more RAM, access to uh, double clock speed. Um, but wait, there's that more. Said, the twenty dollars might be worthwhile, <laughs> but the other way, I mean, because yeah, it's an upgrade. It's not just a replacement at that point. With your, especially with the two fifty six k banker stuff, you got. Yeah. So, so does it allow? Does it allow two megahertz operation on the Coco One and Two properly? No, no, it is simply a replacement for the SAM. Oh, it is a replacement. Oh, okay. You, can, you might be able to take the code and start to develop. Weird things. <laughs> yeah. or, oh, I have a visitor. Hang on. You have a spy. No, I don't. <laughs> oh, <a> spy. <laughs> You're not alone. And, uh, and honestly, twenty dollars is not not that bad. You spend that much on lunch. Right, if you get down to it. Okay. But it's nice. Yeah. The capability that the SAM used to ha- present is now present again. Yeah. Yeah. Because, it, it, yeah. I mean, if, if the SAM completely dried up supply of SAMs that we can get because they're no longer manufactured, I mean, we've seen what's happened to Coco 3s that are no longer manufactured, and they're costing like $500 US to right. replace now. So $20 for a SAM chip is actually not that bad at all. Uh, but do yeah. you want to explain like the banker stuff there? Because you did add some extra features in, in your design. Yeah. So the, the it's it, it's not features I planned out. This is from the from um I copied 
I basically used um, used um, Stuart Orchard's description of his 256k banker board to add those functions to this because I, you know, from from the get go, I, I just built that in because I thought, why not see if it'll fit? Um, and it did. So so I so I kept it in, and there is if I, if I hold it up again, there is a little pin at the bottom marked Z8. That's your that's your eighth, sorry, ninth address pin that gets multiplexed to the DRAMs. Um, so if you have 41256 ICs in your board instead, you can hook them all up and you can hook up the extra address line and you can get 256K. The banking method isn't great. It's not very intuitive, um, but it's there. Yeah, technically you can use that to get 256K. It's not the best way of doing that, but it... But it, but it does replicate behavior that existed before, so that might be useful. Yeah, because Ken Ken Waters is on the call too. Hopefully he's still awake. Um, he's actually got the JNR uh, 256K banker board in his Coco 2, and I know they also made a 512K version at one point. But it's a 32K bank, 32K bank so you can map in the upper or lower. You can just design which bank you want to do. So I'm assuming yours works similar to that. Yeah, I think I think the way it is is that there's a there's really four banks of 64k, and you can select which of those is mapped to the lower and upper 64k of the 6809's address space. Um, you're not you can't pick an upper 32k and map it to the lower 32k of address space. You pick one of four. <laughs> oh, okay, that's so I think a it's weird. a little bit different than the JNR banker. I think then I think that does. Ken, you haven't had a chance to fiddle with it enough to figure out if it's 32k I, banking. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure it out. As uh not that familiar with something like that. It's taken me a while. So if you wanted to load something in, say you've got a you know 64k bank currently in and you want to start loading the second bank, you'd have to basically pull the data into the registers, flip the bank over, and then do the store of those registers into the new location. Like you can't directly copy memory to memory going between 64k banks. Is that correct? Um, so if you wanted to copy from the top 32k of one bank to the top 32k of another bank, yeah, you'd have to do that. And if you wanted to, like you said, 64k bank, so if the first one, your upper and lower, say you're trying to copy the lower one to the upper one, but the upper of, you know, the 128k area or something, you still have to flip between the two and those copy via registers select, or? Those you can select separately. So you can have the, you can have the top 60, top 32k mapped from one bank and the bottom 32k mapped from a different bank. Oh, okay. So you do have control at the 32K level. So, okay, so that's you, what I was wondering. You've got a little bit of control. Okay, yeah, the way you originally described it, I thought you had to swap all 64K, period, at a time. But if you can actually control which no, no. is lower, which is upper, that's that's different. Yeah, you just can't take an upper and put it lower, but you can have different uppers and different lowers. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. What CPLD are you using? So that's a Xilinx 9500 series XL. It's a 95144, and it uses 101 macro cells in its current, des current design. I think that drops to about 95 if I strip out the 256K stuff. So, um, you can get more back if you get rid of the refresh stuff, which obviously if you're using SRAMs, mm -hmm. you need any of the, re the refresh circuitry, the, the, um, the refresh stuff. So... Um, yeah, you can you can claw things back here and there, but it's still using quite a lot of the CPLD. Interesting. And uh, is it a hard CPLD to find, um, or is it mm. common? They're old, 
that I think they're discontinued, but they're not hard to find. Um, so as I say, JLC PCB built these for me and they were in stock. Right. An extended part for them, so you pay a bit more for them to use it, but, mm. but they have them. So for, for ages, once um, when we had the, the big shortages, they all went away, but these came back. Right. But they seem to be generally you can you can get them. Don't that is in fact my baseline if GLC has them, they're back in stock. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless of their technical availability, if GLC has them, they're in stock. <laughs> that means that's that one is, way to see it what is their LLC, LLC whatever their parent company is has them because JLC just kind of sponges off of them so uh, yeah this is good that's a good hey sign. can you guys see my screen share of his uh, board design that he's I've yes. got zoomed up from this yes it's really post. nice he's got a link here if you want to actually get you know the, the details mm -hmm. and um I see you have your your JTAG uh, header there for programming it, and do you have anything special to use to program it, or do you need uh, can you use any like a, a Mini Pro with the adapter? Would that work? I have a a Xilinx platform cable, and I've not tried to use anything else, <laughs> um, so I don't know. <laughs> Um, I'm pretty sure mine isn't an official Xilinx platform cable, but it does work. So yeah. using the Xilinx software. Um, and I want to play this little video demo because this is something you actually posted a couple of updates as the week progressed here type thing. So you had some, like this is using some hardware trickery and you can explain exactly what you're doing in the hardware trickery to get basically hardware scrolling, vertical scrolling out of the SAM and the VDG. Uh, but you had some problems with it was like waving around a little bit because the timing wasn't quite right. You want to explain what you had to fix and also what your little demo was doing here that you had to do the timing change. Are you going to play it or do you want to? Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is so nice. which version is this? This is the working version. Oh, good. Yeah. Lovely. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a sort of hardware scrolling. Um, this is based on work that Stuart Orchard did uh, determining how the video address held internally to the SAM glitches when you change video modes. Um, there are certain predictions you can make because what, you, what you're effectively doing when you change what the SAM thinks the video mode is, is you're selecting between various different dividers. There's an X divider and a Y divider. Um, they don't necessarily match up to X along the screen and Y down, but approximately. Um, and you can predict that if you switched from the out from the output of one divider to the output of another divider, that that if they were different, that the the addresses in the rest of the address would ripple. If, if you saw like a falling edge, it would ripple. That's just how binary counters work. Um, but it's not as predictable as that. It turns out. And what Stuart observed, and you know, he, he took copious notes, and 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 he basically realized. Um, was that sometimes when you make those changes, there is a glitch where briefly the that output to the rest of the counter connects somewhere else, either to one of the other dividers or to ground. Um, and you can use it to skip addresses in a nice way. Um, so if you're very, very careful with timing, you can, at the top of the screen, skip an arbitrary number of addresses. So I draw that that little status line at the top, 
which is yeah, the running counter you got here. Yeah. Uh, and then over the next two scan lines, use this little glitching trick to advance the the address pointer on however yep. much. And by, by by varying that per frame, you can get a nice smooth scroll effect. There's some data you have to copy around, but it's nothing compared to copying the whole screen again. So that's definitely an improvement to the existing SAM. No. The existing no, this works SAM on the actual SAM. original SAM too. It's just <laughs> okay. kind of a hidden hidden trick. Ah, okay, okay. That's I wonder. part of why I wanted to do this is because I wanted to make sure that whatever we ended up with in terms of a, de a definition of a SAM did this. Actually worked. <laughs> yeah. Basically, what you're doing is the same thing Ed and Gary Becker have been doing with the Gimme X because they had to make sure all the Sockmaster demos run properly. Yeah. And that's like the gold standard. If you can get those to go. And this is the equivalent on the Coco 1, 2, and the Dragon because uh, you're pulling some yeah. you know video tricks here too that require precise timing and the uh, emulated chip has to be very precise to be able to duplicate that. Yeah. There's there's one more thing that that came out of this while while I was debugging this thing. There appears to be a three cycle delay, and I can't think I can't think of any other way that it could possibly have ended up that it could it could possibly be other than there is a three cycle delay between when you tell it what the video mode is and when it has an effect, without sort of pipelining the, the mode change through three three flip flops. <laughs> you know, it didn't work. There, there were, it missed one one scanline jump, which was not a glitch, but, but one of those divider switches that I originally mentioned. But because you're you have you don't have all the necessary macro cells available for that. If you got rid of the um, uh, the portion of the S, the dynamic RAM refresh, and you had those extra macrocells would you be able to have the necessary components or 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 is it just or is it just a, a the sam flip-flop thing where if you miss by a tiny bit you've missed by another full cycle yeah but, that, but if you're maybe but then there's parallel another something <laughs> yeah. um it's it's not a macro cell count thing i had to use more to make it to to pipeline yeah. the mode changes like this um mm. It seems You're to both. be what the original Sam does, and uh, there's no way we know for sure what's happening inside that thing, but that's what it appears to to do. Right. I would guess because you're both fighting over the same piece of RAM, if you miss any cycle by a tiny bit, then you've got to wait your next turn, and well, all of a sudden is... now it's many, many, you know, it's it's much longer than it would have been. But this is more about setting the internal registers. It's, yeah. it's how the registers have an effect on its internal counter. Um, maybe there's 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 enough sort of buffering between its internal address counter and what then makes it out to to the RAM address lines to to justify to, to explain that. But no, I can't, can't think of why. And more I, fun than your average video game. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> to, we're all gonna have to poke at this i'm thinking because i'm interested now besides your demo has there been any uh software like games or something that's been used to to use this type of routine because it sounds like it's a lot less cpu intensive than obviously doing the, the full copy it's just basically setting some timings uh not that i know of no 
Because you even demonstrate here that you have you know virtual sprites like running back and forth across at the same time. So oh, yeah, how much CPU time are you actually yeah, using for this precise smoke. timing? Um, I don't know, but well, we, but but no, you do know. <laughs> but to actually get to to do all the sand manipulation to get to that, you know, it has taken five scan lines, five seven scan lines. Sorry, so seven scan lines, plus whatever you needed to update to make sure that you're still seeing the right thing right at the top. There's there's a bit of making sure the bits, what you're jumping the address counter through is yields a white line. And there's a bit of making sure that, that the, the, the very top is still showing um, the gameplay screen where previously you might've drawn a bit of white line. <laughs> So are, are you using a software timing routine or using the H-Sync IRQ of some sort to, to time to time? At the beginning? And do you, do you basically just check the H-Sync for the first bit until you're into the scroll area and then you just don't have to worry about it until the rest of the B-Sync's finished? Uh, just just frame sync and then careful timing from then on, like Dragonfire. Okay. Well, but actually, there's something up, coming up about Dragonfire in the news, too, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> Anyway, it's, it, that's really cool, and I, 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 the fact that you're actually building 256K, because I know like some of the OS9 level 1 people, they bought these 256K and 512K boards for a RAM drive. The drivers are done, so if your scheme is fairly close to what JNR did, I, we probably won't even have to rewrite anything. It's just ready to go. Um, it might well be. Uh, I don't know if Stuart picked the same register layout that, that, that the original board had, but if he did, then yeah, should be. Um, yeah. I've not actually tested that. Under simulation... I see the extra address line do the right thing, but I haven't actually done done all the soldering to my board yet to 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 test you it. Fully tested, okay. Actual gotcha. DRAMs. So I mean, the big know, thing for me that's that's the bonus points. That's the I you know the Sunday uh, with the cherry on top type thing, but just having a, a way to get a Sam into a machine that has a blown one once you know you can't find them anymore. That's the big thing. Is that yeah. the, now we have an opportunity to 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 fix that whole. We we have a specification. Um, it is open source, um, and I mean, this CPLD is maybe it's special these days because because in order in order to have basically no extra circuitry on there, um, the CPLD has to be able to talk to the rest of the system at voltages that that they're both right. happy with. Um, that runs at three point three volts. There is a tiny little regulator at the top. Um, but it's five volt torrent for its inputs, and because it's CMOS, its three point three volt outputs are perfectly good enough for five volt right. TTL. Um, and whether that's doable with really modern chips, mm, you might need right. lots of level translators. But that's the, that's that's the important point: is you have the math for the SAM chip now, <laughs> and if you have to put it on some different chip, that's just an implementation problem. But yeah. you have the code to make a SAM. And if we want to make a new Coco, uh, you know, 6309 based system with the, you know, Coco style VDG, we can do that now. Yeah. It's not limited by probably. buying some 30 year old chip that you can't get. <laughs> yeah. So how nice. does this help um, OS9 level two? Is it that works on, or is it level one version two or? I'm regular Coco 2s, Coco 1s. It'd be level 1. And yeah, I mean, this 
It might, the implementation might be slightly different that you might have to change the driver a little bit based on the way that's done by Stuart and, and Kieran. But you should be able to run like, say, a, a, a 192K RAM drive, for example, which is well, what most of the good. JNR Banker stuff was used for. Or Ken, you've got some demos, I think, that came with the JNR Banker that, you know, even in basic lets you access like, I don't know how many P-Mode 4 screens you can do page flip animation or different you know maps of screens if you want to do a flip screen arcade game without having to draw it every time you can actually just preload like 10 of them and go there's a lot of opportunity for stuff you can do there and there's a few demos that actually demonstrate some of that stuff which we'll have to make sure it works with uh, the way you guys are mapping if it's any different than the jnr but i couldn't run planet engine on a coco 2 or one no no that requires a gimme yeah. and requires higher res yeah. graphics yeah. and you know, a whole bunch of other things right, way beyond right. yeah. i'm pushing it a little okay <laughs> yeah no, you're pushing it a little around. <laughs> yeah. well it's neat to see advances in the, in the old old stuff i mean coco 3 is old but not as old as coco 1 or 2 <laughs> but yeah like like i was mentioned before we've got you know pedro's done the the salt chip replacement the pepper board now you've got the sam replacement design that people can just download and you know get manufactured by pcboa or whoever and uh, maybe somebody will start picking up actually manufacturing would you have to talk to you about that first karen if somebody did want to manufacture and sell it as a replacement sam or i don't i, I don't know this particular <laughs> license you've got it under here that i don't know what that means share alike um as long as you put my name on it don't uh, it doesn't matter <laughs> Okay, that's what the attributable means, that you just want to make sure that people know that it was your design. Okay, gotcha. But you can probably come up with a better, you know, physical design than that. It's just what I whipped up. No, it's where, fine. Where it's... do you live? <laughs> where do you live? Well, in Broad Thames, UK. In UK? Okay, so okay. do you find, um, do you have this similar problems with receiving and sending out stuff like they do in south america yeah um i think if any if anything comes in with a value of over something like 135 pounds then it requires us to pay that um most of the time that's automatic these days because they've made sure that everybody has international agreements and so even glc jlc pcb they cover right. that um that bad for those who don't know is value added tax yeah <laughs> I don't know what they're uh, value adding to the government, I guess. And that's what they're talking about. Right, right. It's adding it's no value, value add to the rest of us. That's for things. <laughs> well, the well thanks, Kieran. Thanks for coming up with that. Thanks for taking all the time to get it timed right that your 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 demos and stuff work, the stuff that you and Stuart have done. Like you're really pushing the BDG and the SAM combination to the limits with stuff like the hardware scrolling. I'm assuming we tried Dragon Fire with it, so that that's precise timing works too, or not yet? Uh, well, no, I don't have a Dragon version of that. I've not yet tried this in a Coco, um, and also I don't have an NTSE Coco, so it wouldn't really prove anything there either. Uh, Is there anything that, specific well, to the program you've done that's would worry about between fifty and sixty hertz, or is that just the VDG that controls that really? Just just the VDG, yeah. All and all of the mode changes for Dragon Fire happen for the VDG, so I don't think it would even come into Wouldn't it. Wouldn't matter then. Okay, gotcha. So we, we can find your, um, where can we find your uh, source code or uh, project on? Uh, I have a website. Hopefully somebody, probably Mark, will paste it into the YouTube chat. Is, <laughs> is it up there? So have, you watched, have you watched our show for a long time or part-time or once in a great while? or Me? Yeah. You don't know the time. 
No, I mean, I I watched for a long time. I was even on some of the early ones. Yeah, yeah, cool. not the very early ones, but but Stevie was still there. Do you, Do you have any cocoa set up? I have a cocoa two and a cocoa three leaning against my bookcase in the other room, and it I exchange them. To have space yes, on my desk as I need it because I don't have that much space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you did your own 512K board for the Cocoa 3 as well. So we covered that yeah. recently. Cool. Well, thanks for popping by and, and answering questions about that. Uh, it's, 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 I think it's a great service the fact that we have this replacement, at least, you know, the design available. People won't need to replace it, can't find a SAM anywhere. I don't think 21 bucks or 21 pounds. I think the US dollar and the pound are pretty close to par right now, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Probably. Yeah, that's that's not bad. When you consider you you were buying a 120k Coco three is five hundred bucks on eBay. Sometimes that's uh... right. Twenty bucks to fix one, not so bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, going to project updates. Sure. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, let me ask Fred what uh, what you got going on today. Oh, I'm um, getting things ready for my first episode of the step-by-step -step building a 6309 computer. Uh, I've um, actually started to uh, build the first portion of it. It's not uh, not tested yet. I'm going to test it tonight. And um, things are looking uh, pretty good. I tested the clock and the quadrature clock is working fine. And I, I've been actually been obsessing lately on uh, trying to figure out uh, um, to um, uh, emulate the Gimme um, MMU. <laughs> I've, I've been picking Curtis's brain a lot lately and reading a lot of books. <laughs> That's a big and... mistake. I'm not a hardware guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I need to know the software, how it works yeah. to, to try right, to, to figure right. out the hardware. And uh, I've been saying to myself, wait a minute, I'm losing track of what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to put out content of, you know, how to build a freaking computer, not to, you know, to, 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 to build emulate one that's going to be 100% foolproof. No, 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 wait, step by step, man, step by step. So um, that's what I'm doing right now. All right, cool. Uh, let's see, Fred number two. Hello. Um, hi, Fred. How's it going? Good. You. <laughs> um, I, I, before I get to my project, I notice you're using the the French spelling uh, for Frederick. Uh, where are you from? Montreal, Canada. Montreal. Yes, I've been to Montreal a few times actually. Um, um, my ancestors originally came from Quebec, so uh, yeah. So mm -hmm. I love it up there. It's great. Oh yeah, just just a cold. I'm not a fan of. <laughs> oh yeah, this this time of year is probably pretty bad. I think that's yeah, why I stay indoors. <laughs> that's why I visit Montreal in the summer. That's a good All idea. Right. Right. <laughs> I think the last time I was there was like only about three years ago. So yeah, love that's it. That's the reason. That's the reason you guys have to come to Hatteras Sea at this time yeah. of the year. <laughs> right. Just connection. Just head down there next November for Snowbird the show. Is way south. Yeah. <laughs> Spend three months in Brazil. Just get back in January, February, and we'll be all fine. <laughs> um, anyway, um, I do have uh, an update to my uh, my game I've been working on forever, uh, uh, and Arc Three. 
Um, so uh, I was active on Discord about a month or so ago, pretty heavily uh, asking for help um, uh, developing a uh, assembly language routine to speed up the uh, rendering of the graphics for the game. And uh, thank you. Uh, there's several of you that helped out, Curtis and, and a number of others. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, it looks like the routine is working quite well. I wanted to kind of demonstrate a bit, um, you know, uh, what kind of speed ups I got and also show you some of the graphics uh, screens that I've been working on lately. Um, so, yeah. So I'm wondering if I could... Uh, Just get zoomed up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if I could share my screen. Is that all right? Sure. All right. Let's see here. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So, um, so the game takes place uh, in nice. the far north of the planet Andark, and it's like, um, you know, it's like an Arctic type environment. And uh, so you're on this ice plane, and there's this glacier over here to the left, and there's mountain range in the background. This looks and, like out uh, my front window. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, exactly yeah <laughs> so um and so uh this is how it looked prior to the speed up uh of the graphics using that um that uh assembly language routine i wrote this is what it looked like before oops you seeing what's that what's it going? oh my <laughs> sadly yes <laughs> it's, it's going the lines were going almost slower than basic <laughs> well this this is basic actually but oh. um yeah <laughs> now um now i'll jump over to my other session of vcc and show you what it looks like after the speed up i'm gonna have to stop sharing i think to jump screens here if, if I, just, I think that's the only way i know how to do it all right hold on okay now Okay, so here's the new and improved Andark 3. Okay. Um, now. That's great. More than twice the speed. We're at Apple II, court of full-person yeah. game speed, which is not yeah. bad. So, you know, it's still kind of slow. It is basic, after all. But... Um, yeah, I think it renders actually quite a bit faster, and I think uh -huh. it's uh, I think it's somewhat tolerable now. So, um, <laughs> so uh, you know, now besides the assembly language routine, I, I, there was one other thing I did to speed up things too. And you notice that the background is white, uh -huh. whereas before the background was black. Well, you know, if you're in a snowy, icy environment, most of the scene is white. So why start off with a black screen, right? So. I just switched to a white screen and drew everything on on the white background rather than drawing on a black background and then filling everything in white with paint and and uh yeah, it saves you a paint or two so yeah exactly uh so so that was another thing I did that speeded things up quite a bit too um but, yeah so I thought I'd show you some of the other uh screens hmm. that uh that I've drawn so far. And uh, let's see. 
So there's like this trail that goes up the side of the glacier that you can go up. I'm not going to go up there now. Though. Oh, I don't think I drew that room yet. Uh, let's see. Let's go west. Okay. And then let's go, let's go east again, I guess. Back in here, I guess. And then east again. And right here, there's this chasm that leads into the glacier that you're supposed to go down. Um, and you have to find your way through this maze of uh, crevices and caverns in order to get to um, the enemy base that you're trying to take out. And so, but if you keep going east, you get closer and closer to the mountain range in the background. And as you travel farther east, the mountains get bigger and bigger. Okay, so it's been kind of challenging to get the perspective right, you know. Uh, you know, you want, uh, you want everything to be kind of consistent. If you're going east, then the things in the eastern direction should gradually get larger and stay in the center of the screen. Mm -hmm. So are you using so, um, like draw statements with a scale function or are you doing this manually each time? Uh, no, it's, it's manually each time. What I did was I, um, they're draw statements. And what I did was I developed a, uh, a, a routine in basic that automatically randomly puts in additional uh, segments to the line okay. to make it appear that it's longer and bigger and, mm -hmm. and, uh, so it kind of randomly scales up the, the picture. Um, it's kind of hard to explain, but it like inserts, <laughs> inserts elements into the draw line. Um, details. I, I really like the graphics design because a lot of these programs end up being little rooms that you walk between. And this yeah. has that expanse. And you yeah. don't have to do every little jiggle and wiggle in the horizon, you're saying. You just kind of procedurally yeah. so do you that notice yeah. As you're traveling south, the mountain range shifts to the left mm -hmm. as you're traveling in that direction. Just out of curiosity, okay. are you using H screen two, like the 16 color mode, or are you using the four color mode for this? This is H screen two. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, but what's interesting is that the, uh, the data that, well, there's a P mode two map in the background where a map of all the rooms is located that's hidden from view, but the computer can access it and it, and it checks like on the map, you know, uh, if there's a, if there's a dot to the, to the North or to the South or East or West of the current location, it's checking this map in the background to see what the available directions are and what rooms, um, what so, uh, rooms are uh, in different so you, directions. You're using this buffer with sort of like a P point, sort of like yeah. variables. Yeah. You're checking uh, the screen um, points. I think I can, I think I can, uh, or maybe I can show you. Let's see. Hmm. Um, let's what? Go here. Uh, List that's, that's actually pretty clever because if you use a P mode screen for your data, you can use all kinds of graphics commands to mangle your data. And the user never sees it. And then you use H screen to show you what your first person perspective. 
This is cool. Exactly. Exactly. If you look at lines 280 and 285, that draws the map in the background. The user can't oh, nice. see it. Okay. Actually, if you if you want to show it, if you do a width 32 and then a yep. poke 359, comma 57. Yep. And then a uh, screen one comma one, you should be able to see your map. Okay, yeah. Well, I'll do that. Uh let's see. With 32, then what's that poke again? Three three five nine, comma fifty-seven. Okay. And then screen one, comma one. There it is. Code achieved. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Uh I was gonna try to do the same thing by well, another method, but this is this works a lot faster. So this is the map of all the mm -hmm. rooms. And so the computer, uh, like uh, you start off the game in the lower left corner here, and the computer checks uh, checks uh, the coordinates to the uh, five above and five to the right and five to the left and five down to see if there are legal paths, you know, paths in that direction. And, um, and so then if you go north, then the computer updates the current uh, coordinate location and uh, and then checks again to see what directions are are um, are available uh, at that new location. And so so as you go around, as you explore around the map, uh, the the uh, the computer updates the coordinates for your current location on this map and checks the surrounding uh, spots to see if you know what directions there are, are valid for traveling in. It's a pretty interesting technique as you, uh, if let's say uh, you kind of like turn it into an engine, if you're developing a different adventure, then it's just a matter of throwing a different graphic as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is a, uh, this uh, technique can be, uh, yeah, can be used for uh, any sort other of type a, of adventure game. Sort of a very special and visual <clears throat> two-dimensional array. And uh, it's interesting that if you just simply draw a line connecting the map you currently have, you just suddenly have a new exit in that room. Exactly. Yeah, you can easily. Yeah, you can have to like an open door or something opens up. I can go east now, and you just yeah. you know black you out just, that one pixel. Yeah, you just draw a line on this screen to create mm -hmm. an additional room or additional passageway. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's really easy to create additional rooms by by just drawing additional lines on this map. Now, rendering the graphics that go with that room is a different story. <laughs> 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 So when's Doom come out? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. There's no date yet. It's going to be, uh, I don't know, at least, <laughs> at least a few more months, maybe another year. Um, rendering the rendering the graphics for each room has been the hard mm -hmm. part, and it's really been slow going. Um, I've got about 48 rooms mostly done now. This, uh, this, this grid in the lower part of the maze there, that's pretty much mostly done. I just have to tweak uh, tweak the rooms a bit, uh, tweak 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 the graphics a bit to make it um, you know make the mountains all line up and and uh, they'll look correct and so on. And then I'll start doing the rest of the map. Um, but yeah, uh, what's what's great about this method is that it does really save a lot of uh, variable space, a lot of variable yeah. memory. Yeah, because uh, mm -hmm. I, like you said, I don't have to dimension a two-dimensional array, you know, to store all the room directions and all of the room, uh, uh, the room descriptions, um, and that saves a lot of variable space. 
now you are you want this uh, you are working the game so that every single screen is uh, already in memory is it a single load game you're not loading uh, data from the disk right uh, that's correct uh, the way it's designed now it's it's a single load game where you load all of the data it stores it in it's not called high memory I was corrected on this point before but it's um what do they call that uh, uh, physical memory, you know, mm -hmm. the, the space above 64K. Um, right. Physical memory, it's all stored in physical memory when the game first runs. And then the computer using that assembly language routine that you guys helped me write, uh, I, I access the, the, the room descriptions and the, and the graphics uh, from, from the physical memory, load that in and then display it and render it on the screen. Um, That's nice. Yeah, so it's all one, you know, you load everything at the beginning. Now, that might change because, uh, I mean, I've only done maybe one third of all the rooms in the game. And it's already, it already takes a long time to load the game initially. <laughs> no. um, so I can only imagine how long it'll take once I triple the number of rooms I've finished uh, drawing the graphics for. Um, so... I may yet still go to a system where it loads it from disk um, just because that would mean not having to load so much at the beginning and the game would be able to it's start just, a lot faster. It's just one question as well. Well, but Is if that, all your, if your maps are already P mode screens, then there's a lot of existing code on how to shovel P mode screens in and out of a cocoa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's mainly the, the, could, the, the high res graphics that, that, yeah, uh, the rendering for each "quote unquote" room. Well, yeah. yeah, but those are those are procedural, right? I mean, if you have the map and you have a procedure, you can make the screen. Well, no, because this this map only defines what directions you can move into. It doesn't define how to draw a cavern. Oh, or it a doesn't define or a... what's in that room. When... Yeah, it doesn't okay. really doesn't really tell you. Doesn't it, this map on the screen here does not contain any information to help render the the high-res graphics view of what you're seeing, you know, um, this only, this map only tells you where the rooms are located in relation to each other, what directions you can travel there. in. And that's about it. Yeah. But uh, well, even, uh, even so that's still an amazing savings. Of, of, no, it's a great know, idea. I like it. One question about this, uh, the, the, the part of the game, the content, the textual content of the game, I see you are using a parser. So you're yes. probably going to be able to compress text content. Uh, uh, do, you, do you have this text content ready uh, at least to some point uh, to, to at least know how much space this part is going? I found that uh, keeping text in basic is uh, very expensive. If yes. not going through the, the, the parser path, which you are yeah. going yeah, so um, like room descriptions you're talking about and uh, mm -hmm. and object descriptions and so on. Um, right now, that I think is currently in variable space, but uh, I may move it to uh, uh, physical memory um, at some point uh, because you're right. I think it, it does take up a lot of room, and uh, moving it to physical memory might... Uh, might you know give me additional savings there so and another uh, possibility for additional savings is tokenizing yeah. it like say use character strings yeah. 122 55 each of those being a word or two words if it's a common one like 
the word mm-hmm. wooden. Say a wooden door. So you'd have wooden right. being character string 128, door being character string 129. You can reuse 129 anytime you have a door of any sort. And it's okay. only going to take one byte, and you just build the string that you're printing from that. That'll save you a fair bit. That's cool. I like that idea. I'll definitely look into that. That, uh, yeah, yeah, that sounds cool. Thank you. <laughs> I'll try it. So, uh, no, go ahead. Try oh, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. You, you go ahead. It's uh, I've tried <laughs> uh, experiment with, uh, with uh, adventure games a little while ago, and it's the subject I hmm. always. Uh, Try to uh, keep close to uh, to the things we do here, and including friends. And uh, uh, I've skipped the the parsing altogether for a menu system. I don't think I'm right. wise enough to create a parser. And I see you did here. That's pretty great. And uh, about the graphics, uh, the same way you would get uh, you would create this parser, just like Curtis said to free up space. I tried to create those graphics with tiles in UG Basic uh, with a mock-up of uh, Quest Remake some, some moons ago. And uh, I also came into the trouble you're just stating that having 50, right? Having about 50 uh, unique drawings is a little bit complicated, even for tiling the graphics in on mm-hmm. the 64K uh, the standard color one and two. So uh, about the graphics, uh, are you, you you're confident you on the solution you're going to use you you're going you need them to be drawn like uh like like you're doing like with drawing commands in in this precise style is that a decision um well it's what i've decided but you know it's a game it's a work in progress so all decisions are not final fluid <laughs> because uh, uh, one one thing i could tell you about the, the drawing routines is that uh uh, I have that lander game that has like uh, it has more than fifty screens. They are all done in draw common. It doesn't have mm-hmm. paint. It doesn't have a flood fuel paint yet. The next version mm-hmm. will have. And now, now switch back to black and white. But uh, creating strings for the draw common, I was able to compact a lot of things. They they uh, making it, it was pretty great. Uh, I'm pretty content mm-hmm. with the with the draw common. Right. Yeah, I mean, when when you when you find objects and pick them up and drop them and stuff, and I'm gonna try to keep the uh, you know the pictures of the objects as simple as I can so they can mm-hmm. they don't take up much memory. Uh, when you were talking about that uh, noise routine on the background when you scale and when you shift them sideways, is it like uh, something that between two points you add a s- sort of a noise, a random noise? To fill in the tail is that is that what you meant? Um, uh, not not exactly. So, what I did was it's kind of hard to explain. I I um, this routine that I wrote to create the progressively larger views of the mountains mm-hmm. in particular. Uh, those those uh, those progressively larger pictures of the mountains. Um, were generated using a basic routine that basically inserted random uh, additional elements to the drawstrings. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So if, like, originally the drawstring said, like, uh, R5, E5, R5, E5, okay, 
then the the routine would take that string and insert little elements and break them up so that it'd become instead of gotcha. r5 e5 r5 e5 it'd become r5 uh e1 r1 e4 r3 e1 r2 e5 you know it just insert these random elements into the string fractals right so yeah, the important point is not that the the important point is not the exact shape of the mountains they've gotten closer but they haven't gotten blocky and ugly like yeah if you did a straight scaling you would you would see these diagonal lines and stuff like that and you know, you know who really cares what little jiggle is weird but they look good and they're closer and you can tell and yeah it yeah, Curtis, exactly. That's the idea is that if I just scaled it up, then you would lose detail. Okay. Yeah. And so I, I wrote this routine to generate new drawstrings that uh, try to retain the same level of detail as you got closer. You know what I mean? And so uh, so that's what I did. But it's, it's, it's not doing it on the fly. I did this all like months ago in order to generate new drawstrings for those rooms. Okay. okay. Um, so it's not doing it on the fly. It's not randomly generating them again every time. This is something I did simply to create the new drawstring code for those rooms uh, months ago. Okay. Right. Anyway, um, there you go. <laughs> Great project. Thank you. Looking good. I'll stop sharing it, I guess. <laughs> I still want to see a basic nine version done because our graphics routines there are a fair bit faster. So I, I'd like to see how that works. <laughs> plug, plug. Uh, someday. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's see. Next up, uh, Rick. Sure, why not? Yeah, Brian, Brian won't be able to do his today. He has to leave. So we'll, we'll uh, go straight to Rick. Oops. Okay, so if you can embiggen me, I will... Uh... That's a bummer. We probably took a long, too much of a long time. Sorry, Brian. Yeah, sorry to take up so yeah, much I'm time. Sure well, if, if I know Brian had a heart out, we could have got him lying right after the two of you, and then I, I didn't oh, know he had I'm to leave. I'm only saying so. that because I made a banner for him. Rick, what's the official first time oh. to use it, see? Well, yeah, he won't be able to, to make it here next week either, so it'll be a couple weeks for oh Brian's able. What is that monitor? <laughs> it'll be next year. Forever, huh? <laughs> oh, I didn't know any of that until he just mentioned it in our journal chat. But anyway, go ahead, Rick. Sorry. Okay, so anyway, let's see. Um, So this week I've been playing with uh, the Grom monitor, obviously. What is it? Demon. There we go. So I've taken this thing, which now works. So... I can write to the ROM space on a Coco. And I've been playing with a multi-pack and I've added Slendy and all the other things. So I can now write to the ROM space on my Coco IO to make a boot ROM, theoretically. The problem with all of this is that to do that, you have to ignore CTS and just say any write to the ROM space is mine. And uh, Deeks pointed out an obvious problem here in that any right to the round space is going to blow this up. Um, I'm I can think of two here. circumstances that would happen too. One would be a copy protected cartridge because they, you know, yes. they that if you copy the RAM, it's going to blow up. And the other is a smartwatch. The smartwatch also writes to the ROM. Okay. Yes. 
That's that how you enable really and disable bad. it. You write a pattern to the ROM. Yeah. Because the problem is uh, Tandy doesn't give you any indication of the ROM select if you're writing, only reading. So th there will be a jumper that says, okay, we're reading, this is a boot ROM, and that works fine. But now when you want to write to it, what can screw it up? And so now we know there are copy protected games and uh, smartwatches that could screw up writing to the boot ROM here. Um, so anyway, um, this has been my adventure in multi-packs. I even uh, I got my old multi-pack and worked with that for a bit to see, well, anyway, that's a whole nother story. But uh, how does the Coco STC get around that? It's magic. <laughs> that was the technical explanation. Great answer. So, so what, what I'm doing, what I'm doing myself with my little bitty gal ship that we have here, is uh, I'm looking for CTS, and then I'm looking for the ROM space address to show up outside of CTS. If there's CTS, well, it's a valid read. If there's not CTS, then it's an illegal write by definition. And uh, there were there. Now we've got two different reasons why there might be an illegal right to the ROM space that I have to deal with. Um, but normally, okay, this isn't that bad. Um, I'm going to move on to exhibit two. <laughs> and exhibit two will be uh, my head again. So everyone has, I, I, I've been digging through my archives and uh, Every hard, hardware guy has one of these things, which can write to any kind of ROM ever made, any EEPROM ever made, any GAL chip ever made. It does it all. It weighs about six ounces. It costs about 50 bucks. I found my old one. <clears throat> the Pecker 10. <laughs> it weighs about 10 pounds. But this personality module, they had a name for them. It can write uh, 26, or, yeah, 2416s to 256s. And it cost a whole whale ton of money. This is what I was using in 97. So. Probably a thousand or two. Yeah, 10 pounds, six ounces. So that's the thing that happened. By the way, Rick, uh, Mark Siegel uh, in the chat says, uh, why not use port, uh, port type addressing to write to it? I don't know what that means, but. He's chewing on it. I can tell. <laughs> I, have to, I have to think back to uh, what am I doing and why am I doing it? I'm doing it because the multi-pack made me do it. That's why I'm doing it that way. Um, Blame Tandy. <laughs> we'll, we'll blame Tandy. And then uh, I found that thing while I was looking for this other thing, which uh, I had promised to pull out earlier. Oh, there we go. The Waco trackball. My Waco trackball. Yeah, I actually tried it out. In, uh, let's see. Can I do something clever? Yes. You see head. Flares. One player. And yeah, it uh, is proper nice missile command. It, it spins properly. It, it, 
it has the it has the inertia we want. I'm gonna blow up because I'm not playing the game, I'm playing the trackball, but hey, trackball. Looks like good. the right tool for the job. It works on the games that, that use this kind of interface. So Yep, Centipede, it works pretty good on, like some of the Centipede clones and a couple of the uh, Missing Command the, clones. Uh, the swing, we didn't, you don't have to. I didn't think this would work. A lot of games, it doesn't work at all. But for games that expect this kind of input, man, this is a nice tool. So anyway. Yep. That's, Plus, that's, if you're playing pool in a pool hall and you, and you lose the cue ball, you can always take it out of there. And oh, yeah. Use it. Well, yeah, but the ivory has kind of <laughs> gone a bit yellow. I mean, we're we're sort of losing the, uh, you know, it's not yeah, mine's so a bit yellow too. Not would so that, ivory anymore. Would that work it, for defense? Yes, it does. Oh yeah, you can throw the same throw. Yeah, dude, you made it the game defense, not self defense, right? No, yeah, I might have answered the wrong question. <laughs> oh yeah, it works for game defense as well. Yeah, if somebody's after you trying to rob you, you can throw that thing at their head; they'll be gone. Don't worry about it. Well, it's a little heavier than the uh, my, the. Um, <laughs> Mouse that we use, right? It's yeah, not it's like a billiard thing now. Yeah, it's like a billiard ball. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's where I got to this week. So did did anything compute with what uh, you heard when you were as <laughs> a solution for your? Oh, you mean Mark's suggestion? Yeah. Oh, about port addressing? Well, because everything's memory addressed on the Cocoa, I don't know what he really means by that. I'd have to compute a bit. I mean, the Z80 could do that, but, but uh, Cocoa doesn't have a separate line for that. And the, the issue that I have is I could make any kind of specification that specifies that you're only writing to my board, but what about all the crap that's already done stuff, like the memory map games that are expecting there's no way I can write to anything the only thing that's going to happen here is I can prove that you copy, you know, you've stolen my game because it's on the, you know, writable interface. Mark, Mark just had to create a port address. I, I think he just means memory map a different address oh, that's oh, yeah, but, used port. Oh, no, this is just uh, the ROM space on the Coco. There is no port address here. This is C. Yep. But I wonder if you triple lot to CEFF. <laughs> yeah, but I wonder if you could create a different port, say, just for an enable. Like if you well, if you write a pattern to that particular port, it then enables you to be able to write to the ROM, yeah. which is kind of what the smartwatch does, sort of. I, I don't have that much smarts. I've got a sixteen V eight, so all I can do is very simple computation. I, I was I, thinking I just a switch on the top to to turn on write enable. I've got I've got it. Yeah, if you if you don't have it in write mode, then you're safe. It's just a a boot ROM. But yeah. if you have it in write mode. What I think what Mark, I think Mark is saying is to enable write mode, it. just have a switch on the actual physical card. Is that what you mean, Mark? Yeah, like a well, physical yeah, toggle switch. I've got that. My question is, if you're in write mode, okay, don't run a game that checks copy protection and you're safe. Yeah. But what other odd thing might just write odd things to the ROM? And it sounds like the smartwatch might just do that, whether you think about it or not. But if you have a physical any, switch and you have it off, that means it can do whatever it wants because it's not going to touch your board. But any time where you try to write it, if there's a ROM, if there's a smartwatch plugged in and you try to write to it, your write's going to be trashed by the smartwatch. Well, if you're to write to the ROM, wouldn't you have like a little utility that you'd be running to copy? Well, but if the smartwatch is in the hardware, 
and it triggers. You well, see, the, I can't control. But if you only have a slot do. select, on, if you have, if you slot select your card and the smartwatch is say on the disc controller card, well, no, that, that you're not even work. accessing that card. Would that would that work? The only way to write to the card in a multi pack is to pull Slim B, Slim B, which means CTS. All that stuff's gone. There is no slot select. It's just everything is Y cable together on the bus. And so if the smartwatch does anything, it affects me. Any right to the smartwatch hits me. There's no... Well, you'd oh, okay. have to have something like OS9 looking up the Well, uh, well no, that, that doesn't even work. That doesn't even work. There's no slot select anymore. Right. We're all one big Y cable, and any right goes to Coco.io and anything else that it might go to. And I think we've all been assuming that we're the only thing that's going to be written to that's in the ROM area, quote, unquote. And so these are the questions that I'm asking, I guess, in my PNA hog tonight. <laughs> okay. So anyway, I'm done taking over the show. Thanks for something to ponder. Some <laughs> Let's see. Where is he? Coconut Bob. Had you on Hello. my list. I'm here. All right. Had you on my list. You had uh, an update of, of sorts? It's an Australian cocoa. Well, <laughs> pretty close, yeah. So uh, a couple of mainly, mainly acquisitions, not so much project updates, but find my box of parts. So first of all, obviously you all saw Rocky's Athena board, the white board that I built, and I have, in fact, got a new purple one now for my next yeah. build. Yeah, just watch how you put the transistors in. Yep, I'll get them right the first time. <laughs> now, does this have any changes? Because you had, you had a problem where you couldn't get the Gimme X to run properly, right? On the first one. Well, I'm I still um kind of kind of working on that. I'm gonna still try and get it going on the other board, but basically, what I'm gonna do on this one, uh, he has built up a DigiKey uh, bill of materials. I'm basically going to make sure that I use uh, whatever capacitors he's specced because I'm thinking that some of the parts bin capacitors I used might be affecting the whiteboard. But my, my main plan with that is I have this Gimme X working here and I'm going to, I got myself one of these Zotec uh, scopes and I'm going to go through and Pretty much every via I can find, I'm going to kind of document what signals are there. And then I'm going to move the board to the other computer and see if I can figure out what signals aren't there or aren't the same. And hopefully that'll let me zero in on the issue. And then logical. the other minor update that I got, this is kind of a project update. I had uh, up, I had ordered these boards from JLC PCB back in October, and then the post office told me that they were delivered on November third, but they were never delivered. And I called the post office's eight hundred number and reported the tracking number and all that. And much to my surprise, yesterday they showed up in my mailbox. <laughs> so this this is a panel of 10 
of the LED driver boards that I'm making. I've got one of them going here and I'm basically trying to figure out the correct values to get the second stage of the turbo light working. Right now it's it's working as a regular turbo light. So if I do poke 65 or nine six comma zero. See the lights both go out. So the green is just the power light. Then I've got a yellow that is supposed to be two megahertz and a red that should be three megahertz. Mm -hmm. And I suspect I'm gonna have to change the one of these capacitors out because I've already got trimmer uh, potentiometers, but I can't. Basically, they keep working in tandem. Well, you only want one to go on? Well, I want... At 2 megahertz, I want the yellow one on. And at 3 mm -hmm. megahertz, I want the red one on. The yellow one can stay on or go out. I don't care at 3 megahertz. But I really want the red one to not come on at 2 megahertz. The red jumps early. Okay. So uh, the one thing I have to remember is what's the poke to get three megahertz again? This <laughs> last time. Yeah, because I remember there's a mistake in the manual. I think two numbers got transposed on one of the versions of it. Yeah, something like that. I don't remember exactly. It's six five four nine seven comma a special value if I remember correctly, but I don't remember the number off the top of my head. It was like A5 or 5A. I think it might be 5A. Wasn't it Ed's initial or something in ASCII or something like that? I can't remember. Or X? <laughs> I can't remember. Let me see if I can find it while you're chatting. And then you do the high-speed poke again, right? I think you have to do the high-speed poke first and then that special poke. You have to do both. So you have to do the 65497, 0, then a six five four nine seven something else, and I'll see if I can find All it right. here. Okay, well, let me see if I can read my frequency here. Maybe it's actually running. Oh, there's a concept. Okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's cruel, man. <laughs> yeah, it's it's either A5 or 5A. I don't remember which one, but if you do the wrong one, then you have to do this due to the regular speed of poke first because they have to be right after each other. Right. So smoke okay. comes out, try the other one. So my frequency reading is 895. So that's good. Do a poke sixty-five four nine seven comma zero colon poke sixty-five four nine seven comma comma and H uh five A, I'm pretty sure, because that is a, a Z in ASCII, and I'm pretty sure that's what he picked that for for Zipster. Okay. It Ooh. looks like the cursor is flashing a lot faster, so and both lights came on, which they should. Now for a time check. I really wish I had a good grounding point to clip this damn thing onto. It's just nothing. 
over there on the, the, edge the heat of the sink's cart. not good ground. How about the edge of the cartridge? Does that work? Yeah. I can't remember. Well, the problem is I've only got this like four inch ground oh. lead. Oh, okay. <laughs> that is short. So I'm just going to clip it right down here. There you go. All right. There you go. One more time with feeling. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, there's the so, how do you know it's still hooked up? <laughs> well, <laughs> you're evil, Ron. You're evil, man. <laughs> well, that's what I would be thinking. Like it. By the way, Kieran feels your pain. He says, "Oh yeah, all my probes are like that. Quite irritating." Yep, yeah. Yep, yep. Well, where are you putting them? So, okay, six, five, four, nine, seven, comma, zero. Now my keyboard doesn't want to sit because that stupid lead is holding it up. Right, right. Colon, poke. Five A. Yeah. Okay. Capital Z. <laughs> so all three lights are on. All I've got to do is figure out if I can short out the clock line one more time. Yeah, crash it. There you go. <laughs> 2.73 megahertz. So it, it was there until you killed it. it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, but in just regular double speed, you get both lights by mistake. Is that what's going on? Yeah, basically, they both come on at the same time and they both stay on. Well, I can I can tune them. All right, you're getting close. So uh, Mark Siegel suggests just to tack solder a little fly lead for your ground. Yeah. Right. Right. Good idea. That would give you more extension on the probe anyway. So I've clipped onto so the, many things I should never clip onto right. because of those three little <laughs> three inch scope leads. The the case of the transformer. Okay, there's your ground. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's kind of backwards. The the red light comes on at low speed and the yellow light comes on at double speed. Well, that's easy fix. Switch the, switch the LEDs. Okay. Yeah, there you the go. Labels. Just, just change the documentation so the lights mean something else. That's what I do. I'm lazy. <laughs> yes. I still don't have anything working at the three meg at the triple speed though. That's the problem. So yeah. But anyway, this is these are some neat little boards here, and they were pretty cheap. So if anybody actually wants one, you know, just hit me up. I could probably just throw one of these in an envelope and mail it to you for the cost of a stamp. Uh, if you need a whole kit, that might be a little more involved. But also, I guess some of y'all might have seen that I did a... Uh, A little uh, VGA uh, breakout cable to the Gimme X board here. 
and the VGA is going to an HDMI converter. So I've got my HDMI signal going to this monitor right now. Nice. And there's an S S video here. That S video I hooked up and that does really surprisingly great quality. That's almost as good as the VGA output. Except you get artifact colors on that one, or do you? Um, you get the synthetic artifact colors because it's generated by the Oh right, right, Jay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's using the same algorithm as MAME does. I noticed on the on the Gimme X you get some strange uh semi graphics colors like in particular loading Nick's Pac-Man game. The the Pac-Man is normally semi graphics yellow with the black border, but I get yellow and green squares instead of yellow and black squares. Hmm. I'll have to try that on mine. I don't remember that. That's interesting. During the loading, yeah. And then a lot of games like uh Rally SG, the black screen is actually that dark green screen, unless you do an RGB command before you launch the game. Oh, that yes. is something. The Gimmiex, every single one of the five outputs, yeah. the video outputs, is always RGB. That's yeah, one thing you change. Yeah. You would have to type RGB to get the correct colors. Yeah. Because even the RF out is using RGB colors, so there's no mixing between composite and RGB. It's uh, Everything is the same, so you only have to program for it once. Do what the RF out on this thing is also RF composite component VGA and mm -hmm. S video are all RGB outputs as far as color scheme goes. It's mm -hmm. derived from the RGB. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That's why when he did his demo, like running some art or uh, composite style games on the uh, his video demos he does on his site that Ed put up, that you when he had all five monitors hooked up from all five outputs, it actually looks identical. I mean, quality obviously is a bit different between, say, RF to VGA, but the colors are the same, right? Or as close as you can get. So one other little thing I did here today, I don't know if anybody was watching and cringing in horror, but I drilled a hole in the Gimme X so that I could screw a standoff right here, <laughs> so that you can actually press on the board now and only crash the machine a little bit. It doesn't actually <laughs> yank the board out of the socket, but I. It's like every time I put in this plug, it would lift the thing up out of the gimme socket. That's scary. Yeah. So it, I did. I mean, it's nice that they, they have the uh, the board layout up on the zipsterzone.com. So I was able to verify, you know, there's no traces where I drilled. <laughs> that was kind of <laughs> important. Yeah, I mean, for me, everybody's wanting, trying to get a gimme X here. If you'd broke it, I think they would have lynched you. Right, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to look at the water pipes before you drill the wall. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, overall, it's still uh, going great. Nice. My turbo board, my LED board is uh, looking nice. Uh, got a few other little projects that I'm working on in KiCad, KiCad, whatever. I'm really hoping you can get uh, the Pedro's board, the Athena board, to work with the uh, Gimme X. So, are you going to run yeah, out definitely. of electricity after a while? <laughs> what was was that, Ron? You were coming in really faint. I'm there. wondering I don't know if he's going to he's going to run out of electricity for a while. I mean, you know, after a while, having everything plugged into it. I know, all I these guess. newer parts are take less power than the originals did. So, 
I'm going to guess by the computer floor he's standing mm-hmm. over, there's a whole lot of amps available. <laughs> yeah. We do have our share of breakers. So. Cool. Yeah. All righty. So another thing he doesn't have to worry about is any interference from any electronics with a video signal. Uh, it's still possible if you make a cheap enough cable. Um, uh-huh. With this this thing here, I'm getting a pretty nice and solid uh, video out of it. No no waviness. I was although it's weird when you when you uh, first turn it on without the button board plugged in, it comes up with scanline mode. Hmm. Okay. Yep. Uh, anybody else have any project updates or acquisitions? There you go. I have my new uh, Coco joystick. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> There's your RC control. That's a bit bulky. Oh, that's a nice joystick. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, it is. It, it works pretty good. Your basic drone flyer. Right. On the buttons. Well, do we need a break or do we uh, go wake Ken up? Ken? <laughs> Ken? <laughs> I think we need a break. <laughs> All righty. Let's take a break and then we'll go into the uh, game on results. Hi, I'm John. And I'm Aaron of the Coco Show. And you're watching or listening to the Coco Nation the live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its cousins. All hail the Coco Nation. Om. 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 In a world where RGB produces black and white video, one cable can make a difference. Switcheroo. Coco3scartcable.com. G'day from the land down under, where toilets flush backwards and thongs are a respectable form of casual footwear. I am Nick Morentes and I have been developing games for the Coco for over 35 years. Welcome to the Coco Nation, the interactive live video talk show for all enthusiasts of the Coco family of computers. Hi, I'm Al Curtis Boyle. And I'm Ken Waters of Canadian Retro Things. And you're watching the Coco Nation show. Only the bravest souls enter. Only the most cunning return. Defeat innumerable monsters to ransom the king's scepter stolen by the evil wizard. Your sword, shield, and wits are your only allies. Pray you find a magical inn as your only respite in the forest of doom. Tiny color computer one, two, and three. November 2017, if you dare.
Welcome everybody to the Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Galaxons. We had a total of 16 players. We had Mark O with 15.95, Micro Hobbyist 23.45, Mr. Dave 6309 25.80, Ed Rhodes 41.42. Coconut Bob, 45.52, David Ladd, 49.76, Sloopy Malibu, 53.89, Rich N, 55.91, Shenley, 72.66, Buck Owens, 85.55, Canadian Retro Things, 92.69, Nerf Herder, 11,155. Kieran, 11,753. L. Curtis Boyle, 12,713. Tasman, 17,318. And the number one score this week belongs to Jim Rye with 19,863. Thanks, Somebody's everybody cheating. that played. We'll see you again next week. Oh, that's right. You need a joystick. <laughs> All right, there we go. Some scores from Galaxons. So, I did manage to find a few reviews of this game. And uh, this one is from, uh, which one is this? Rainbow, January of 84. And this author says that it, was kind of a cross between Galaxium and Centipede. Basically, Centipede because you had the free freedom of movement on the bottom third of the screen. And uh, definitely ranks this game as one of the toughest. And then went into a list of why, because your ship, ship moves more slowly when compared to the aliens. You can only have one shot at a time while the aliens can fire a lot of missiles at you. And the enemy ships can move further to the left and right and can swoop back at you once they fly past your ship. And the top row of spacecraft shoot the guided missiles at your ship, which are difficult to avoid. And says this game was maybe a little bit too difficult. And something that he said that I thought Nick would like, said this game is very bug-free. Ah, there you go. Even though Galaxians is an old game, the centipede movement of your ship adds a unique feature and recommends it for people that want to play a truly tough game. By the way, so, Ken, in the chat there, they're announcing uh, from Jim Rye that this is the very first time he's ever won a game on Challenge. So ah. congratulations, Jim. But I disagree that it's... Um... The problem when the manual was read, they said it's uh, going to be easy for beginners. It's not true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a bug in the manual. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> not in the game. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I, I pretty much agree with everything that this guy said because um, it's a pretty tough game. Uh, yeah. And then here we have Color Computer um, something, one of the Color Computer magazines from January of 84. Uh, they thought it was really funny that if you turn the speed up to seven, the dum-dum-dum of the soundtrack is re 
reduced to what sounds like a high-pitched nervous giggle. <laughs> so basically the sound routine speeds up with the uh, speed of the game. So, so is it like um, a Jed Garrett? Or- not, now I have to try it on level seven. I didn't hear that. <laughs> yeah, I never heard it either. So now I want to go back and try it on level seven. Um, uh, they suggest that you hit as many of the ships as possible while they're in their tight formation at the top of the screen and then uh, fire uh, yeah basically that's the best strategy is just kill as many of them before they start flying down at you which is pretty obvious and uh, the graphics in the game are acceptable but not spectacular and the sound effects were nothing out of the ordinary. One thing about it, he said, you really have to learn to use your joystick to play uh, the game. So it's a good game for older children and adults. Younger children probably should not try playing it. That's a pretty generic uh, comment. Being well, able to, to learn to use your joystick. <laughs> I that think pretty that's well pretty applies to all joystick games. Game, I think yeah. he was saying you really have to learn how to use your joystick, not just know how to use a joystick. You really. Let's not go really too to deeply there. Yeah. Clear as mud. <clears throat> now, Mark Overholzer, I have a question for you about Glaxons. Yo. The graphics on, on this one are quite different than most of the other Galaxian clones because they're a fair bit smaller for the aliens. To me, it really reminded me of uh, Apple Galaxian and Alien Typhoon because it's almost the same mm-hmm. size of the shapes. What did you think? Same thing? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I've, Definitely I Alien it, Typhoon. Um, I played vibes. it many, Alien Typhoon many, many, many years ago. And even with the emulator and the screen size different, yeah, the ratio, I guess. Yeah, it did. It looked a lot tighter. So, and again, the game is requires a joystick, and I'm using the mouse and the emulator, so it's kind of, kind of difficult. But I was able to shoot some of them. But yeah, they were just seem smaller. So. Yeah, because when I first got this back in '84, whatever year it came out, <clears throat> might have been even '83. Um, I I'd been playing Apple Galaxian first, and then Alien Typhoon was a sequel where they doubled the number of aliens coming down at you. And I, as soon as I saw it, I was going, "Oh, this is an Alien Typhoon style thing," because we'd seen Galax text, the others where the shapes are quite a bit larger. So this one really reminded me of that. And and then you start moving around and you, you know the bullets are falling and stuff. And okay, there's nothing like Alien Typhoon, but <laughs> <laughs> visually it is. So I would I would personally say with strategy, actually, I found if you kept the upper part of uh as high onto the screen as your ship would go, it made it easier to shoot them. Yeah, I agree. Also, if they passed you, they would stay away from you and you wouldn't get hit all the time. Like if you're in the bottom, they swoop back. Yeah, you have less chance of them coming up behind you. Sorry, go ahead, Mark. Oh, just there's less, because you can only have one bullet at a time when you're closer up, when you're higher on the screen, there's less time before it impacts. So you have, you know, less travel time so you can then start shooting the next one. And also, I think the the bullets that uh, follow you you have a better mm-hmm. chance of avoiding them higher up on the screen because they don't have as time, much time to track across the screen towards you. Yeah, that seems so it cuts down too. the amount of the screen that they can uh, fire to fire at you too. Now, one weird strategy I had, and I don't know if this worked for anybody else, and it didn't always work for me, but sometimes if I had you know some several ends coming right close to me, and there's no way I was going to get out of the way, I would rapid fire, yeah. which of course cuts your previous bullet off, and you kind of set a swarm right around the front of your ship, and I actually. Got out of a few pickles that way. That's actually um, uh-huh. a strategy on the last gate on the last screen of Gorf. 
that's how you get rid of the shield that's protecting the alien ship. You just go run up along the shield and just rapid fire. So yeah, because your bullet gets that. off enough, no matter how fast you hit the button, it goes a little bit. And as, if the ship yeah. that you're trying to shoot is right there, you'll take care of it. Yeah. Rather That's than trying way to time to also, a shot. Yeah. <laughs> you can actually shoot the alien shots right out of the air if you do that, too. Oh, I didn't catch that part, but okay. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely a difficult game, but there's a lot of strategy in it that you can use. With with practice, it actually is, it gets a bit easier. I won't yeah. say easy, but so one thing about it, you would not be beating this game and be like, "Oh yeah, this game's too easy," and putting it away at any time after you bought it. <laughs> Have we played a game that's easy so far? Yeah, Just, um, easier, easier. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we played rare. games that are easy to put down, like. Uh, Perhaps uh, I, I'm not going to mention any of Nick's games, but there's some that are easy to put down. They may start with the letter N. Yeah, <laughs> might. <laughs> I think the major majority of color computer games are very hard by nature. The majority of them, they come from an age where uh, difficulty was a was a thing. Yeah. Well, there was when men were real the, men back then. There was the North American <laughs> yeah. difficult, and then there was the European right. difficult. And the European yeah. difficult, yeah. which, that, is, which is called impossible, world. I believe, yes. or something like that. Yeah. So. It's outside of uh, difficulty leagues. It's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. And and we are lucky we didn't have Japanese developers. Otherwise, it would be even more impossible. <laughs> yes. Yes. Nintendo three or yeah, Super Mario three or whatever the heck it was. <laughs> <laughs> Other than oh, that, I, I can't think of any other tips anybody else have yeah. any Ken? I can't think of anything else either just try and get to 10,000 points to get a free map um, the, definitely, the one thing I yeah. liked about it which has nothing to do with gameplay per se is the fact that if you're playing with like your kid or something like that that the player one and player two can play different skill levels on the same game when you take turns mm. But does Which anybody nice... really need to go above skill level one? Well, if you want to hear this, uh, what do they call it again? The sound effect? If you the go to level seven, giggle. Yeah, like I, I would want to see that. Maybe you don't. So be, be... <laughs> in that case, here's the droning sound. Giggling. Here's a high pitch giggle. Yeah. It's giggling as you die immediately. That's why it's giggling on how quickly you'll die. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hey, my microphone finally works. Oh, good. He lives, Darn. man. You fixed it. Ah. Darn, we were so used to this silence, too. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, the TK2000 is an Apple II clone, and I want one. Hmm. Yes, it's a, it's an Apple II clone. Yeah. Um, being an Atari person, yes. But that was <laughs> hours ago. I only just realized... <laughs> minutes ago when uh they were when they were talking about great games to play um when i mentioned neutroid and everybody ignored me and i thought it was the normal like ignoring of me but then i realized hey the little green light on my microphone's not going up and down. No, you're, you're, you're physically not here <laughs> so join us thank you ah thank you <laughs> well did you have any tips and tricks for glaxons sloopy um, just basically, I was just saying what uh, other people were saying, um, when you have a lot of 
of action in front of you, hitting the fire button constantly makes like a force field in front of you. And um, uh, yes, you can shoot their shots, but it seems to be uh, European hard, not American hard for shooting their shots. So you have oh to yeah, yeah, you have to be dead on. So don't bother trying to to like try to shoot them unless you're like hammering. Yeah, do, fire yeah, you don't. You don't try to do it. You don't try to shoot it just to to shoot it. You try to shoot it if you have no other choice. Yeah. <laughs> Hit them and go, I won! Desperation move. By the way, uh, Ken, Scott Cooper has a pro tip for this game. He says, hit the power button in the back of the Kogler to turn the game off. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, he's not you a fan. Won. The only way to win is not to play. <laughs> Second best on. tip is get a joystick keyboards <laughs> yeah our mouse control like I've, like marco was doing that that that's impossible i wouldn't even try with the mouse since yeah. it's uh it since it's required works. since you are required to have uh absolutely high skills on joysticks according to the manual uh are any of the joysticks preferable for this game or anything will do anything that's eight directional will probably be better yeah anything eight directional right. yeah you i played with play... the deluxe joystick and it was fine but no, no keyboard support, right? It has to be joystick. Yeah, it's just joystick in that one. Unless you're running an emulator and you turn keyboard emulation. Hmm. So. All right. That oh, was the second cool. game, Ken. Oops, the sorry, second game was Udow. And uh, actually, Buck Owens had the best description of what this game act, what that game actually is. <clears throat> you're playing the uh, GPS thing out of a car, and you're telling the car where to go whether you want to run it into a rock or a wall or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dumb person that. driving, listening to his GPS, and you are the GPS. Just blindly following it into a lake. Yep. Said, go yep. that way. <laughs> yeah, because I saw at the beginning when, when we were on the live stream that uh, some people really didn't really get what you were supposed to do with it. So I figured we yeah. might as well give a good explanation today for people who are just joining it now so they don't have to try to figure it out on their own so yeah you're putting down little arrows to tell the car where to go so you have to drop arrows in front of the car to tell it where to go and you do that by hitting the space bar and then hitting the direction of you want the arrow to point and you have four directions not eight mm -hmm. in this case. yeah four directions sort of like and flags to, and you have to pick up flags that's your goal of the game before the timer runs mm -hmm. out now, has anybody figured out the difference between like some of the flags flash sometimes, sometimes they don't? You get two hundred points. You get two hundred points for flashing flags and hundred points if they're not flashing, irregardless of color. I think so. Okay. Mm. So it's kind of a strategy that if you want to go for points, try to maneuver yourself to the flashing flag rather than picking <clears> one of the other <throat> ones. Because as soon as you pick up a flag, a different one will start flashing. Okay. Hmm. I don't think I ever played that one in my life. So you can play. You the wouldn't whole... have. It just came out last week. Yeah, it's, it's a brand, brand new one. <laughs> That's the reason. And there's a Coca One Two version, a Coca Three version, and an MC Ten version. Oh, gotta gotta give those a go. I uh, yeah. I've been yeah. a little bit away for the past month. You gotta check. They're that all. Out. Uh, if you've ever gone on that um, Inufuto <clears throat> site, Inufuto. In uh, he's a guy. Side. He does he does cross platform games. So yeah. each game that he makes, they come out for about 40 or 50 different systems. Mm -hmm. All right. I'll check that out. 
yeah so the there's a link in the uh game on challenge to the uh, oh no that's just the disc image yeah with raw mail which you will need because the game will screw up if you uh yeah, it's just cassette image. It's just he just puts up cassette images because he's doing the huh. uh, lowest common denominator for all these systems. Good. I will also put a link to his website when I post it this week again. Yeah, MSX is one of their uh, things. Yeah. Do they have CP four hundred uh, versions? That should just run as a Coca one and two version. I would yeah, it'll say. just run as a Coca one or two. But yeah, there's ColecoVision, uh, there's Atari 8-bits, there's Commodore 64, PC-6000. Yeah. PC uh, I, I didn't check later this weekend as they released the Tier City Model 1, 2, or 1, 3 versions yet, because that's usually oh, one of those nice. later ports. I, actually, I'm hoping he releases this on the uh, uh, Model 100. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a cool one to actually try it on. Because the, the <laughs> really? other ones he's got on there have been on there. You can play games on the 100? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, he said like what what is the Bosconian clone that they did? Um, um can't remember I, the name of it, but that was a good one. I actually played quite well. Yeah. He's got a couple of them ported to the uh mini computers like that. He calls them the the micro editions of the games. Hmm. And they pretty well play like identically on each. They're tile based. I mean, some of the ones that have sprite chips it'll move smoother, but it still registers stuff on a tile by tile grid type thing so they play the same once you've learned how to play one on one system it's pretty well the same thing on all of them Ruptus, that was the bus coding in yeah okay yeah because we tried that at boat fest didn't we with uh yeah 48k ram that was there at his model 100 running and he had all the uh various games and there was some pretty good ones that someone played pretty good nice standards But yeah, I don't know. Does anybody else have any questions about UDAO? In the uh, chat is the uh, link for the Inufoto website if anyone wants to download and try them. Okay, and I'll, right. also, I'll also point, post it in the Game on Challenge. Yeah, the disk image game. in the Game on Challenge channel is already there that has the ROMEL program to preload it, and the Coca 1 2 version and Coca 3 versions are both in the same disk image. I didn't put the MC10 in for obvious reasons. Yeah, if you want to play on MC10, you have to download it from his site. Okay. Or any of the other platforms. Like this is one of the ones where like sometimes we have uh, people play the same game on other platforms like Seamus or something. Here you can pick just about any computer on earth and you can probably play it on that platform. Okay, well I guess uh, Sloopy has now um, put the website into the Coco Discord, so I don't have to do it. I already had it in the copy paste, so I figured way. Okay. Next. Besides, I should probably do something around here. <laughs> well, oh, okay. Then I guess, um, how about you take the next part of this uh, talk? Sure. No problem. Do you know what it is? <laughs> yes. Okay, well, I'll start showing a video of uh, what our live game on challenge was, and you can talk about it, Sloopy. <laughs> this week... We played, as we just discussed, Klaxons and Udow. We had up to, what, eight players, I think it was? I think so. Yeah, we had a pretty good, pretty good showing. Yeah, we had a pretty good uh, uh, turnout. Um, 
but we're still missing you. So come out Thursday, 8 p.m. Come on to Discord and play. You don't Thank have you. to be good. You don't have to be bad. You just have to be there. <clears throat> hey, what's the Pegasus doing there? We had eight players, but somebody was playing a Smurf game on an Apple. So, yeah, someone needs to be Smurfed out. <laughs> it was Smurf and embarrassing. Yeah, I'm not going to name names, but the, the guilty Smurf knows who they are. I'll fess up. <laughs> it's uh, it's yes. a Smurf patch to Castle Wolfenstein for the Apple Castle TV. Wolfenstein, I see. And they're not it's playing. Castle Smurfenstein. Yep. Oh, Castle Smurfenstein. No. And no effect colors going, pure black and white. Did you even hmm. used to play it on a TK2000? No, I don't have yeah. a TK2000. He played no. it on an emulator. I played that played on, on a TK3000. It was the first yeah. time I played that game. And for those watching, you can see there's a couple other games running even beside the Apple one. So, I mean, if you join the game on Challenge, you don't have to play the the two games that are featured that week it's definitely recommended to get your scores in but uh mm -hmm. if you find them too frustrating or whatever you can you can switch to any any coco game and give that a shot too yes. maybe give ken and sleepy and the committee some ideas for games in the future yes we're always open for uh game suggestions uh you can either post them in the uh game on challenge bit uh um, section of the discord or you can uh, mail it or email in the uh, links below in the description. Pegasus and is looking you, wonderful there. If you don't send uh, um, suggestions, I'm going to keep choosing games like the one I chose this week. <laughs> now, special, special <laughs> note uh, coming up for next week where we have the interview with Mike Snyder who wrote a ton of games for the Coco 1, 2, and 3 for T&D Software. Uh, we had our little test call earlier this week and I asked him to pick a couple of games that would be good for a game on challenge or so the score base arcade style because he did a lot of adventure game stuff so he's going to come up with some and send them to me and i'll pass them on to the committee and then uh, ken and, and sloopy will decide which of those games will be the one we announce next week uh, i have no idea what it'll be i don't want them to tell me ahead of time so i get surprised like everybody else so what do you mean um, ken and sloopy i don't get to, to a choice in choosing unless i'm the one uh Doing the hey, show. did I not ask you for help this week? And you didn't. You just yes, two hours uh, yesterday. <laughs> oh, what's a good game? And I'm like, you should have already picked it because it was like what, 11 p.m. last night. Yeah, but that's way earlier his time. Yeah, <laughs> it was only like nine o'clock my eight o'clock my time. Okay, I will choose something. <laughs> what's there? Uh oh. Was there somebody choose, playing? He's going to choose WeFax. Yes, they were playing. <laughs> um, um, uh, what's the name of that game? Uh, uh, Which game? It's not brain. Um, Pegasus. That's it. Yeah, Pegasus and the fan writers. Yeah. Did uh, Did somebody play you down on a Coco Two? Or just on the Coco 3? Uh, these are just the Coco 3 ones. I think I might have played the Coco 2 one briefly. I don't remember if that was on the stream, though, if I did that afterwards. Oh. The only difference between the Coco 2 one and the Coco 3 one is the Coco 2 one, uh, the colors aren't as nice. Yeah, yeah it's, it's in P-Mode 3, and then the uh, MC-10 version is the equivalent of P-Mode 1. Yeah. All oh, right. Gameplay is not 100% among all the versions in some of the games. 
because we also played uh, a couple of the other games in the other versions, um, specifically for uh, the Atari, and I think we played Commodore one. I think you played a Commodore one, Ken. Um, yeah. And I think the Apple um, two version was also played in one of the games, and the controls are not necessarily. Um, the gameplay mechanics are not necessarily the same. Yeah, usually they are. Like, we all played Seamus. It's pretty well the same. But we did Rear Guard by Venture International. The games are quite different uh, between the different platforms, even though they have the same name, which is I mean, with these ones, the the mechanics are basically the same. It's just not the... Yeah. Execution Mm -hmm. and stuff. Like, sometimes things are more responsive on different systems, because... Yeah, I mean, more in in your Futu games. Oh, yeah. I can't fail to see, but uh, it kind of like this Yeldon game looks like a mix between uh, uh, Rally X and uh, uh, Pipes. So I believe Nick Marantz did play this this challenge, right? Did he? <laughs> no, uh, he, has, he only plays his own games. He's yeah, because he knows how to way. cheat on those. I mean, he knows how to play them better. So He would probably get first place in this game. It's like a mix between those two. Well, There's the a challenge Udow. for you, Nick. What, what are you talking about? The Udow game? Yeah. Oh, I, don't know. I didn't think it was that similar. It's a little bit similar, but uh, yeah, it's more like you're just leading a car around the screen being its Catching GPS. Flags. Yeah. Also, Catch you know, flags. Um, I'm going to be doing the uh, Game On Challenge in a few months, so uh, I'm going to need another version of uh, Neutroid. Another version. <laughs> Wait. Okay, I'm never being, you got it. Again, I think that's where we're taking our two-week holiday, isn't it? Uh, I am never yeah. being sick again, and I am never missing another show, and I'm never going on a vacation <laughs> so that we don't have to play Neutroid again. <laughs> I need to have Neutroid running on this thing here right by my side. And I the need community to have... would probably thank you. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything else to say about you, or uh... Uh, I don't have anything else to say either. And uh, Sloopy, are you done talking about the live game on show? Um, when when can somebody join us? Where can they join us? Uh, if they didn't hear me when I first started the show, then uh, they can uh, join us on Thursdays at eight p.m. Uh, U.S. time, Eastern like, U.S. time, because there's multiple times in the states. Yeah, there's more than one time zone in the U.S. <laughs> Sloopy. There is. <laughs> <laughs> there is there's several uh, check your lo- local listings for your uh, time zone and your TZ uh, data um, please come join us we need, we would love to have you no matter your skill level or lack of skill I mean come on we have Ken there every week so yeah. <laughs> and you can play on an emulator or you can play on real hardware and if you don't want to set up an emulator most of the games you can actually play on the Color Computer Archive because it actually has the online version of Xor. Cool. Or you could just hang out and make fun of us. Yeah, that's that's better. That's what I do from the <laughs> chat. Yes, and please, if you can't come and and be there uh, in person live playing, please join us in the chat, or make sure that you play the games 
in your own home and uh, submit your scores for the high score challenge. And Ken, the cutoff for that's Friday. Do you have a fixed time or is it just basically when you figure you want to cut it off? Uh, whenever I wake up. <laughs> and he says it's over. Okay, it's so over. three weeks from now. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> he hasn't said it's no, over. It's usually, it's it's usually about, uh, I usually try to cut it off about nine o'clock. Your Pacific time? time? Yeah. So midnight Eastern, right? Yeah. I think so. Yes. Uh, and by the way, Mark Siegel has a, 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 a possible game that we could do. He said, how about we could do Old Troid instead? <laughs> <laughs> Old Troid. Instead okay. of New Troid. Right. And have to regress. So, back to you, Ken. Oh, okay. Um, me I guess that means that we probably want to name the game for next week. I can uh, we'll see if anybody recognizes this. Oh, I know that game. Hmm. That's oh, that's by Lud Lustig. Uh, Those X Wings with collapsed wings? It's from Computerware, isn't it? I believe so. Oh, I remember it now. I'll let anybody it else guess first. It looks like a bunch of deferentials. <laughs> right it's a it's a space shooter for one. kevin holloway beat me to it in the chat that was my guess as well oh i didn't see what's what's kevin holloway's guess in the chat my, it's not up on my screen zone ah well yes i have the lustig in computerware computer part wear. right <laughs> It's not a moon. Exactly. So is this and like we'll the, be playing that on level three because I tried out levels one and two and they were pretty too easy. Easy. So, so what was your question, Mark? Marco? Or was that you that was asking questions? I didn't have a question. Okay. Is this similar to uh Star Raiders? Very um, simplistically, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> it's basically very, a 3D very shooter, but that's it. It's just a 3D shooter, yeah. I think it has shields, though. Can't you bring up some rotating circles for his shield? It says there? you can, but I, I've never figured out how to. It's a key on the keyboard, if I remember. I'm, I'm waiting for Mark to read the instructions. Okay. If, if they're there, something. that's the one I know. So sure I don't have. have to read the instructions. The dramatic reading. I can't wait. It sounds exciting. <laughs> dramatic yeah, that's reading. the best part of the live show is that here, Mark, uh, do his dramatic reading of instructions. Or <laughs> snore. And then crit critiquing the author of the uh, instructions, like when they forget to put commas in. Oh, right. And yeah. then sometimes he introduces his own, so it's, it's a wild mixture. You never know what you're going to get. Yep. <laughs> and all the words come out, mostly. <laughs> all the words come out. <laughs> all the words come out, whether they're pronounced correctly, sometimes not in the right order, but hey, they're there. They all come out. That's right. there. <laughs> it's like Ikea. All the letters are there. You just have to assemble, yeah, yeah. assemble them any way you want. Some you may have required. spares left over. It's a subjective thing, right? It's all fine. <laughs> nice Christmas tree in the background there. Yeah. I have oh, to yeah. keep putting it away in the closet to uh, keep the cats out of it. <laughs> gotta, gotta ask you something, uh, Rick. That uh, that uh, trackball you have there? Does, does yeah. that work? Uh, does that work on the color computer? 
Oh, yeah, yeah I was playing the, yeah. the, the thing I was doing with the... The, the missile defense. Missile defense. It, it works. It, it spins. You can you can get your yep. slap shots going. For the games that use that kind of control, it's perfect. Nice. And Waiko did make a... Total. Waiko did make a specific Coco version of their trackball that's not an Atari adapter or anything. That's actually designed you know, for the Coco from Waiko in the first place. RS stuck on the front of it here. Great. From Waiko. And it, it's a beautiful thing. It works yep. for... They were 70 bucks game. US when they came out. I remember that. They're expensive. Uh-huh. Right. They wow. have a separate power supply and uh, let's see. What? Second power supply? Yeah, it, it needs its own 5 volts to power the so it's like if you just scroll upwards it doesn't it goes to the top and just stops it doesn't it doesn't roll back to the bottom right well no let me let me uh, get no it it just goes to the top like you said yeah so they'd have to have circuitry to convert uh uh you know the zero to five volt swing instead of just a pot where it roll back around to zero again it's a screen map technically you have to scroll carefully am i on the on the screen here. Yes. Okay. This, but you can do the old trackball. This look quite precise on the motion side. It's of good. Things. No, it's it's yep. good. You have to you have to give it the old. You can actually use it, say, on the G shell GUI to ma- navigate your mouse with a high risk joystick interface too. So, just so it, if you want to try. Precision. It's very precise. And to get across the screen, you just sling that cursor, you know, <laughs> the old cue ball, isn't it? So it nice. is a good trackball. It's very nice. It's just there wasn't that much that used it, and it was very expensive. And mm-hmm. it's got it weighs very yeah, substantial. Yeah, it probably do things going on. So it would probably do very well on Cocomax, I guess. Yeah, it oh, might yeah, actually. It, it's a it's a good precise thing. I don't think it'd be quite as precise as a mouse for drawing, but uh, yeah, really it, it useful. Does for, but what for it what it does is it lets you change scale quickly. Normally, <laughs> if you if you're scaled in precisely, it's a long way across the screen. With trackball, you can be very precise, but then you can just kind of fling it and then stop it. And the, yeah, it scales the, basically. It scales by physicality. The the weight, mm. you know, you can stop the large trackball um, more precisely it's than it's got you. some mass to it. Well, the thing is, yeah, it's got mass, and you can kind of drag your finger on it and slow it down and do all that kind yeah. of. Yeah, it kind of takes consideration acceleration. So if you move faster, it'll move proportionally, geometrically well, just, faster, not just arithmetically faster. It's 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 okay. just that you don't have to take the time to scroll it. One, two, three, four. You can just oh. go zing and then stop it. And it will handle that. And I think that's where they put their money in. It it uh, it tracks much nicer than anything I could cobble. Patrick, up, you're gonna start Jim, making those? Patrick? Kim Lindner says it has actual rotary encoders. Yeah, yeah, yeah not it, like the radio it check mouse. It's it's a counter, it's not a it's not just a right thing. But they're fast. That's the other thing. They're not slow. The Wyco, a lot of things that I can make from this era of circuitry aren't this fast. They can't count that fast. If I go zing, it won't do anything. Where the Wyco goes, okay, zip, and it's across the screen. So, yeah, nice nice piece of hardware. 
Never well, seen we're... one before. So we're at uh, four hours. Are you, uh, we going to the news? Holy cow, news too. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff happened besides us. Yep. Well, I've, I've got uh, some uh, stuff to do right before the news. So I've got uh, what interviews are coming up, and I've got uh, sure, upcoming shows, et cetera, too. So, well, let's go into those and just plow straight in. Dinner's approaching. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, true. We hope. I, I will um, speed speed run the the news here. So, so uh, you want your intro? Nah, let's just save time. Yeah, you guys can like my hair and fire next week. Okay. Imaginary here on the highlight of the show. Yeah. Only for you, Nick. Okay, so you guys seeing the screen there? Yep. Coco cool. Quest. Okay, so interviews coming up. So uh next week we have Mike Snyder. As I mentioned before, we actually did our test call with him, which went really well. He's gonna pick some uh, random games that are arcade style for Ken to pick for the uh game on challenge next week. And if you go on his website here, which is CocoQuest.com, he's got random pictures of random games. He's got some Coco 1 and 2 stuff, and then it switches to Coco 3, so you can actually see some of the games. But if you go down here, you can actually download all of his games as well. And these are the ones he published through T&D, and he also did some for Sportswear, if you remember that that company that advertised in Rainbow. But he's got discs and discs of games here that you can download and try. So he's our guest next week, and we will be having a game on challenge next week as well, based on one of his games. And I don't know what it's going to be, and Ken's going to pick it. Or maybe he'll let Sloopy pick it. Who knows? We And then the next interview after that, January 6th, we have a double interview. We have Doug Mastin, uh, who's the uh, creator of Contras. Now, this is the one that uh, you can see, like, Doug Mastin production here. It was finished by Jeff Steidel, and we'll get into the whole what happened behind the scenes there that caused that. But we're also going to have Glenn Dahlgren again from Sundog to come in as kind of a co-interviewer. Uh, talking about the development and going back and forth. This is a game that you guys might have remembered in Rainbow. It was advertised for two years before it finally came out, so we can get into the whole story behind that. And then two weeks after that, on January 20th, Glenn Delgren will be back again as a solar interviewee, and he's got the final book of his uh, Chaos series coming out. I don't know if you guys have been kind of monitoring that on Facebook, but here's the uh, cover for it, and this is the final chapter of the four books. Um, So we'll be discussing that, and he's also going to see if he can find some... Uh, old design stuff from the Coco back when he was running Sundog, all the games he wrote himself and see if he's got some of the old, uh, you know, drawings or maps or that kind of stuff to see if we can go through it, you know, kind of get some of the history of Sundog back in the day, besides just talking about it, but having some physical stuff to show. So that's the interviews we've got booked so far. And I'll switch. Okay, you guys should be seeing the uh, Toronto Pet Users Group thing. Yeah. Okay, so this is actually going on this weekend. And as we mentioned last week, it's a Commodore Pet Show. So they've got, you know, pets in 64, Commodore 64s, Vic 20s, Amigas and stuff is obviously the main focus. But because Frank of Retro Rewind is a sponsor there, and he knows there's some Cocoa people in the area, because this is in Mississauga, Ontario, today and tomorrow. Uh, he's going to have Cocoa STCs and other Cocoa products there as well. And he's actually having some special sales. So if you're in that area and you want to get a Cocoa STC for cheaper than normal, uh, it's worthwhile to have to go through a bunch of Commodore stuff, I think, to go get one. So uh, thank you, Frank, for doing that. And as far as upcoming shows go, we've got VCF Southern California. 
uh, in Orange, California, on February 17th to 18th. And uh, that's at the Hotel Fair Event Center in Orange. So you can get details at vcfsocal.com. And then later on, we've got the 32nd annual last Chicago Cocoa Fest on May 4th and 5th at the Holiday Inn and Suites Chicago Carol Stream, which is in the Chicago area, of course. And that's the premier cocoa-focused uh, show, unless you live in Brazil. Um, and uh, we're expecting this to be a, a special one. There's going to be some special hardware and stuff showing up at this one that uh, pretty well nobody's seen before. So you definitely don't want to miss this one if you can possibly make it. Then we have Boat Fest, the third annual Boat Fest in West Virginia. This is, of course, the Amigos, uh, Brent, Aaron, and John Schaller going to be hosting this again. This is a general games-oriented one, so you're going to see a lot of retro machines, ret retro video game consoles, retro home computers, sometimes you know pinball machines and stuff show up there too, so tons of stuff to do there. And uh, that's at the Social Event Space in Hurricane, West Virginia. And then that exact same weekend, they just officially announced that the date is out. It's uh, June 14th to 16th, and this is in Dallas, Texas, and this is uh, VCF Southwest. So this is a show that uh, finally came back after uh, quite a long break last year, and they had an entire Tandy panel there of some of the original people that did hardware design and stuff. So if you want to visit with some of the Tandy people, because a lot of them still live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, um, this is the one to go to. Um I'm, like Mark Siegel was there last year. I'm hoping he's going again this year. I know John was it John Prickett was supposed to be there and he wasn't able to make it. So I'm hoping he'll be there this year because he's one of the guys behind some of the Coco designs themselves. And uh, there was a, quite a few uh, interesting people like Brendan Donahue. Uh, he's been there because, of course, he's in that area as well. Now, this is one I would like to make it to sometime because uh, I would like to talk to some of the old Tandy guys, honestly. And uh, hopefully they'll have another Tandy-based panel again. Uh, like they did last year, because there was a lot of interesting stories that came out of that. So that's at the Davidson Gundy Alumni Center at the University of Texas, Dallas, and June 14th to 16th. So that's covering the events coming up. So now we can get into the news. I'll do the game on news first, just to kind of finish that off. So I grab the right window. Hey, you guys should be seeing a little green screen there with a little hey. bar of blue. Yellow. Okay, so first up, uh, Jim Gary ported a 4K version of a fellow called Ojello, originally written by Kyle Perkins in 1980 for the Bally Astrocade with its color or Bally Basic add on cart. Um, this is originally from uh, their magazine called The Arcadian, Volume 2, Number 5. It is both one and two player modes. And play, you know, with one player mode, it plays against you. So uh, that's uh, pretty impressive to jam it into a 4K program. It's not, you know, obviously it won't be as fast as a machine language one for deciding your moves and stuff here, but it plays quite well. And you can play against another human player or you can play against computers. So Jim actually did a almost half hour gameplay live here to, to demo the game off. I'm obviously not going to play all that. And then the second one Jim did this past week, <clears throat> excuse me, 
is a port of a 1977 version of Blackjack originally for the Sol computer, SOL. Are, how many people here are familiar with that computer? That's one I remember hearing about, but I never saw Soul. it back in the day. Soul? Is that how it's pronounced? Yeah, it's Soul. Is um, that the 65021? I have no idea. I, I remember seeing ads for it's it in either. Byte, but I never followed it, so I don't know. I don't know if it's a 6502 or if it was a Z80, 8080 for IMSA, you know, a, a S100, but one or the other. It's that old. <laughs> it's one of the <laughs> old ones. And this one doesn't have actually official authors. It's just by initials written by JLL adapted for soul. So I, whoever that is, I don't have no idea. Um, now, one thing that Jim specifically mentioned in this version here, he said that he uh, says that the dealer has lots of personality in this one. So it's not just the standard, you know, pick your cards and all that kind of stuff. It actually kind of is chatty with you a little bit, I guess. Um, like, for example, on the screen here, for those that are listening on the audio only podcast, uh, how much Oops, it just went by. I can't see it now. Um, like you lost $100 play one, but you'll probably win next time. Uh, so, you know, how much of that big stack are you betting player one, that type of thing? So it's got a little bit of a personality rather than just, you know, the drab, you know, reporting the facts type thing. I assume it gets even a bit more lippy later on. I didn't play long enough here to, to do that, but you guys could check that out too. Next up, now this is not a Coco game in this form but it was a coca game so this is elksoft at elksoft.com and he does a lot of uh games writing a basic compiler called blitz basic i think yeah blitz basic <clears throat> and now he's done ports of some other games and you can go to the main part of the site you're see but i'm going to highlight this one because it just got released this last week so basically he really liked the game a demon attack by magic but he particularly thinks that the Coco version is the best one. I'll just read the first paragraph so the audio listeners know what he says about it. It says, Demon Attack X is a remake of the Tears of D Tandy color computer game that was published by Magic 1982. Actually, the Coco version came up a bit later, but that's the original copyright. There were numerous ports based off the original Atari release, but I always found this version, the Coco version, to be the best due to the unique graphics and the amazing boss battle. Nothing else comes close. So he's actually got this a free download. You can just come and grab it. He's got some screenshots. It's even got some option screens. Do you want to play with full artifact? Do you want to do a Coco artifact? Do you want to expand it EGA palette, as he calls it? And then he's got a bunch of other games here, too. You can check out, and they're all free. Just, you know, go download it type thing. This is from Windows Machines. Now, he mentions there that it's Windows 95, 98, 2000, XP, and Vista. Um, I'm not sure if Blitz Basic has restrictions going past that point, or if he just, you know, has a standard thing he cut and paste and kind of forgot there's you know other versions of windows past vista so i don't know if it works on ones past that like windows 7 10 11 etc but i thought i'd show you a little bit of the gameplay on the video here if you want to go check it out um it has background music playing the background that's a bit faint and here's some of the options you can do here's you know what percentage of volume do you want for sound effects for music do you want pal do you want the ej color extended color set on filtering But basically, it looks really close to the Coco version, so you did a good, good port of it. Yes, really nice. The sound effects are the sound effects are pretty close to the original Coco version. Then he's got the music background added onto it. So, but here's one of the alternate color set things. Uh, so he's added a few different colors. But I thought it was pretty nice that he actually gave the Coco version of this game, which is a classic, uh, the shutter that he thinks is the best version, because this version is the TI, 
Atari's Commodore 64. You know, a lot of machines got this game, and uh, to get ours singled out as being the one of the best ones is not something you hear every day. <laughs> Unless you're talking about Donkey King. Speaking of Donkey King, um, the uh, YouTube channel Braun Robin Bird um, it revisited Sockmaster's Donkey Kong Remix, the Coco 3 version. Uh, and this is something he tried doing a live stream of a few months ago, I think three or four months ago, and I covered it there. But he had some issues, and it didn't play all that well. So this time, rather than trying to do a live stream, he actually did the recording separately so we could you know, make sure everything was working properly before he got started. And uh, this time he did much better. You'll get to see a lot of the screens. Now, if those of you have not played Donkey Kong Remix, this is basically based on the it's the transcode, so it's based on the original arcade hardware. Uh, but this is where Sockmaster created his own levels, and he's now backported this to real arcade ROMs you can put into a real uh, Donkey Kong arcade cabinet and actually play this version. And these are like, you know, fiendishly difficult versions of, if you thought Donkey Kong was hard before, boy, this is European level hard or something, or maybe Japanese. So um, for those who have not seen it, like here's one of the screens here. You can see that they've got splits and stuff in the middle and, and barrels are coming from like two sides at once type thing. So I'll play a little clip of this one. And they'll show you one of the other screens, one of the newer ones. There's a, the classic screens are still on there too, but. Great sound. Yeah. You got that spring left of the oil can where some of the barrels bounce back up after you and stuff too, which is brand new. And then you got this one here, which is kind of a rivet screen with a big difference. Because uh, you got all these other ladders and multi-level stuff that you have to go through too. You still have to pull all the plugs out and then, you know, Donkey Kong plummets down. By the way, that trick in the arcade game of jumping by his foot still works. You want to milk it for points. That sort of teeny bit here. But you can see, this one you have to be careful on because once you pull the pegs and it drops the platform, you can get marooned if you don't do it right. Um, where you basically just have to die. So it's much more difficult than the original Donkey Kong. That's still got the uh, the intermission scene here. And there's other ones, like he's modified the pie factory, he's modified the elevator screen, like there's a whole bunch of different game players. So if you're a huge Donkey Kong fan and you don't mind the game being quite difficult, I mean, part of it's just learning the tricks of, you know, how the level's set up. You have to approach things quite a bit differently than you do on the regular Donkey Kong. But, uh, yeah, this is a, a masterful one. This is one that actually is fairly caught or uh, fairly well sought after by people who are into the arcade version of Donkey Kong. Because, like I said, this is a ROM set you can order from Sockmaster to replace. And they use this in tournaments and stuff now because it's actually more challenging than the original. The Prince Prince of Persia 4D level of things is really amazing. Yeah, yeah. And this is a channel we visited about four months ago um, called Attempts, a gaming channel by LR. And I just got a couple of notifications coming out of here, and he's actually got playlists now for the Coco and for the Dragon. And this last week, he's spent uh, quite a bit of time on both platforms playing some of the games. I'm not going to play game videos here because I don't want to extend the show too much, but you can see on the screen here, like this last week, he's played like Zaxxon on the Coco, Fexter on the Coco, Temple of Rom that we ran in black and white mode for some reason. 
Super Pitfall, Pitfall, which I will mention, he's running the 639 version because the speed's a lot better than the original cart. Uh, Space Assault and Skiing. And then on the Dragon, uh, right here, he's played like Whirlybird Run, which is you know a Coco port, but Vultures, which was a Dragon exclusive at the time, Touchstone, which is a port, Time Bandit, Planet Invasion, The King, Donkey King, basically, the second version. Starship Chameleon, and he's he's always trying to go for high scores. So these are different videos showing like the different levels of different games as he's playing through them. So you see quite a few Starship Chameleons. He got up to level nine, but yeah, he does these. Uh, I think he's actually trying to compete on what is it? Um, Alan Murphy would know it. It's the uh, Gal- Galaxy or whatever the one that does the high score official high scores for platforms. Queen Galaxy. Queen Galaxy. Thank yeah. you. I think that's what he's competing with. And, of course, he's got a cute cat like most of us appear to have in the show. So, But if you if you want to check out a bunch of Dragon and Coco games, he does a ton of platforms. Like you can see here, I just wanted to kind of show you. Like these are the playlists for the various platforms he tries. So he's got some fairly modern stuff like, you know, Xbox 360s and stuff. But then he also does stuff like the Bandai Wonderswan, which is one of the – I would never have heard of it if it wasn't for uh, the Migos because they covered it in AGR once. But Let saying me guess. It's Japanese. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> this this is an interesting one too. He's only got two games here, but the Thompson MO and TL, that's another six out of nine based system out of France. So he actually has a couple of games playing there, which I think I might as well show you an example because not many people have seen this thing running. I think uh, if I remember correctly, they had a Thompson or a couple of Thompsons at the last dragon meet up here. Here's a Space Invaders where you're an umbrella protecting yourself from tornadoes and rain clouds and shooting back. (laughs) It's weird. (laughs) That's a play comment. Wonder Swan. Well, they (laughs) definitely can't get dinged on, you know, look-alike graphics. (laughs) Not on this one, no. (laughs) Not at all. So, I mean, it's a 6809. Yeah, yeah. It's a 6809 based system. I think at one megahertz, if I remember correctly. But you can tell already that the, the, the video chip is not the same as the Coco and the Dragon. It's a different one entirely. Almost looks like maybe it's a Sinclair style one or something. I'm not too sure. I don't do too much about the hardware off the top of my head. And if Kieran was still awake, he might, he might know. I'd be curious to know what it is. The broken resolution on the title up there. It's probably not in the Max 6 stuff. Well, it does have that cell color look of the... Uh... Sinclair style graphics, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure I could look it up, but I don't want to extend the show any longer. So that, that's <laughs> an exerciser yeah, to the viewer. Yeah, the viewer. yeah. Next up, uh, Chronological Gaming back after a week long Thanksgiving break, and on one of the shows this past week, he ended up covering uh, several Coco games and Dragon games. Um, so we got Phantom Slayer. He did both the Coco and the Dragon versions, which, as far as the game itself, is a absolutely identical gameplay. They just had to remap the Dragon keys. But the Dragon version also added multiple text screens of instructions. So the complete instructions from the original Med Systems North American uh, instructions, which are basically just a couple sheets, Xerox type thing, is actually included in the game itself because they had 32K and Phantom Slayer only required 16. So they said, we might as well fill it up with the instructions and you don't have to worry about reading it off the cassette inlay. And of course, as usual, their artwork's a lot better on their covers here. And the other games he covered, uh, he covered Scarfman for the Dragon, and this always was one that was weird to me. Um, Scarfman was released on the Coco as one of the few machine language arcade games that could run on a 4K cassette system. 
So that was a bit of a programming feat. And then if you only had 4K, it was nice because it was one of the very few. The Dragon started, I mean, there was some brief interlude at the very beginning with that, a couple 16Ks, but basically it was a Dragon 32 because it had 32K RAM. So the minimum system for Dragon 32. And considering they already re-released uh, a version of Ghost Gobbler by Spectral that ran at 16K, was much higher res, much closer to the arcade. Why would you bother releasing a 4K, you know, understandably because it's 4K substandard version of Pac-Man for the Dragon if you already had these other 16Ks like Pack Attack and Gold Sculptor and stuff like that. Like, I don't understand why they even bothered releasing Scarfman at all for the Dragon. That just doesn't make sense to me. And the other one they did is one that probably a lot of you have not seen called Realm of Naga. And this was a Chromaset one. And this is one that got delayed quite a bit from when it was written. So the person that originally wrote it, and you can get the full details of it on my website, uh, was written in, I think it was September of 1981. So like within a year of the Cocoa getting released. Um, but it didn't get published until August of 82. So, you know, a lot had happened in, in the gaming industry on the Coco even by that time. So what could have been a way ahead of its time game became kind of, yeah. <laughs> but it's basically, it's a it's a adventure game where you're going through multi-screen maps in low res, picking up objects and weapons and dodging monsters, killing monsters and stuff here with three fours that you have to go through. It's a flip screen game. It's written in basic there is a couple of ML routines, though. There's one for drawing the background screens as you go from screen to screen. It's a four-by-four four grid of, uh, you know, the standard text screen with semi-graphics. And uh, it's actually a fairly involved game. It runs a bit slow because most of it's in basic. The, the flipping screens is nice and fast because that's a little ML routine. But it's actually not a bad little game. It's kind of like a mini Akalabeth or something like that. Um, but, yeah, it was it was delayed almost a year from when he submitted it to when it got published, which is a crying shame, honestly. But if you want to check that one out, that's in that particular episode too. Uh, next up, the and last up for the uh, gaming section here of the news is a couple game or videos put up by Retro Three Sixty Five. Now, these are the graphic adventure game versions of Black Sanctum and Clixto Island, which I'm sure you've all seen before. Now, what you may have not have seen before, unless you really follow Mark Data Products is that they released these for CGA on the IBM PC just a few months after the Cocoa versions came out. And the graphic versions on the PC were done by the same two authors, Bob Withers and Stephen O'Dea, as were done on the Cocoa. So this is like CGA, and their color set's kind of like half bad and half good. They have black and white, which I know Nick always was, you know, ticked off that we didn't have a high resmo that did that, unless you had artifact colors. But then they also mixed magenta and cyan with it. Oh so God. they kind of mixed half pastel and half decent... Um, but other than that, you can tell like the, the graphics have pretty well been ported directly over, um, from yep. the Cocoa one and just adjusted every single pixel. Yeah. Just the color, you know, the color is a little bit different, but you can even see like the graphic on the top there, you got extra white bars on the side that the text underneath mm -hmm. fills in. So they didn't even try to rescale it. It's still 256 by, you know, whatever the height of the graphics portion is. So it's literally using the Coco 4 color graphics from there. P14 artifacting. Hardly Puyan. I mean, that's like that still me. our Black Sanctum, I should say. That's the Episcopal. Lovely CGA. This one is looking better visually. Yeah. 
But I like the same animations, exact same gameplay. Like here, you can see like by the time machine in the office here, you've got the little machine operating exactly mm -hmm. like the Coco. So I do remember seeing these and, and Bob Withers and Stephen O'Day actually released these publicly. They had their own website for a while and you could download any of the versions, the Coco version or the PC version free. They were totally fine with having it go out to everybody. But since then, their site has disappeared. So if you find this on some, you know, game abandonware site and you're worried about being legal, um, it is legally been released by the original authors. So feel free to grab the Coco or the PC versions. That's the game on news. So let's get into the longers. Bring my window up. Okay. So George Jansen has been releasing some more of his assembly language tutorials, and he actually released a three-parter this time. And, and this is going into more of the text mode stuff, and he's you know writing different approaches in machine language to doing this stuff here. So the first one here is kind of going through attributes and colors and underlines, stuff like that. And then he has some hotkeys you can actually tell it to do, just change one line. So he's kind of showing you how to do it through ROM routines. So I'll just play a little clip of this first one. All right, you're going to see it's going to come out exactly the same way. Okay, the first six lines we did the old way, and the seventh line we did the new way. Not over exciting, but again, that's just another some more coding. I'm going to say examples, tricks, whatever you may may want to call them. So he goes through and like shows you the source code as as he's executing it and stuff as well. Um, and he's using LWASM, so if you have that handy, download it. Or if you don't have it handy, I should say download it. Won't be too many changes if you need to do it on a, you know, an actual Cocoa assembler from the time. And then on lesson two, this is the last part where he's using ROM calls for the high-risk text screen. So he did this basically so he could teach you the assembly language to do the actual text and stuff, but not having to worry about how the screen's laid out and all that kind of stuff. Um, then he starts going into a bit more advanced way. So on the third one, I want to play the second one because it's just kind of cleaning up part one, the rest of it. He didn't want to make the video too long. The third one is where he starts getting into objects. So now you're kind of defining your data in such a way that it becomes an object, which is a lot easier to manipulate if you have to start reusing stuff or you know manipulating a, a, what's in the structure. Can look at Spencer a little bit here. Right. Well. We're using the underline with a white foreground and a black background. And that equates to underline. If you remember the first position in, in the uh, that byte was blank, and the second one is underline. The white was in. And he kind of goes through and demonstrates that with some hotkeys. You can actually kind of see things. But it makes your code a little bit easier to follow and also a little bit smaller in the long run if you're doing a lot of this type of stuff. Instead of having to hard code a bunch of things, it, it makes it just much easier to manipulate and use the same routines, et cetera. And he actually built in help here, though. He showed you how he did his little help screen you can pop into. And, and then he mentioned that objects is the object style of programming is exactly how they did this little demo here with the letters flying around. And basically, it keeps little separate you know, objects for each of the letters here, and that you can control each one individually, like its position, its acceleration, what color it is, et cetera. So... Uh, that gets you more into what you'd probably use if you're going to start writing games. That's probably the style you'd be using, not 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 the uh, you know ROM calls, etc. So, 
Anyway, you can go check those out. Um, he's got three videos up there, which are meant to be watched as a tutorial. Um, if you don't want to type in all the source code listings, if you go into the uh, Assembly with George J channel on Discord, on the Coco Discord, he's actually got, you can download zips of the actual source code of these as well. So, you know, type it all in. Um, personally, I find if I type stuff in, I tend to learn it better. Uh, but I don't know if any of these videos, he actually shows the entire source code. Like he usually shows you a chunk of a routine to explain how something works. So it uh, probably is easier if you download the actual. He also gives you little uh, um, sort of lessons where he asks you to try to figure out something for yourself. Like he'll say, here's the code as it is. And I want you to change it. So this does this and this does this instead. And then that's your assignment to to actually do that. So you can figure out, uh, make sure that you're actually understanding what is happening and how it works. So far, he hasn't become the evil instructor who breaks a program and says, okay, fix it. <laughs> four bytes wrong, fix it. I hate those guys. Uh, next up, we got Coco Town. And he's been talking about uh, going in and doing some changes in MAME. I don't know if Tim Linder's still in the chat here. He can probably explain some of this better than I have. But basically, this is where he's kind of going into some precise timings and things here. Because he was seeing some tearing and stuff that he thought should not be happening in MAME for his uh, Moon Patrol clone. And the title of this episode is The Game That Broke MAME and Almost Me. Because um, he was you know, going through the actual MAME source code itself and trying to fix timing. And then he'd fix something that would fix his program. And then he'd find out some other commercial program suddenly broke. And of course, he's going back and forth trying to figure out. So I'll just play a little bit of the intro. And uh, then I'll go into a little bit later where he's talking about Dragonfire. Because I did mention that earlier. So I do want to play a little bit of that. Hello and welcome. Today I'm going to be talking about that game, Dragonfire, for the TRS-80 color computer and the highly advanced techniques that it's using to take advantage of undocumented effects to do some fascinating things and why it breaks MAME. But this video is about a lot more than that. Uh, I'm actually going to be talking about a bug that I discovered in the MAME debugger. Yes, MAME has a debugger. You can debug the emulated machine using the CPU that machine runs on. So if you're emulating a TRS-80 color computer, you have a 6809 debugger, which is super useful for debugging any software that you're running on it, but it can do a lot more than that. You can step through cartridge ROMs. You can step through the built-in ROM of the basic interpreter. You can set watch points on hardware registers so that you can be notified when the video display mode changes. You can even find out exactly where the beam on the CRT is at any given point. Much of this you could never do on the original hardware, so it's super useful. That is until I discovered this bug which made what I was trying to do impossible. So we're going to be talking about the steps I went through to try to understand the problem in MAME and to fix MAME. And along the way, we're going to run into Dragonfire and see if we can get that working better as well. Before you go further, you might want to check out this video, which goes into detail about the field sync interrupts and the horizontal. I'm going to skip ahead to the Dragonfire bit because I did promise. Even though the debugger now seemed happy and all the field sync interrupts were happening on the same scan line, I just couldn't leave well enough alone, and I had to look at this Dragonfire for myself and see, well, how bad is it really in MAME? Well, it's this bad. Hey there, it's Dave from the future. As I'm editing this together, I just want to add a little clarification. 
Between the left side and the right side, there's quite a bit of a tint difference between the two. That's not what's at issue. I'm really not sure what's responsible for that. It could very well be that my real Coco 2, as it goes through my capture system, uh, the, the colors might be getting munged quite a bit. Uh, and it's quite possible that the colors on MAME are more correct. I don't really know. But if you keep your eye on the right side screen, I will point out the actual issues with the mouse. So on the left, you can see this weird, like, uh, shrinking and growing region of extra purple. And on this side, you can see an extra growing and shrinking region of uh, green and yellow parts of the brick. And if you look carefully in the right border, you'll see this bizarre line that goes up and up and up and up. And then there are these extra purple outlines and, and yellow outlines in some places. Like, what is going on? In order to understand, we need to understand what... You need to understand that you have to go watch the video because I'm not going to play the whole thing here. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you have 3D glasses, it's for that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so if there's a bug in the debugger, did the debugger point this out? Hmm. The debugger do his job. That sounds like Inception or something to me. <laughs> yeah, you've got some kind of reality fold going on here. I don't want to go there. Mar Mark's just trying to break the internet with that one. <laughs> it involves dark matter and black holes or something, I think, is what you're getting out there, Mark. So. <laughs> anyway, he goes through, actually, he goes through the debugging in MAME, and there's, uh, you know, following scan lines, figuring out what's going on, explains what Dragonfire is doing. Does a bit of an example himself where he changes the color set part way through the screen, which a lot of programs used. Music I used it to go between text and graphic screens as an example. And then uh, quite a few of the one company that did Dragon games that did Rommel's Revenge used to have their highlight bar for menu selection was in the white color set, while the rest of the menu was in the green color set type thing, you know, on a graphic screen. So there's that technique's been used for quite a bit. Dragonfire was unique because it was changing these modes multiple times every single scan line. Which is takes precise time and kind of like what uh, Karen was talking about earlier to get the uh, VDG Sam scrolling thing working the hardware scroll. Anyway, really interesting. If you want some good e detail on how to do some of this fancy manipulation of graphics on the Coco, as well as if you want to you know, learn how some of the MAME internals work for Coco emulation, excellent video. Definitely check it out. I enjoy his question about uh, the the color, the difference in color you have there, because uh, that. Uh, the kind of green that is working as cyan on the other picture is what we usually get on uh, semi-graphics here, a very pure cyan on okay. whatever television. And there it's uh, kind of like a, a green, a sort of gr olive green. This, this is the most interesting part on the color side of things. Yeah, I mean, like here, because I'm used to the RF output on TVs, it didn't... It, it was never the same between two Cobos because everybody's tint control on their TV might be a little bit off. So, it, you know, it, it changed mm. a little bit no matter where you went. So it doesn't really bother me much, but I guess if you're used to like RGB colors, you know, the pure style, and if that's different, well, then you've got, you know, something you should be trying to match. Mm -hmm. uh, next up, now, this was actually talked about on Hacker News, but uh, this is actually the original article Hacker News was referencing to. So that's why I decided to show this one instead. Uh, but they had a link in discussion on an article on the Boston Diaries website, which we're showing here, uh, which talks about writing a maze drawing program in similar language for the Cocoa 1 and 2 and trying to debug it. And then goes into a discussion of whether to use unit testing methods, uh, like modern testing would be using. Does that apply to old 8-bit machines? 
Now, when he goes through it, by the end of the article, he's kind of thinking it doesn't really apply as much to 8-bit machines back in the day. Um, and this was posted by James Jones. So I was wondering for any of you programmers that actually deal with that type of thing, what's what's your opinion on that? If anybody has an opinion on that. Talking about programming methodologies? methodologies yes. I, I think it's all relevant. Well, the thing is, 8-bit's not that hard, so do you really need unit testing for the kind of That's kind of what he gets to hear. Like, I'll just read his last, you know, one of his summary paragraphs here. He said, yes, I freely admit that a unit test of this subroutine would have shown the bug, but how much time would I have spent writing the test code to begin with to do unit testing? The only reason it took me as long as it did to find was because of the reference code I was using was quite convoluted, and I spent time simplifying the code as I went along, which is worthy of doing anyways. Um, and this is something like Nick. Uh, I, I, I'm assuming you probably don't do unit testing um, on your stuff. You just kind of like play with it until it works, right? He's the unit, man. <laughs> yeah, he's the unit. <laughs> or is Nick still here? He might have actually gone off to eat or something. I'm in the other room. Oh, <laughs> hurry back, man! <laughs> I'll read the last paragraph while he's getting the mic. Uh, what I wish the unit testing proponents would realize is that easy testing depends upon the language and the tooling involved in the project and what a unit is truly depends upon the language. I suspect that unit test proponents will also find unit testing easier to deal with than integration testing or even end-to-end -end testing. That's why we get unit tests Uber alleys shouted from the rooftops. Right. Yep, I tested one thing, therefore I'm perfect. Yeah, like I know when I do testing, like I I, I sometimes let bugs through too. I just had to fix one in Basic 9 that'll be on the next EOU release. But um, I did pump it through a bunch of tests. I just didn't test every single possible combination. And it was only on, you know, numbers that are quite far apart in each other at an exponent level where the, the bug was showing up. So it, it took a while to find, because I ran it through a fair bit of tests. I think I ran, I think it was 10,000 numbers of uh, sequences that I went through to try it. And I didn't have a single error in that entire time. And then when James did it, he did a completely different meth method of testing. And then he, he hit the bug, you know, a couple hundred in or something like that. So that's where that happened. Well, I'm back. Okay. So, so what's, what's your idea of unit testing? Uh, it's a, yeah. So I explain again. What the hell is unit testing? <laughs> Since you don't have bugs, for those of us who do, we, we, we do certain things to try to find them. <laughs> yeah, unit testing is a method of, of trying to find a bug where you, uh, I think you actually did a pretty good explanation, probably better than I'd be able to do here. Find it again. I always think of unit testing, and maybe I'm wrong, is, is, uh, a subsection of your whole program, you test one particular thing. Like in this case was a keyboard routine or generating a random number. You check just to make sure that one section by itself works like it's supposed to. You give it whatever inputs and it gets whatever outputs you expect. I thought that's what uh, Buck Owens and uh, Tasman did. Well, the thing about unit testing is you might have a hundred people working on this thing. So you have to you can't depend on anyone's knowledge to make the whole thing work. You have to make sure every little particle works properly individually. Well, that's perfect in a corporate environment where you can afford to expend the effort. But 
on a Coco, you just have to take the guy who's writing it and say, okay, he's got it. You know, it, it's it's a little bit different. Well, com- compared to today's programming, a Coco programming, one person can keep it all in their head. Right. Yeah, that's important. All right. You don't have to check every particle because you can trust the guy to have pretty much made a good sandcastle. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll just read a couple of little blips here where he's talking about it, <clears throat> just so people kind of understand better what, what it is and what he thinks about it, aside from the summary I did at the end there. So now the question I want to ask is, would I have saved time if I did unit testing? Not just testing, which I was doing all along, but the typical style of unit testing where you test a unit of code, looking over the code, and that version has the bug. See if you can find it. You also need these two files. The most isolated unit is random, the random routine, random general routine. And he says, it's here I came to realization. Unit testing really depends upon the language and the tooling around it. Modern orthodoxy holds unit testing uber alis, and therefore modern languages and tooling is created to support that. And woe betide those who question this. I think my struggle with unit testing is that the environments I find myself in don't lend themselves very well to unit testing. Even when I worked at the enterprise, we were using C, C99 at best, and C++, and he says 1998 and maybe 2003, which take a lot of work up front to support unit testing well. And there wasn't a lot of work up front to, or sorry, and there was decidedly lack of unit testing frameworks and here, there's definitely not any unit testing framework, you know, doing assembly language 6809. So any unit testing I have to do involves writing yet more code. So let's write yet more code and test this sucker. So he's saying it actually slows you down because you're <laughs> having to create special code to test out each individual subroutine or function in your program. But now you need code to debug your testing code. Yeah, that's kind of what he's getting at. <laughs> So what, what do you think of that, Nick? Like when you write subroutines for your games, do you write a special program to test that subroutine with every single combination that you can think to hit it with? Or do you just integrate it into the main program and just test it from there? I integrate it. And um, if it's causing problems, I'll do something to give some sort of a uh, idea that that subroutine is failing in certain ways, either a, you set uh, the border color, certain color at different points in the code. So you know that it gets up to a certain point okay. So basically you're isolating where exactly in that code that problem is happening. Um, okay. So, yeah, I don't know if I if, – if what I'm doing is unit testing as is explaining – it's sort of a mixed bag. I don't know. There's a lot of big words. I, yeah, there. I think in certain cases, like in the case of this problem I had with Base 9 with the real edition routines I optimized, I, I would not have found it without James doing a unit testing style methodology. Um, but on, on most of the other stuff I do, it's it's I'm more along the lines of what you do. You you isolate the routine that's causing the problem because you can you know kind of trace through and figure out, oh, that subroutine, it works up until now and now it doesn't yeah. when it comes back. Um, or you or you jump lines of code, so parts of the of the of the software should become disabled, uh, and if if you do that and you're still seeing the bug, well, obviously you're jumping the wrong area. So you just keep doing that until you locate, isolate where the bug, the the problem 
is um, <laughs> nice correction. Hey, hey, it's not a bug. It's just a problem. You can't say bug. It's hard for him. That's right. That's right. We don't know that word. Scott, Scott Cooper says, what if you had a bug in your unit testing code? Well, that happens. And he actually mentioned that in this yeah, article, too. You gotta, yeah. Then Two you runs make test a right. your unit testing code, and then you got to yeah. test well, your testing code. You don't write a big block of code when you do unit. Well, when I do my testing, mm. and like I yeah. say, I prefer to take uh, disable sections uh, and then work out if the bug is still there. If the bug is gone, then you know you've disabled the suspect area and then yeah. you can you narrow it down basically yeah yeah um sometimes if it's a variable that you don't know could be going wrong i just send that variable to a to the border color register and then i know well it the border should be red if it's working but if it comes yeah. up green then i know oh, hang on that red that value is wrong and, you know we're not only talking a line or two of extra code so yeah, terrible. honestly, uh, Bill and I did that with Nitrous 9 the, when we were first developing that too, especially with interrupts, because interrupts are kind of hard to predict. That's why they interrupt. Yeah. Um, so we would actually set the border color depending on did it get into the interrupt routine um, or yeah. if it went to two different interrupt routines because we're trying to figure out if it you know got misidentified uh, as to what was the source of the interrupt. And uh, you know the, the color of the border would change and we'd know, okay, it never made it to the green interrupt routine yeah. or it's it's blue, so it actually went to the other interrupt routine. It shouldn't be calling at all, you know that type of thing. Uh, I will yeah, mention Alan Murphy in the chat says unit testing helps avoid regressions by detecting if later changes break something that was once working. If you're feeding modern right. code through continuous integration and continuous delivery, the unit test can be used by the automated code pipeline to keep knowing what these are or that these are. Right, right. Which all ties back into. If one person understands the whole thing and manages it themselves, there's no need for unit testing. They know what changed and what might have broken. But yeah, if like, there's a like, thousand person team, you have to have a test for every fart. That's yeah. like, like the uh, on switch on the back. You turn it on and it comes green. Turn it off and it's gone. I understand completely how that works. And that's why I don't program. <laughs> don't work. I load it in some other way. <laughs> a different so, version. Yeah. I was in corporate America for a little while. And yeah, you can't uh, scratch your head without. That, that's actually a good point, Rick, that uh, if you're doing a large team, or maybe even a team of a few people, like three or four, that might be enough that you start losing track of what pieces of the code that somebody worked on. Like when it was Bill and me working at Nitro Sign by ourselves, it was pretty easy because we met each other and we kind of exchanged, you know, I got this done today. You're taking over from here. But when Alan DeCock joined the team and he was doing stuff, you know, back in Ottawa and he'd just send code over, eventually he'd changed so much that I didn't understand what exactly was going on. And I assumed that something was going to call in his routines that he changed. I was assuming it would come back the same way it did before he did any changes. And all of a sudden, no, in certain cases, it didn't. And then I'd have to like phone them up and find out what, what exactly did you change here? Cause I don't really have time to look through the whole darn thing. So I think that does make some sense on uh, if you're having like at least a two or three person, you know, hitting the same code uh, that does definitely does make, and especially on larger teams, larger than that. I think you're definitely right. You have mm -hmm. to do something that helps automate testing, but mm -hmm. on something like a solo Coco project, um, is it worth doing all the extra coding to test every little routine? 
uh, with yeah. uh, writing in down and more <laughs> testing codes, you're basically doubling the coding you're having to do. Then I think Nick's right where it probably does not make sense. Right. You've accomplished half as much for no real reason. So I think it's a little disingenuous because the really good programmer, Steve Bjork did this where he would develop libraries of routines for stuff like his uh, sprite routines and stuff. And he'd use them on multiple projects. Yeah. So, once you've got a fully debugged, you right. use it's a library. Yeah. Well, yeah, but the thing is he wrote those libraries. He understood them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, Fred in accounting wrote this library I'm using now. Why is it failing? Did he give me any tests? <laughs> no. That, that, that's, that's why it. I, that's why I program alone. <laughs> smart man, smart man. So, sorry, go ahead, Marco. You had another. Yeah, just it, like I said, it's a little disingenuous because hey, you spend the time developing those, but those uh, unit tests also become a framework that you can develop in the future for other stuff. And of course, as mm -hmm. Robert Allen pointed out, when you go back, you can always ver verify anytime that system's been touched that it still meets all the criteria that it did when you initially said yes, it's good. And you can just automate that in the process. If you did a bunch of data, you see, expect to see a bunch of output. And if it isn't right, then you know, oops, something broke that. And then you go back and look at it. So anyway, I, I think it's like, it's like building blocks, you know, uh, both unit testing and the libraries you build. So, and yeah, mind you, I've been messing with the Galaxy Alcarin Al here. And it's like, man, it is, there's a lot of junk in there. So I totally understand. In a more practical term, if your code passes the unit test, you don't have to redo it. Yeah. I mean, in your case with Alcaron, though, that's also a multi-person project. So, I mean, you have to know it what is. Brett's doing, who has to know what Jay's mm -hmm. doing, Jay's you doing. Know, that type of thing. Yep. Mm -hmm. And it's and this project suffered a few times because stuff's been done and it broke other stuff. So. Yeah. Frederick, you were saying something too? If the, if there's one thing, I um, uh, not that I'm, I'm that deep into what you guys are talking about, but uh, depending on the genre of a game a person is developing, the, these two different type of tests play uh, an interesting role. For example, if it's an action-based game, testing things on, as, as the way you go, uh, just like Nick said, it's uh, it's uh, pretty much uh, a nice way to do it. If you're developing something like a roguelike game, then uh, it's it gets very complicated. And doing unit tests in a roguelike game uh, requires a heck of a lot of code added to to simulate the situations. If I'm getting all the conversation correctly, it's just that the genre and the kind of thing you're writing also uh, has a role into how the these two tests go about? That's, that's just that. Okay, Frederick, were you saying something too, or? Uh, no, I wasn't. Sorry. Okay, I thought I saw the green light light up there, so I wasn't sure. Oh, back, back so My my latest game's got a. I'm well. I'm constantly breaking it because as I, <laughs> as I as I develop a something and it works, I think okay, go move on to the next step where I bring in another element of the game, then it breaks again because then think, oh, gee, now I've got to rethink the entire code, do things a bit differently, taking into account what's coming. You know what I mean? So, yeah. But that's because the latest game I'm doing is is a pain in the ass. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> But if I can get it to work, it'll be good. So, so Curtis tells me. <laughs> I'm sure Ken would agree. 
Yeah, I, I like I, I think if you're if you're in a, a group of more than just one or two, you absolutely should do unit testing, at least on uh, certain routines at the very least. I think you can probably get away, especially in the same language on a eight bit machine, you can probably get away with not doing full unit testing. Um if you're a solo project and also depending on the nature of the project itself. Uh it might be, you know, taking more time to do that than it would to just, you know, do the spotty testing or whatever you want to call it, I guess, when you do the general running of a game, for example, and make sure it works. Um, that's an interesting, interesting philosophy. And he's he's basically saying it, it depends on the language you're using too. So obviously some you know later languages are definitely more friendly to this kind of thing right off right off the go. Hey, next up, we've got uh, Thomas Cherry Holmes of Fujinet fame. So he's actually working on the Cocoa version of Fujinet again, and he's posted the source code for his FSK coder, which will convert a CAS file format, which is basically just the data, like in you know hex form, or not hex, but binary form, uh, to audio, uh, actual raw audio for the uh, ESP32's DAC as part of getting Fujinet the Cocoa. So he's actually got a post on, on the Facebook uh, Cocoa group here talking about it. And then he's got a link to his GitHub that actually has the actual code. So if you want to see how he's doing it there. And he he was actually talking on the Discord. Unfortunately, you can get a chance to catch up too much on that. But they were talking about, you know, the way it's encoded and how the cassette board on the Cocoa works, et cetera. So if you want some pretty good, you know, hardcore background on how that works, both his source code and the discussion in Discord is actually quite valuable. This is the link here. This will be in the show notes too on the Discord here for today's episode. Uh, link directly to his uh, Cocoa and Code folder on his GitHub with the actual source code and readme's for it. Next up, we've got an update uh, from Simon on the uh, online web browser-based graphics editor for the Cocoa One and Two graphics modes. So the first thing he did earlier this week was actually showing the CSS options. So he's got that working, so you can actually see the actual colors of the pixels. And if you switch the CSS. Uh, color selection uh, it'll switch between the green yellow blue red and the white cyan magenta orange color sets and show you what the exact same binary data would do in each so you can kind of see if you know certain colors that might look better for you and then after that he did a bit of an animated one here kind of showing down some of the menuing and how it works uh, you can also reload stuff in remotely like over the browser from your own machine directly into the web page so i'll just play it's so just 40 seconds i'll just play the whole thing That's his famous Three Stooges screen he's used in some of his demos. Super great. Oh, Ooh, Debbie. So I, have, I know how well it's showing up on the stream there, but basically he's loading files from his local hard drive into the web page and then it renders it for you. And then you can play around with the zoomed. If you want to zoom in certain pixels, you can change the color sets to see what it would look like in an alternate color set. And then he'll be adding in, you know, standard editing features, you know, rather than just clicking dots, you can draw lines, et cetera. So it's coming along quite well. And I think this will be quite mm -hmm. handy for programmers. Um, you could go back if you want to be old school like Nick does and use Cocoa Max or Color Max or something like that to do this type of thing. But uh, having it in a web browser, you can just pop in from whatever machine you're on. What's that? I don't even do that. Oh, no, you use the Amiga, don't you? 
Well, for Coco 3 stuff, but all my semi-graphic games, I just wrote a little basic program and I dot for dot. I'll just draw directly on the Coco. Okay. Do you need to test your pixels or? <laughs> <laughs> I know they work first time because I have mm-hmm. no bugs. <laughs> Next up, now this was another retro computer show. Ooh, not quite a full blown show, but it was uh, basically the Wisconsin Computer Club had an open house last weekend, which I had no idea until after the fact. Nice. In Wisconsin Rapids, um, and he said we got the main line Cocos lined up and running. So for those of you watching on the video, you can see there's a Tier City Model One on the left, and I'm not sure what the little thing beside that is, laptop some sort. Then a Coco One, a Coco Two, and a Coco Three, and an MC10 way at the far end, etc. Here, so. This was uh, put in the uh, color computer group on Facebook by Alex McComber. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing your name right. Sorry if I'm not, but um, I didn't. I don't recognize him, even though it says he's talk contributor. So obviously he's been responding to a lot of posts. But um, Rick, are you still in Wisconsin? Sadly, this is about twice as far as Chicago for me. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, there seems yeah. to be a color computer without close over there. Probably a tree, color computer tree. Hmm. Oh, yeah, we got a two and a three. And a one, yeah, one yeah. two, two, three, MC10 with an SDX32. <laughs> on its side, just going to take the one in the foreground. Headways. <laughs> nice. Looks like he's got Rogue on the uh, Coco 3. The MC10 is doing unit testing. well you have to because it's full of bugs it's got a custom keyboard you got to give it some props there it looks like the tier same model one's doing robot battle which talked if i remember correctly oh cool obviously he's uh that mc10 has been used to hold up windows because it's sitting on its side (laughs) maybe they're rescuing they must be really (laughs) testing that yeah (laughs) yeah <clears throat> it's a nice, it's a nice machine. So, so Rick, uh, did you know about this particular club that even existed? Yeah, I kind of know they're up there. It, it's sort of in the Door County up north for me, where I can't afford to hang out up there very long because <laughs> it's vacation land. So, oh, okay, it, it's like yeah, they're up there. I can't really. Yeah, I'd like to plug these types of events if they're happening. Um, I don't know if you're in contact with them via email or anything like that, but if you ever heard well, of no, them. No, no, it's, it's a small club. They're really cool. If I was there, I would be there every day. But uh... So that Model 1 has color? Nope. Or does it's it green. have an overlay? It's called green. Yeah, that's the color, green <laughs> and black. color, a green monitor with a video You're seeing slightly at... different shades of because it's probably catching the raster going down on the photo, oh, so yeah. it's brighter yeah. on the... Because yeah, uh, exactly. you, you could put a, you know, colored uh, vinyl piece over it and do the same thing as Vectrix. Well, oh, you could, but you have to design games that actually know how to do that. But you even see like the Coco 2 down the line, there's got the rasters about yeah, halfway down the screen right. and then it's yeah. pretty well black, which is probably not what it's actually displaying as far as what we see. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. All of the video gets faster and faster. Full screen with a little shade, half screen, third screen. Yeah. 
Next up, we've got an update. VCC has been upgraded to 2.1.8.2 by EJ uh, Jackway. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, this fixes the TFM bug that we mentioned, I think, a week or two ago, <clears throat> where it was updating the counter in between the read and the write, or not doing it in between the read and the write, I think. Uh, so basically, it was doing it wrong um, in certain cases. And now he's fixed some other bugs and some other things. I'll just read his little notes here for those of you on the audio. Fix 609 TFM to increment and decrement the source register before the writes between the read and write cycles. Um, uh, converted release notes to markdown language. Corrected the debugger direct page register display. So there's a bug in that. Added the set PC button to the debugger processing window. So you can actually change the program counter and basically jump to any part of the code in the debugger the bug itself. The debugger. <laughs> Maybe he didn't unit test it. Um, yeah. Looks like this is. He's got a fix file exit bug, ACIA.DLL IO threads hang. So that's the, uh, I'm assuming 6551 uh, serial chip if you're done on a pack. So basically there was a problem in there when it was exiting. And convert user master guide, aka welcome to VCC to markdown language. So that's more you know technical details on how the manual and text stuff is stored. But the big one here is that the TFM bug, I think that that was something that somebody actually hit. And uh, that he reported the bug, and then you know within a couple of weeks to fix. So it's nice to see that EJ is reacting to bug reports on VCC fairly quickly and getting them fixed. So that's awesome. I think and it's once... hilarious that eighty years or forty years after I started in the cocoa, they're still fixing a CIA pack. <laughs> well, this is a virtual one, so. Well, yeah, but the old folks will get it. We've been fixing this thing since eighty. Well, that that chip still broke. Sorry. 85, yeah, and we're still fixing it. So 6552, I wish they still made them. Way better chip. Next up, this was kind of a cute one because it's from a web, or sorry, a YouTube page that I don't remember ever seeing before called Mimsy Was the Borrow Gave. I have no idea, or Borrow Gov. I'm not sure what the heck that is. Exactly. Uh, whatever. Um, but basically, this is the, uh, for those of you that bought the Cocoa 3 and actually typed in some of the demo programs from the Cocoa 3 manual and you got it, this was their palette demo, which drew some bars and filled circles and then just kind of rippled through palettes. On a Magnavox monitor, I think he's in composite mode here. But I was, that, that was kind of old school for me because that was one of the first things I remember typing in when I first got my Cocoa 3 back in October of 86. And, you know, that was the first time I kind of realized, hey, palettes can animate stuff. This is awesome. And they needed a second one here. I don't remember if this was in the Cocoa 1 and 2 manuals too or if it was unique in the Cocoa 3, but it's a P-Mode 0 demo. But it basically shows the kind of animations you can do with page flipping. So it's basically a yo-yo going up and down. So if you try to draw that in real time, you have to adjust the line and the circle where it positions on the screen. And basically, this just writes eight different positions and then goes forward eight, back eight, forward eight, back eight to do the animation. And this is actually slowed down. So basically, you do it faster than this. Oh, nice. So I remember seeing, I remember typing that one in too as a, as a demo too. That was kind of neat that uh, somebody actually took the time to do that. You know what's funny is you do stuff like that and your mother comes over and looks at it and goes, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. You're wasting your life. Yes. <laughs> wasting your life. That absolutely means nothing to them. <laughs> you know? I could have just bought you a yo-yo. Yeah. yeah. I didn't have to spend hundreds of dollars. I could have, you know, spent fifty nine cents. Okay, next up, uh, under the name of Tricop nineteen seventy four, I'm pretty sure this is Richard Kelly, who we've seen quite active in the uh, Coco Group on Facebook. 
also known as Retro Rick. So he's been doing a maze generating program for a while. And now this is a brand new version uh, called Maze Creator. And this works on the Coco 1 and 2 and the 3. And it'll adjust the screen display depending which one you're doing. Um, the, if the size of the maze is small on the Coco 3, it actually does some fairly nice you know, textured walls and stuff like that. And if you're doing a higher res one, it'll actually just do the outlines and you can generate the size of the one, what width and what height you want. It'll scale it appropriately to the screen. Um, it says working cells left, so it's kind of making it a solvable maze type thing. And uh, the, the main thing with this one here compared to the previous versions he'd done under a different name is that this is a fair bit faster for basic. Uh, as far as I know, he's not using any machine language in here, but his original uh, maze maker uh, was quite a bit slower. So I'll just play a little bit of the textured Coco 3 ones just to kind of see what it does. That's just finishing generating the last few cells. And then the little animated thing that goes to solve it goes running through. That'll burn up some time. And there's the low res, like the Cocoa 1 and 2 would do. But I think he's changed the palettes because it's on a Cocoa 3. And then just to show you how complicated this can get. That's a fairly high res one running in 640. That might take a minute. Yeah. So fast forward. I know what you're going to say at the end. And there it goes to solve it. Now, this is one that we actually had a screensaver under OS 9 that did this in written in C, if I remember. Rick, you probably remember this one, too. Likely. Yeah. But don't we see it on... Um, Brian, Brian Schubring has it on his, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. Not so. So would, would you say that that's amazing? Ah, shoot Ron. <laughs> shoot him now. <laughs> Coincidentally enough, Chroma said had a game called Amazing that actually did that exact same routine. Yes. <laughs> and here's another Coco one and two version of it if you want to do P mode two or four. I can't remember which one it is. Probably faster because it's a much smaller screen to deal with. But so basically you're doing the unit test at the end there. That would be a heck of a game, though. Two entrances, one exit. Yeah, the nice thing about this routine is you can can use this routine in your own basic programs to create a maze for like a dungeon game or something like that. It's always solvable, so you always have a route to get through it. But then you can just, you know, write your own stuff. you got monsters attacking you or stuff moving around or whatever you want to do. Cool. Is there a game that's ever been made that doesn't, like, end or has a a no ending or, you know? Pretty well every arcade game in the 80s. Oh yeah, <laughs> you go until you die. That's that's it. Or you know, rare cases you might crash the machine. I never realized that. Next up, um, I'll play the whole thing here because quite a few people have been asking about it. A lot of people have not seen this. Um, so for doing graphics, Jim Mollis has been working on his uh, Superpowers game. He's been using Graphics Express by uh, Jeff Steidel, was sold by Sundog which is basically a bunch of extensions of faster graphics routines and additional graphics routines for doing sprites and windows, um, for voice music with individual envelopes for each note or for each uh, voice. Um, And it's basically stuff you call with strings from a basic program. So it doesn't add new keywords to basic. It actually just adds this routine that you send a string to it with an exec command and it'll 
you know run whatever commands you gave it um the graphic speed routine speed ups here for certain functions are quite a bit faster than basic and the the windowing and stuff is actually quite impressive it's even ahead of what nitrous 9 is doing currently so for those of you who have not seen this before, I thought I might as well play it. It's just under three minutes. It has music demos and graphics demos and everything else here. So for those of you who are not familiar with this package, this is what you can do with GraphExpress. Sound coming through okay? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Remember if I check that box or not. Interesting red fading and fade out. I should mention there's a 256 color demo of this also on the original disc. That's for composite only. So it actually does kind of fake the 256 colors on composite. Though you'll lose some resolution doing that. Impressive. Yeah, it's still loading the ML drivers and stuff. Here. Nice. I will mention too, there's a bit of distortion on spots. I think there was his emulator giving him trouble because he's doing this on the emulator to record it. We didn't have the latest version. That's the kind of music I enjoy hearing from color computers. Now, Nick Marentes is hearing this, and he might have that in his next game now. But here you see he's got overlapping windows both running simultaneously with different graphics. That's cool. Yeah. That's pretty great. And what the heck, a third? Oh, nice. <laughs> It's like a supercomputer. Take that, Bill Gates, Windows One. <laughs> there he's got the distortion that's from the emulator. It doesn't yeah. do this normally. Mm -hmm. He's using X4. X4. Yeah, X4 has a few issues on my Mac doing that too, where especially if you go off the window and highlight some other window to be active, it really starts distorting. Anyway, I want to play the last bits, just more music and explanation. But basically, that's what it was doing. I will mention that the un or the the now sort of partly released uh, level two version three upgrade of Nitrous or OS nine by Kevin Darling and the rest of them actually had some of this functionality, doing multiple windows not stopping over top of each other. But the version we have gotten released does not do that because Kevin decided it was taking too much memory and they had to try to spec it to run on a 120K machine. And also he said it was too slow. Now, I don't know how fast it ran compared to this because I've never seen that version run. But the current version he has will let you put uh, full program windows over top of each other, but it'll pause the ones underneath. So this is the only current way of uh, doing you know, overlapping windows running graphics simultaneously. Yeah, That's a pretty impressive demo for a you know a one point seven eight megahertz machine with no graphics chip really, sure. and no sound chip. Yeah, no sound chip too. Yeah, it's all being done in software through six eight zero nine. So I think uh, the break key is actually in the chat right now. So he started a channel just this week. This is the first video he's ever released, and it's how to build a TRS eighty cassette cable for the Coco. 
So I'll play a little bit of it. And if he wants to make any comments about it, uh, he can in the chat there. Hi, folks. How y'all doing today? Welcome to the Break Key. My name's Henry. I'll be walking you through the various and sundry things that we're doing to relax today. And today, it's something ridiculously simple. Today, we are going to be making a cassette interface cable for the TRS-80 color computer. And this cassette interface cable is, if everything works out well, going to be a bi-directional cable that plugs directly into your laptop or cell phone or, or a phone's jack equipped cell phone with absolutely no problems whatsoever. So, Does it work? You'll have to check his video to find out. That's the life of WeFax, you know. I will certainly need to check his video for sure. Yeah, he's mentioned that his next video is probably going to be making a drive wire cable. So for those of you who want to, you know, try a drive wire without having to purchase a cable somewhere and you know have enough soldering skills to do, which means I'm exempt. Um, <laughs> go check that out. Yeah, he just commented in the chat. He said enameled strand of wire is a pain to deal with trying to Game attach board. them to the solder lugs. <laughs> That's why I didn't have a working data out. <laughs> he's got a red brake key. That's that's good. Yeah. That, that's actually kind of cool because I think the Coco is one of the few that actually said break and was a red key. So he's he's kind of steering it definitely towards the Coco. My kind of guy. Yeah, we might have to have him on the show sometime. So get in contact with a break key and uh, definitely check out the Coco Discord if you can. Join in the community. It's got a nice mic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, last few here. for the, Got a couple of the MC10 and a couple of the Dragons. So First one here, Jim Gary released a program for the MC10 specifically for American Thanksgiving, which I'll play because it's nice and short. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't publish it until you know between the two shows, so I didn't get it in time for you seeing it before Thanksgiving. Ba -ba -da -ba -ba -ba. <laughs> so, uh, did Ron, did you get a chance to try that one before uh, Thanksgiving? No. I didn't. Uh, darn. I would have, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up, Ruben Aparicio. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, posted how he updated his ALS to be internationalized to run NTSC. So he's got oh, a complete wow. description of what he's doing in here hmm. and then some photos of the board, which is you know beyond the scope of me trying to discuss because I don't understand that stuff at all. But well, uh, definitely... Uh, but? Appropriate because it's this is the Coco Nation. Uh -huh. <laughs> but I would do okay, yeah, check this out. Like if you have, have an Alice, and I know a few of the people in, in the Coco Nation uh, viewership definitely do have them. Hello. Um, that would be fun. And he was mentioning some of the, the changes between NTSC and PAL and some of the things that you have to kind of adjust for. So uh, it definitely is a pretty cool article from the hardware side of things. I don't have an MC10, so it doesn't really apply to me. But if any of you guys check this out, maybe try that out. I would be interested to hear uh, your results or any comments or questions you may have on it. My MC10 is my friend. It's not my pal, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Okay, another one I'm going to play the entire two and a half minute video here. So Richard Harding, we mentioned or showed last week, he found uh, videos on kind of the, the business side of things of the Dragon as far as the oh. news in Wales went. So last time they were talking about there was rumors that, you know, Dragon was having problems. Uh, this is now a later article where basically it's definitely having problems and going into receivers. So this is a bit of historical stuff. Thanks to Richard Harding, who's kind of like the genealogy guy on the Dragon here. So 
I'll play this in its entirety here. Let me know the if the volume's okay. ...has called in the receivers after just four years of production. The company is one of Britain's biggest producers of home computers. But now the 160 jobs there are under threat because of heavy debts due to low sales. Nice hair. Dragon Data was initially <laughs> set up as an offshoot of the Metoid company at Swansea. The toy manufacturers wanted to get into the then-booming home computer business. At the start, the Dragon breathed fire. Sales caught light and at one stage the computers were almost unobtainable because of high demand. Metoy couldn't afford the investment and Dragon was sold off and moved to a factory at Kenvig Hill. The future looked bright and investors were keen. The Prudential were one backer, the Welsh Development Agency another. At one stage, 300 people worked there. Then came a slump in home computers in America brought about by overproduction and fierce competition. Dragon ran into trouble a year ago. The investors pumped in more cash and there was a new management team. The GEC company took over the marketing of the machines. A new computer too was launched, but sales were poor and stocks built up at the factory. The dragon's fire was almost extinguished. The sun shot is shining a little early this year, so the last uh, month or so there's been a very marked decline. And secondly, it's getting a very uh, aggressive market. Um, a lot more manufacturers, a lot of price cutting. Uh, the US market is getting uh, a bit difficult as well. So really, you overestimated how many computers you'd be able to sell? In essence, yes. How marketable a commodity is Dragon Data as a going concern now? Well, I think it's very marketable. Um, we still have a product that's in demand in the 32 and the 64. Uh, admittedly not so much in the UK but certainly overseas we have uh, fairly good sales opportunities. We also have uh, three or four new products that have just been launched at a show in London and uh, we've had some very favourable responses and we would like to think that someone would view this as a very uh, interesting acquisition. Have all these sudden problems come as a surprise to you or have you been able to see this coming over the last few months? Well it's not really a surprise though it's a degree of a shock. Um, the, the basic numbers in this business are always means that you, you're basically running a risk. Some of the production you know, staff don't even drink. yet know that their jobs are threatened. The factory <laughs> has been on holiday for the last week. But they're still being asked to come to work on Monday morning. By then, the receivers will have decided whether or not to keep on trading. So that's Sorry. why mo Monday mornings weren't a good day to buy a computer, huh? <laughs> I mean, there's your problem. So basically, you made too many. Yes. Yeah, well, they oh, made too many after Christmas because they thought don't they... admit the truth. Don't do that. <laughs> well, they were in receivership at this point, so they kind of had to. So, well, well, yeah, but that's that's another something you thing... don't do today. You would make a whole spiel about. So, well, another thing they did was they stopped unit testing. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> but that's but yeah, basically, the story is is that they they had tremendous Christmas sales the first year to the point where they couldn't keep up to demand. Um, and then when they caught up, you know, a few months after Christmas, they were thinking that sales were going to continue at that pace. So they kept building and building. And, they, and then that didn't happen. The video game crash hit. But yeah. they only send out the one cassette with four or five programs on it. That's it. The good side of it is that they built it and they kept building it. So there we have yes. more dragons yes. nowadays. Yeah. Well, they're also expecting, like, when they did the Tano Dragon, you know, sold in North America, and they were planning and trying to get stuff sold in Japan and elsewhere, too, mainland Europe, et cetera, and they just, uh, it, that didn't happen. Plus, the whole thing got so cut through. I mean, this is the same time period that TI got out of the market, the TI-94A, you know, they fire sold that out. 
So it wasn't just them. It was some of the other even bigger companies that were having problems. Well, they thought that if TI stopped making their machines, there'd be enough room on the desktop. Well, yeah, but there was like 5,000 <laughs> PC clones coming out from Compaq and everybody else right, too. Yeah, so. right. It was all, yeah. It was a schmoz. <laughs> a dark age. Yeah. And then the last story today, Bill Harvey Smith posts an update on his progress on the Dragon VGA, which is a VGA output option for the Dragon, uh, where he's getting closer to handle precise timing used by some of the programs that change graphics modes and color sets on a scan line basis. So it's kind of covering, you know, Dragonfire. Like I mentioned before, some of the games uh, like Rommel's Revenge used to use that for, you know, doing menu highlights and stuff. And the timing right now before is not working properly. So it's putting it in the wrong spot. I think he's got a screenshot. Yeah, like this is one of their games, uh, Rommel's Revenge, where this is supposed to be highlighting in white here, like changing the color set so it's the white, cyan, magenta, uh, orange color set to show which one is you know the light, latest high score. You can use it for menu selects too for options. And it wasn't working pretty well at all before, and he's getting it closer and closer. It's not quite right yet, but he's definitely getting there. So this is kind of a progress update on that. But then pretty soon they'll have a Dragon VJ, which is kind of like you know Coco VJ. And that's it for the news today. You see what it says this there week. about microware? Yeah, some new pillow. Yeah. <laughs> They've been getting a lot of that in the microware group. Like people have to keep going and deleting. It's the same stupid crap, too. Just spamming. Facebook's a, a dumpster fire. Pretty much. Facebook. <laughs> if it wasn't for the groups and stuff on there and the fact that, you know, 5,000 people have gathered in the Cocoa group, I would probably wouldn't be on Facebook myself that much. Right. Okay. Why yeah. <laughs> That's hey, a reminder um, next week. Interview with Mike Snyder. Get your questions ready. Can I show you guys one last thing? Just one last thing. Okay. All right. So you don't it's need to highlight round. me. You don't need to highlight me. Uh early when I was showing uh stuff from the from the show we had here. I was talking about these two books here, right? right. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, you can read that correctly it's in Portuguese and uh, this is uh, you guys will recognize these those who are as old as I am as Ace of Aces outside of Brazil probably and uh, what you have here is a book about uh, dogfight right? First okay. World War kind of stuff and you play multiplayer with two guys and there's some logic here between the maneuvers and all, all you have down here, maneuvers, whatnot, right? And you shoot people. If somebody is willing to get this logic into the color computer, basic or assembler, I am willing to do the graphics for this. So it's just a little offer. If you guys know this game, right? It's a, it's sort of a three-dimensional two-player game, book-based. And if you run a timer, you kind of have like a real-time thing. Now, if somebody would like to look at the logics of this, uh, I can certainly do some semi-graphics for that. I already have some parts of the semi-graphics done, but it's not a project I can undertake currently. Okay. So this is kind of the a graphical version of Choose Your Own Adventure. Instead, uh, of, instead of the next text, you have the next result of your battle or what have you. Yes, uh, like more it. or less, more or less yeah. like that. You don't have the text; you have the maneuvers and the speed. And then whatever you do, that's what comes up next. And yes, I like it. It, yeah. it generates a number 
and then you do some calculation with the maneuver from the other plane and you get to an output. As you can see from the image, you are flying the plane always looking at the enemy, right? right. Every picture, right. here's the, here the enemy is shooting at you. So you do that, right. we figure out how to make the maneuver comparisons work. As far as, I, yeah. as far as as far as I've analyzed it, this it's like a two dimension, uh, two D array, uh, where the you are considering the position from one player and the other, and what they're seeing. It's like the world is infinite, but uh, you are yeah. always looking at the distance between these two players. If they get away too too far away from each other, then the game's over. You lose your target. Aren't as there Star Trek close, games like that? Well, so I, the trick I, is. I suspect they must be. The trick is going to be getting the data out of the book into the program without error. Yes, most likely Which getting is, the. That's the uh, big thing. Yeah. Checking the instructions and uh, the possible outcomes. As far as I know, it's like a two dimensional uh, array of uh, one, two, five, probably. But, uh, but you seven. know, it's. You know it's obfuscated so that you can't figure it out easily. Otherwise, you would just figure out uh -huh. winning rules yourself. So it's going to be hard to not mess it up. Getting it, it always off of paper. It, uh, so yeah, what, whatever challenge. choice you have, it always depends on the other player. The other than right, the right. kind of maneuver you are performing, you also have a call on the speed of the maneuver. So there's kind of like a dogfight. There, it's like a P P fifty one in a turn based be, style. That could be updated to uh, X Tie Fighters. And, we're uh, we're gonna Wars, need but... a we're we're gonna need a Discord channel. We could probably have. <laughs> oh, like, no, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we should probably have a split screen uh, semi graphics kind of right. stuff going on for this cool. turn based. It's probably gonna be something fun to uh, to 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 create. It's on the list of to-dos, but uh, currently I have a whole bunch of list of to-dos to get over. But if somebody would like to take a look at that with me, I'll, uh, you, you, I'll, I'll, glad, I'll gladly help. Cool. That's it. Do I have time? No. There you go, Rick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before something else happens. This concludes another episode of The Coco Nation the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022 D. Bruce Moore, mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. Okay, well, that does it for 341. I guess uh, let's see. Uh, upcoming, uh, do we, Mark? Do we have a uh, uh, Cocotech? Yes. Cocotech yep. coming up. Uh, it's going to be Grease Weasel and SDC, which is another imaging device, and floppies with Mr. David Ladd, and of course Mikey Furman and Paul Piscarelli. And, and when is that? Tuesday, 
Tuesday, so three days from now in the evening, uh, be uh, uh, basically 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. That's UDC minus five, UTC minus five. All right. Um, and sorry, it's inconvenient for Europe, but you know, we'll do some stuff for you too, and I'll do them earlier in the day. So. <laughs> okay. And Ken, Thursday, what games will we be playing? Um, the two that I announced earlier. They really stuck out in his mind, you can tell. New Dow and Hyperzone. New Toy. Okay. Yeah. All right. We're going to have Thursday. a system testing show pretty soon. Yeah. We and Mike Snyder interview yeah. next week as well, so get ready for that. Yay. Okay. Well, wave goodbye. See you all next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Push the leave button. Bye.